everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, episode number 330. I'm your host, Chris Zellner, joined as always by my co-host, David Bixenspan. And Bix, uh, we are fresh off of Thanksgiving, and as everybody's listening to this, not as we record this, but uh, we have uh, December coming up, so we're getting the home stretch of the year. Uh, the end of the year, and we got a new Patreon show to talk about as well. So, but first, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. I'm that sure I had a lovely Thanksgiving. I say, I'm, as it has not with the I hope you did. I hope, and I hope I did as well. I'm pretty sure I did, but I hope we all did. I hope all the listeners did too. But anyway, yes, we have a new Patreon show to talk about at Patreon.com/slash Between the Sheets. As we have a new show with the King Kingsport, Bo James, talking about part one of our two-part series on John Collins and Main Event Championship Wrestling. And if the first show is an indicator how the second show is going to be, this is going to be one for the ages, as uh, the first show was fantastic, especially with Bo adding in his personal stories to... It's all about stuff that wasn't even covered in the sheets because, um, as we talk about on the show, the first real John Collins stuff doesn't hit the newsletters until July. But Bo had, you know, conversations and stuff going on back to May. So yeah, so interesting. A lot of interesting stories on on Bo's front there to add to all the stuff that we have from the newsletters, including the. Um, the beginnings of the promotion, the inner workings of what's going on. John Collins talking to anybody and everybody and not getting his, keeping his lies straight and just all kinds of insanity that, uh, again, like we said before, this is a hybrid of, of Paul Heyman, ECW, um, global Herb wrestling Abrams. federation, Herb Abrams. I mean, this is a hybrid of all those types of, uh, narratives all in the one show so you definitely want to listen to this and part two is going to be even better yes because because we then we'll get to all the the, the hard shit on part two because this is this is like the introductory show as we're talking about the you know the beginnings and then they run their first show at the ecw arena and a little bit about the aftermath of that but we close the show right after that show to happen so we have a whole lot of shit that's going to be coming up in part two that you don't want to miss. So get in on the ground floor now. $5 a month at patreon.com slash tween the sheets. All right, Face, go ahead. And remember, a lot more than just newsletters on this one. We've got Bill Barron's message board posts. We've got onewrestling.com. We've got rfvideo.com news updates. And there's even more in uh, part two. It, there is quite a lot here. And we've also got interview transcripts and summaries with uh, John Collins on various uh, very markish uh, internet radio shows. In oh God, and, and even markish, uh, repu- well, I would say reputable pro wrestling websites as well. <laughs> I mean, you, we talk about it on the show, but you folks that thought that, that think that the AEW uh, coverage is something. This, you know, wait till you see, read some of this crap. But uh, anyway, it's uh it's an amazing show. Like I said, five dollars a month, patreoncom sheets and. Uh, if you know somebody that doesn't have uh, the Patreon and you're willing to uh, get them a, a present for the holiday season, get them a Patreon subscription and tell them, say, hey, go crazy. Listen well, on that great audience. So I actually just log in to see it on Patreon. Are this should, I think we should, if we're going to say that, we should offer the slightly discounted annual memberships, right? 
We, we, we never talk about that either. Well, I never checked it off. It's a newer option. Okay, well, what is the annual? Um, I guess it would be the way to do it. It would be a year for 50, right? A year for 50 bucks, yeah. So you save $20 that way. That's a, well, no, what 10. A 10. 10, you're right. <laughs> what a bargain. Hold on. Um, well, it's saying by, okay, wait, it says disc, the discount you want to offer. If it's not exactly that, I'll figure out whatever the exact percentage has to be. It's 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 a percentage discount. So wait, sixty would be. I'll we'll figure it out though. It'll be in that range if it's not exactly fifty. They're not letting me do it. They're not letting me charge it at a specific price. I have to give the percentage discount. <laughs> oh, it's up okay. to sixteen percent. But we'll figure it out. Okay. Well, there you go. Patreon.com/slash twenty sheets. All right. So, yes, let's get well, to the and, show, shall well, we? And also a free preview clip, of course, at the end of the show. Well, yeah. Of the Patreon. All right. So, um, this week we're doing here is one of those weeks where it's a, pretty much a, uh, a day filler, I kind of call it. As uh, on show 277, we did a November 18th through the 24th of 1994. On show 72... We did November 30th through December 6th, 1994. So this week, we're going to do November 25th through the 29th of 1994. So a five-day week. But a lot packed into these five days. So let's uh, start off with World Championship Wrestling. And Dave Meltzer lets us know to begin that Air Bischoff will take over as the office general manager on December the 1st which means he'll be handling a lot of the duties formerly handled by Bob Zoo, who still has his VP title, but less responsibilities. If you ever wondered why WCW was the mess it was in for so long, it's because you had all these motherfuckers that had all these different responsibilities in the company. Meanwhile, Vincent Mann was forever and ever and ever until they went public. The sole guy. I mean, he's still the sole guy. Just yeah, but still, but yeah, but well, yeah, but he's still he's having answer to stockholders and all that be bullshit. So he can't do everything like he used to could do. No, when he had still, nobody to do it, so. he'll have the majority of the voting power the way the stock is structured. Even if he has like, I want to say it's like under he can get under ten percent ownership. Yeah, but still, it's still though he didn't he didn't have to answer anybody though, Bix. Well, no, yes, but he only has to answer to them in terms of the Wall Street gambling game. Pretty much. That's but, that's how he has to answer to them. But it's still same thing, though. I mean, it, there's there's nobody to worry about. But and, I mean, here you have so and so's doing this, so and so's doing, especially you know in in the ninety three ninety four WCW, the ninety three especially where you had Eric Bischoff in charge of one thing, Ole Anderson in charge of one thing, Bob Dew in charge of one thing. I mean, it's just confusion, mass confusion. So you were, uh, I don't, I, you were talking about, you, uh, I know we talked about this kind of like last week, that you didn't realize that this was like this at this time, even this late, right? That he got this, well, because I thought he was a, he was an, ex, he is an executive by this point. He became, because he, I forget what the title is, but he's an executive by February of 94, right? Yeah, he's the executive vice president. 
So but what, he's still, what does he's this still mean? Not the, he's still not the office general manager. <laughs> Whatever that meant. I guess when he was in charge, he was in charge of, I guess, the day-to-day operations of the wrestling. But when it came to the office, he wasn't the the, the head of day-to-day. Even like, he's though he didn't take over the executive vice president of wrestling operations title and they gave him a different title. I mean, it's just insane. All the the BS that the WCW creative offices, well, the creative, WCW um, business offices was in the early 90s. Yeah. Bill Shaw, Bob Dude, I mean, all these, Jack Petrick, Jim Hurd, I mean, all these people's names we talk about, you know? Mm. WF, again, it's Vince, Vincent Kennedy McMahon. <laughs> you know? And yeah, he's got his underlings up under him, you know, but still he's the be-all, end-all. And in WCW, you have all these motherfuckers that's vying for power. Yeah. And we probably should note, though, story going on in the background in this period is that Ted Turner's trying to buy NBC. Yeah, I mean, one of the many times he tried to buy a network, yes, because he tried to buy CBS at one point, too. Yes. I, I'm trying to understand what this means, though, this general manager thing, and I'm just failing. Yeah, I I have no idea either. But anyway, and creative news, though, and let's go to the purpose of the torch. Ric Flair is deferring all important decisions to Hulk Hogan, who's pretty much in control of wrestling matters, although the buck still stops her at Bischoff. Some informal booking meetings are now held at Hulk Hogan's house. Bischoff, by the way, could find himself in corporate hot water if the Missy Hyatt lawsuit gets major mainstream publicity. Which it did, and did not seem to affect his job. <laughs> no, not at all. It kind of went away. But it did get mainstream publicity. There was a... <sighs> mainstream, depending on how you define it, there was a TV feature on, what was it, hard copy? Yeah, which those shows, you know, people could take them in certain values. Tabloid television, whatever. Actually, or had that coverage all happened by this point, now that I think about it? When was that? Well, this is December 94, November 94. I'm thinking, because I was going through some of those monthly mat watches, and I saw some, some stuff about it, but I don't think it was... I don't think it was 95 stuff. But at one point, she gets brought up on Rush Limbaugh, because there was some more, like, mainstream, I think, newspaper and stuff publicity... And I mean, it, I always, how do I put this? I'm trying to remember, like the, the specific allegation I always remember is that someone put the, a blown up picture of her boob falling out of her top at Starcade out on the wall. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, it seems like uh, she had a legitimate case. I don't know. I don't remember all the specific allegations. Though. But the big story at this point here is the creative structure and Ric Flair I mean, is the head booker by title at this point in time. But as you could easily see by watching the television, that his power has completely diminished. Mm-hmm. And Hulk Hogan and his crew are getting the prime prime pushes here. And it's which is amazing to think about because as we talked about before, Hulk Hogan at this point in time is not a lock cinch to be with WCW. Nope. 
He he is just on a deal basically for the rest of the year. Pretty much. <laughs> so <laughs> it's amazing to think. And and you know, and Eric Bischoff, I mean, give him credit. I mean, he, he put all of his eggs in one basket for Hogan, trying to, you know, appease him, make him happy, and make him decide to stay long term, which he did, so it worked. But what if it did? You know? Yeah. That you did all you did all this placating to this to this to this bastard, and he decides to up and leave. I mean, you've totally hoard out your wrestle promotion to this guy, and he left you dripping wet. You know? Yes. Um. Okay. It looks like the the coverage I was thinking of was more around, like, March and April. Okay, yeah, she was on the Atlanta uh, NBC affiliate on March <laughs> 11 Alive. Yes. I wish I had that video. But there you go. There's so. actually a transcript of uh, what she said in Mad Watch. So if we if we end up doing that week sometime soon, that's something we could uh, refer to. Yeah, possibly. Uh, there was no Mad Watch for this for this. Uh, month here this is the month that's missing well so. no it's not missing it's he went from i don't think there was a missing issue i think it was that he went from yeah it's that he went from late october to december but there's no missing volume number but whatever but yeah i, I looked though there were no t- he didn't have tv ratings for these week for this week or anything randy savage is expected to make a live appearance on television to tease is appearing at star k in which he won't make clear whether he's coming in as a face or a heel he pretty much gave the latter part away, appearing on November 27th on Chet Coppock's cable sports talk show. On talk sport. No, uh, new sport. And the show was new, new sport. sport talk. News, yeah. New sport. That's right. Where he said he didn't know if he'd shake Hulk Hogan's hand or slap, slap him in the face. Yes. He's definitely coming as a baby face. And Dave's virtually certain he'll be getting the belt in 1995. Savage was 100% a character on the, on the Coppock show. Read that 100% working. Not even admitting he was no longer with the WF or going to WCW. And challenging either Bob Backlund, not realizing he lost the strap, or Hogan, the title matches, but putting enough more enough more emphasis on Hogan to read between the lines. He said then, like commentating and won the wrestle and trying to work the eventual storyline into that he simply went to WCW because they offered him a title shot first. Callers and Coppock brought up steroids and he gave incoherent ramblings. And when Coppock brought up that wrestlers didn't have a union, he gave an equally incoherent response. One caller may mention that Ric Flair let Hulk Hogan walk all over him. Another asked that the reason Bret Hart, Yokozuna, and Ultimate Warrior are going to WCW is because of steroids, which momentarily turned his face pale. And then we have more from the torch. Well, speculation is going to WCW. The rumors are flying, no doubt about it. I seem to be always in the middle of things. I have to tell you right now that if it is true, there are negotiations going on with the World Wrestling Federation and with World Championship Wrestling. No ink is dry. No problem there. But the WF has been a great 10 years. Maybe I'll have Tim Moore and Tim Moore after that. With Vince Man's a friend of mine and everything has been super cool. On the other hand, it is a little bit intriguing. I'll be lying if I didn't say this, that a belt I never had is the WCW belt. What's more intriguing is who owns that belt. A blast from the past. I think it'd be a real cool thing if I went over there and either shook his hand or slapped him in the face and won that belt from him. In fact, what I'd like to do is possibly take on two guys on the same night, Bob Backlund and Hulk Hogan, and win both belts and put them over both my shoulders. And I'd do everything but go swimming because I'd surely drown. 
I'm being out in the ring. I want to get back in the ring. I don't want to be president or win the Nobel Peace Prize. I've been broadcasting wrestling for a while. That's 10 feet from where I want to be. When George Foreman won the Boston title, that really inspired me. And then Savage said, he's not into wrestling for the money anymore, which should please Mr. Bischoff, what he said. He referred to Hulk Hogan as an old friend, and Coffey didn't uh, did not refer to his comments on Hogan over a year ago. Not in it for the money sure means uh, Randy knows that the Slim Jim deal is paying for his entire contract, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. That has to be a sly reference to that, I think. But I never had really thought about it before until I read this that his attitude changed a lot when George Foreman won the Warheadway title in boxing. I think that's just him playing into it. I don't think that's why he decided to leave. Well, let me look at let me look at the let me look at the uh timing here. All right, so Sat all right, so Foreman won the belt on November the fifth. When did Savage leave? Oh, I think it was technically November, or was it? Well let me see. Alright, so Savage. Alright. Savage's last appearance. Well, I'm not thinking last appearance, I'm thinking the Vince announcement. Because remember, he found out right before that, like that day. Uh, the Halloween. He, Savage was on the Halloween Raw. So it would have been the Raw after Halloween, I guess. Uh, I'm trying to find the date. It must be that first row of November is when. So the first row in November took place on November the 7th. And that's a live show, right? That's a live show two days after George Foreman. <sighs> Holy shit, maybe that is real then. Maybe he is telling the truth. <laughs> because he did just kind of call up Vince out of nowhere. Yeah. Huh. I mean, why would he lie? You know, I, I mean... He, he said it inspired him, and it says the be all end all. He probably was thinking about it before, but that George Foreman thing was a big deal for dudes that were, you know, in the pushing forty in their forties and stuff like that. That got a lot of a lot of people believing that hey, maybe I can do something. I'm not too old. Also, on the November fifth and sixth syndication in New York. They announced that Randy Savage would be the guest referee for the Madison Square Garden show for the Bret Hart-Bob Backlund match that turns into Diesel versus Bob Backlund. Which we'll talk about later on the show. But you get what I'm saying, though. That that So then, yeah, so at least when they were putting the TV together for that week for the with the local promos and stuff, they thought he was still there, which again backs Absolutely. up the timeline that Vince didn't know anything about this until Monday. Mm-hmm. All right, any other, any other thoughts on uh, Macho's conversation here? Um, I'd love to know the actual quotes about the, um, whatchamacallit, about the steroid stuff and the union. But that's about it, I think. Yeah, I mean, well, with Savage, who knows what it would have sounded like. <laughs> Incoherent ramblings. Yeah. Um, I also like, by the way, how Wade misspells Chep Coppock's name as Coppet. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, I mean that thing, that uh, new sport thing was, uh, you know, pretty big deal for. I mean, the wrestlers are going all the time. That's why when I got 
DirecTV in 96, New Sport was on there, and I was like, wow, okay, now I get to watch Chick Coffee because I never really got to watch it before. And then uh, New Sport basically would go away not too long after that. So I'm like, well, shit. <laughs> but, uh, and the Saturday uh, following our week was when Savage made his appearance. So December 3rd, the live show. Mm-hmm. That's when he showed up and made his debut. So there you go. Now, speaking of Saturday night, they did tapings. For the December 10th, 17th, and 24th on November 28th, that had a uh, quite the interesting thing happen, as Wade Keller writes. In a cameo appearance that might make David Letterman jealous, Kurt Henning and Rick Rude showed up apparently unannounced at WCW Center Stage taping Monday night, November 28th. During the fifth match of the taping, Rude and Henning, in business suits, walked into the theater and sat at ringside. Security kept fans away from them. Later between matches, WCW Vice President Eric Bischoff came out and shook hands with them as if, it, as if he had not taunted them and didn't know they were coming. Tony Schiavone also said hello to them during the break. Eventually, ring announcer Gary Michael Capetta announced their presence to the crowd. They signed autographs and were cordial. They may or may not be actually appearing on camera when the taping airs. Last the, the torture, Rude was suing WCW for making him wrestle despite knowing he was injured and causing further damage and causing him to lose salary. Henning was said to have not come to terms with WCW when they wanted him to be Ric Flair's mystery mass man and face Hulk Hogan at Starcade. Dave noted that uh, the gist of Rude and Henning's appearing here was to simply cause a ruckus, more or less. <laughs> And the following week, uh, Wade also mentions that Rude was in town specifically to try to negotiate a settlement. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's crazy. I mean, imagine what those those fans are like. Well, holy shit. I mean, Rude, of course, had, you know, been there, but seeing Henning walk through, you know? Yeah. And I mean, was... that... well, because remember, though, they had also taped TV earlier in the year. With promos hyping that, like, what was it? That one of the original Bash at the Beach or Clash main events was going to be, like, Hogan and Flair against Rude and Hennig? So, I mean, that that was kind of talked about. But the thing is, they picked the wrong week. Think about what, what would have happened if they would have walked out on the live show. Yep. And also, they're never seen on camera. I don't know what no. side they're on. Rude's worked there enough that you would think he would know what side to sit on if he really wanted to cause a commotion. So I'm guessing, I'm guessing Rude is just having fun, and otherwise he would have tried to sit on the hard cam side. Well, the side yeah, on the hard cam. But yeah, I mean, if they really wanted to do some shit, like I said, show up at the live show. But uh, yeah, one of those. Uh, Fun things that happen sometimes in wrestling that never will see the light of day, that's for sure. Other than that, it was pretty uneventful taping on the on the twenty eighth. Um nothing the consequence happened the first show except for a humorous incident that probably won't make TV, where ring announcer Gary Michael Capote introduced the Avalanche as being over five pounds. <laughs> yeah, that seems definitely over five pounds. Steven Regal was scouting John Paul Levesque during his squash win over Scott Armstrong. Scouting him. Black Top Bully, Barry Darso debuted in the second show, acting as if he was a green wrestler with Rob Parker and Ming at ringside. Which, by the way, 
until you start watching some old papers and stuff, boy, do you forget just how long he was in the crowd yelling at Dustin Rhodes before he actually became a wrestler. Months. He was there going back to like April or May, wasn't he? He was there for Hogan was there. Yeah. It's it, it strange. Yes. It, it, that whole that whole Barry Darso run in general is just strange. Between that and then the unjust firing of him and Dustin, just weird. It's, the whole trajectory was weird. Absolutely. Speaking of weird. Jeff Gaylord received a tryout match build as the All-American and looked bad. <laughs> Bix, imagine if we had Jeff Gaylord in 1994, 95 WCW. I, I don't even want to think about it. <laughs> he could have been he could have been Hogan's uh, renegade. Dye, uh, color his hair. He already had the little arm t- tassel de- band deal in his arms. Just add little tassels to it, some paint. Ultimate Jeff. I, I bet he was waiting to get his opportunity in the WWF to reform the super team of Jeff and Jeff. <laughs> yes. Air Bishop Tony Schiavone, they put the voice tracks on in the studio usually before the show airs, wound up joining them later. Uh, this is about Rude. Rude was then working on settling his lawsuit while Henning is negotiating once again to come in. There's also been lots of talk regarding Jim Helwig and Bret Hart. In the case of both, a lot of it was started by, you guessed it, Gene Okerlund, doing a totally worked, read that made-up, made report on where is Ultra Warrior. He's wrestling in Japan, quote-unquote. Said he'd be joining our WF and WCW within 60 days. Uh, WCW officials say it isn't going to happen. In the case of Bret Hart, that appears to have been a rumor started by WCW, as Gene Oakland's hotline stated that WCW is in serious negotiations with him. Actually, several sources said there have been no negotiations whatsoever. And even if Brett was interested in leaving WF with Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair in charge of WCW, it would be very difficult for him to put his career in their hands after what he said about them. All those Randy Savage shows, when it comes to wrestling, for a buck, most people forget about anything. Gene is just totally making shit up on the hotline, and people are... are Eating it up, believing it is true. It's egregious. I mean, think about it. There was no way Bret Hart was in negotiations with WCW at this time. Yeah. I don't think, uh, could he, I mean, I don't know what his contract was like, but I don't think he could have done it anyway because I think his contract was still good for another year and a half. Yeah. When you really think about it, the WCW hotline was never close to this scammy until Okerlund was involved. Oh, no, never. Never. And boy, would his reputation have been different over the years and how fans saw him if he did not repair it with the WWE nostalgia stuff. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. They also taped some pro main event matches on November 29th in Macon, Georgia. Oh, I remember those tapings. Not this one in particular, but those pro tapings in Macon being there for five hours. Mainon's push were continuing a Nasty Boys Harlem Heat feud with a brawl over the building. Dick Slater debuted, beating the returning Van Hammer in a very bad match. Jim Duggan beat Buck House Buck in an equally bad match. And Dave Sullivan beat Kevin Sullivan by DQ when the Butcher interfered in a match worse than the other two. Diamond Dallas Page is back with a push, doing an arm wrestling gimmick. And if anyone can beat him in arm wrestling, they get a diamond doll. There's been talk of working that into a feud with Dave Sullivan. No. Which, which they do. Yes. 
for uh, 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 about a year. That Slater Van Hammer match is super weird. It airs. Neither appears again. F- well, Van Hammer doesn't appear again, I think, until, uh, you know, his Nitro era run. Slater doesn't return, I don't think, until the Bunkhouse Buck team. Because here he's just trunks and boots, Dick Slater. And then uh, when Van Hammer has the drug arrest in in early 95... WCW claims that he hasn't done any work for them since 1993. That would say Yes. In other news, also, there has never been a character named Maria Maria on WCW programming. <laughs> oh, my goodness. The Omni Thanksgiving show that was canceled the Friday prior only had 285 tickets sold. Due to miscommunication, advertisers for the show continued throughout the market five days after the show had been canceled. <laughs> W C W everybody. God. <laughs> what in the world? <laughs> By the way, I feel bad. I was doing some. <laughs> yeah. Just to pile on the WCW, everybody. I, I, I'm not going to remember to mention that we don't. I feel bad that we're doing a 94 show this week because I was trying to see if I could find any other stuff from our week just on news databases and stuff. Uh, the Charlie Norris lawsuit is a couple weeks out, but I'm guessing we're not doing 94 again anytime in the next month or so. Too. But that that's one I've always wanted to cover on here because there's some wild shit in that story. So maybe next Well, year, we'll maybe. have it. We'll have it eventually. I'm, I'm, okay. All right, so... The show was canceled the Friday prior to Thanksgiving. So that would have been November the 18th, 1994. I'm looking at the November 20th Atlanta uh, Journal-Constitution, and it has the uh, daily checklist for sports. Um, Okay, that's that's, that's, uh, center stage tapings. I'm sorry. Um, I thought it might have the Omni on there, but let me see. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, wait, here we go. <laughs> I didn't scroll down far enough. Uh, there's a big page in the paper here. Uh, this, the tradition returns this Thursday, November 24, 7.30 p.m. WCW, the Omni, presented by WGNX Channel 46. Watch WCW on WTBS. WGNX Saturday at 10 a.m. I think that was worldwide. And WGBN Friday at 8 p.m. Your card, uh, main event steel cage match, Dusty Rhodes and Dustin Rhodes against Arn Anderson and Bunkhouse Buck. United States heavyweight title, Hacksaw Jim Duggan versus Stunning Steve Austin. Sting and Dave Sullivan against Avalanche and Kevin Sullivan. Tag title, Stars and Stripes gets pretty wonderful. TV title, Johnny Bad versus Honky Tonk, Plan, Honky Tonk Man, plus much more. Tickets was uh, priced at 20, 16, 12, and 8. And it gives all the information two days after the show was officially canceled. WCW, everybody. How did you find this one? Because I did a World Championship Wrestling search in the for Atlanta in November 94, and I don't have this full page thing you're talking about. What day is this from? November 20th. And this is on the same page as that center stage thing? It's in the newspaper. 
So what did you search for? Did you search for World Championship Wrestling? Yes. What page is it on then? So I can jump to it's it. On page, it's on page 63, Bex. 63 in the newspapers.com page numbers. Yes, I know this is a riveting, riveting. I wanted uh, to see it for myself. Oh, someone clipped it. Okay. Yeah, there it is. Jesus. Uh, so there well, you go. It, they, they, of, well, also, you canceled it on a Friday. What do you expect to happen? Because it doesn't seem like there's anything past Sunday, at least in the paper. No, no not But I'm paper. guessing radio ads and stuff were still going out. Yeah, probably Channel 46, too, on Worldwide. So there you go. Which I completely forgot it aired on Channel 46. And this is also short. the this is also no Omni shows until the first Omni Nitro, right? Yeah. Yeah. They went uh, over two years. Mm-hmm. Anyway. However, the Albany show on November 25th drew more than 2,000, and Dothan on 26th drew about 1,100. Well, let's talk about that, shall we? The Torch said WCW drew 100 paid and 400 overall in the 9,000-seat arena in Albany, Georgia. Oh. With Dusty and Dustin against Bunkhouse Buck and Art Anderson in the cage. No, wait, 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 wait. Dave is getting information directly from Zayn Bresloff, right? Um, Although he doesn't uh, have exact attendance, so he's probably again, not getting exact numbers. As as we have talked about lately on this show, and I keep finding more and more, Dave's attendance numbers are wrong a lot. No, 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 no. I know. But wouldn't he be getting stuff directly from Zayn Bresloff by this point? Probably, maybe not. he's not running the exact numbers in the newsletters? Okay, but who's telling him they drew more than 2,000, whereas whoever's talking to Wade is saying 100 paid plus 300 comps? I'm not done. Let me read Let me read this. There were four events in Georgia over the weekend with 1,500 fans paying for tickets. The three independent shows drew a total of 1,400. WCW drew 100. <laughs> we'll talk those independent shows later. Um, wow. At Albany, Arn Anderson suffered possibly a serious foot injury and was on crutches at the center stage tapings. Dick Slater was brought in to fill a spot. Slater is wearing bunkhouse butt ring attire and being billed as a cousin of Terry Funk, managed by Colonel Parker. Although the Bayface announcers aren't even selling it. During an interview, Gene Oakland made the bonehead remark of the year, saying he didn't think Terry Funk had any relatives who wrestled. <laughs> Also, I did not remember Slater starting on TV. Oh, you know what it is, now that I think about it? I think the stuff with him in the bunkhouse buck gear aired before the Van Hammer match. And that's Shocking. why it stuck out as strange. <laughs> I, knew, I knew I had something right there. Shocking that that would happen that way. Yes. Terry Funk didn't have any relatives at Russell. That we said, everybody. <laughs> My God. All right, let's go to WCW Saturday night, shall we? On the 26th. The Nasty Boys want to squash. During which Bobby Heenan made a contemporary reference. This is Torch. He did a takeoff of Jim Carrey's loser, loser, loser line. And Wade said maybe Mel Tillis originated the line. 
Nasty Boy screened by facing Harlem Heat after the match. Jean-Paul Levesque won a squash match. I'm just going to find the squash opponents because Wade would never really mention squash opponents here. So let me see if I can find out who these uh, jabronis were here on, on uh, this show as I look. Okay. Uh, Nasty Boys beat Ron Oaks and John Stevens. Jean-Paul Levesque beat hard work Bobby Walker. So there you go. Um, Oakland interviewed Regal and acknowledged Sir William's absence. Regal alluded to a scandal that William was involved in that embarrassed him. Wade knows it's kind of ironic listening to Oakland talk about someone being on TV because of an embarrassing scandal, given current allegations against him by Missy Hyatt. Fix. I don't remember what she accused Bill of. No, Gene. Oh, Gene. Oh, okay. I don't remember what she accused Gene of either. <laughs> well, there you go. I thought you might have all that information, but there, I guess not. Regal added he'd like to be seen with Levette because he would conduct himself properly in restaurants. <laughs> what what a reason to be recruiting this man. He knows how to handle himself in a fine dining establishment. Like Kowloon's. <laughs> Oakland hosted the Starcade Control Center. Brad Armstrong beat Rip Rogers in your uh, 1984 Championship Wrestling from Georgia offer match. Tony Schiavone referred to Armstrong's entire career being documented on TBS over the years and spoke about his family background and starting his pro career at the age of 17, which is true. Clash of Champions was recap. Dustin Rhodes won a squash. He won his squash over George South. Black Top Bully was dragged out of the arena when he went at the Rhodes after the match. The Fantastics, and this is Bobby and Tommy. They won a squash match over Tom Burton and Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker. What a team. The Butcher won a squash match over Larry Santo. Then Gene interviewed Sullivan Earthquake after the match. Earthquake. Avalanche after the match and Wade type Earthquake. Harlem Heat won a squash match over Jumpin' Joey Maz and Scott Sandlin. And afterwards, shout about beating up the Nasties. Sting won a squash mix over downtown Denny Brown. Did he wear the NWA Junior Heavyweight title to the ring? <laughs> uh, I don't think it fit his, his stomach at this point in time. And his stunning Steve Austin, managed by Harley Race, lost by DQ to Hacksaw Jim Duggan when Race pulled down the top rope and Duggan fell to the floor. Vader attacked Duggan at ringside. Sting made the save. Duggan vowed revenge afterwards. Let's go to the clip. Oh, boy. I forget. Is Harley here as, like, theoretically as permanent manager or just part of the Vader feud? The Vader feud. Okay. I wasn't sure because I, rem I remembered this, but not if it lasted beyond this. Here it comes. Duggan. He's going to try to end it all now. The three-point stance. He got him. Being rear ended. 450 pounds, he's not going to load 
one's broken down. Hacksaw's going to win the match because of Vader's interference, because of Race's interference. He'll retain the Ladies title. And gentlemen, stunning Steve Austin has been disqualified. The winner and still United States heavyweight champion, Hacksaw. WCW uh, now no, for no. all the latest wrestling news. Get no, behind no. the scenes insider info. Plus, now you can play wrestling trivia and win great prizes. Get all of this and exclusive interviews and merchandise offers by calling the WCW hotline at 1-900-909-9900. Calls cost the buck 49 per minute, 99 cents for each additional minute. Kids, get your parents' permission, but call right now. Don't. <laughs> Fun trivia. Like, true or false, Terry Funk has family in the wrestling business. <laughs> oh, man. This is the era Austin's not wearing knee pads. Shades of Buddy Landau. Well, he was bumping his like a motherfucker, so... <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> no. So, hot crowd. They were hot for the Sting stuff and, and Sting and Duggan, you know, being there. So, yeah, good angle. No Hogan involvement, so that makes it good. Yeah, Duggan, though, so. Yeah, Friends but. Of Hogan. The one thing we could say about Duggan, though, is that at least Duggan, yeah, he's friend of Hogan, but he wasn't, Hogan wasn't involved with Doug. You know what I'm saying? It's not Dave Sullivan. Sure. You know, that there is that. But anyway. Well, one good news for the TV ratings. The November 26, 27 weekend was the lowest rated non-Christmas New Year's weekend in the history of pro wrestling on TBS. 22 years. Saturday Night did a 1.8. Main Event did a 1.5. Pro 1.2. And Wade Keller noted that um, the headline match of Duggan and Austin wasn't especially a weak main event, but perhaps the rating... Uh, confirms that the club is interested in Duggan as long as it's over, or maybe the inconsistency of the Saturday rating says something much more. Now remember, that's the lowest rated, not least watched, because of the shift in the cable universe and how cable mm -hmm. ratings are calculated. Um, also, weight is wrong. It wouldn't be 22 years, it would be 18 years, because that's not the Superstation yet. Yeah. You can't really compare those two numbers. Yeah. This is this is Dave, though, not Wade Biggs. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it was Wade, It was in the middle of Wade, all the Wade TV coverage. I know. But yeah. It's still not good. And the fact is, the TV ratings are, are tanking when they're going full force with Hogan. Hogan's creative vision, too. You know? Which is interesting when you consider what the priority of the suits running WCW has always been. Mm-hmm. But Bischoff had his vision of what was going to happen, so... And it worked itself out. So, there you go. All right, let's quick hit it now. Brian Pillman had recently filmed an episode of Baywatch. It's about to get a renewed push as a heel in the Cruiserweight Champion role, Bix. Cruiserweight division, huh? Heel, Brian Pillman, huh? Sure. This is Cal this is California Brian, folks. 
This is that's the push he gets coming off of this. So there I mean, you go. He's technically a heel when the cruiserweight division starts. A year later. later. <laughs> With Brian Armstrong quitting to join the WF. More on that later. His place on the designated Armstrong jobber tag team has been taken over by Scott. <laughs> WCW supposedly bought WF's television time slot away in St. Louis and is looking at doing a pay-per-view there early next year. I'm assuming... It is fun- oh, go ahead. I was saying it is funny that WCW is buying WWF TV slots away. Ten years after WWF was doing that to all the territories, so go ahead. I'm guessing this is one of the slots that Vince is complaining about in the Billionaire Ted skit era. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure it is. But that is funny to... Torch, Gene Uncle said in the 900 line Saturday, Ultimate Warriors have some dis- also having a discussion with WCW, which we kind of mentioned a while ago. Uh, the most popular front office line of the month comes from Mark Madden on his WCW 900 line segment. The three faces of fear are the most evil, diabolical faces at WCW since the two faces of Jim Ross. Despite Hogan pushing for Madden's dismissal, Madden will remain put on WCW's 900 line for the time being, and likely will continue to rip Hogan when he feels it's deserved. <laughs> the most evil diabolical face at WCW is the two faces of Jim Ross. Okay, do you think that is a Bell's palsy line, or do no? You, no, you just think that's calling him two faced. Okay, yeah, exactly, exactly, yes. But probably not the best line to use at that point in time. No, but <laughs> oh, that Mark Madden, Woo Nation, uh, uh, uncensored Mark Madden. Yeah. Well, that ought to be an interesting show, the next show, considering what's going on in the Flair universe this week. Oof. Um, Tor said, Larry Zabisco had heat in the front office of work in a casino show promoted by Byrne and Greg Gagne in Minnesota on November 20th. <laughs> okay. What's his family? If his contract allows him to, which I'm assuming it does, because why else would he do it? I just realized they probably know that Greg is in... Well, actually, maybe the lawsuit's already been filed and it just hasn't been reported on yet. The Norris lawsuit. Maybe that's why, because Greg is kind of central to getting them sued by Charlie Norris. Yeah. Because he's he's the one that showed him the proper way to do a pro wrestling rain dance. <laughs> yes, noted Native American wrestler Greg Gagne. Um Hulk Hogan appeared at the halftime free throw shootout with Mr. T at the Chicago Rockers CBA game on November 26, winning the $1,000 to favorite charity 8-7. 8-7. The CBA, the Continental Basketball Association, talk about a blast in the past. Yes, folks, there was a minor league uh, basketball league. That was around the 80s and early 90s, mid-90s, I think, maybe went into 2000. Oh, is this the one that, um, the Mr. Rogers segment about a woman who was playing in a men's pro basketball league? Is that what, what that was? Yes. Okay. Yes. Now, you know what this game probably also is, though, based on the timeline and location and other details? What? I'm pretty sure that is the, uh... The night that Hulk Hogan meets Paul White for the first time. There you go. Because he was in Chicago working as a karaoke DJ and stuff. Imagine that. Yes, he had become friends with uh, Danny Bonaducci and then was involved in his radio show in some way. And then it was at some kind of charity basketball thing. 
So I'm assuming this is it because the time frame is just right because Paul, I think, has just made his debut on that Larry Sharp show and we don't hear about him being at the power plant for several more weeks. This appears to be the, yeah, the, the night where Hogan walks up to Paul White and says something like, oh, you got a hundred, you got a million dollar bill on your forehead, brother. And Paul says to him, well, can you tell me how to find it? Because I'm broke. <laughs> yeah, so there you go. Yeah. Who knew that something like that would happen that changed the wrestling business forever? There is some tremendous heat among many, if not most, of the old crew. Obviously, on the push given to the new guys. Jim Duggan, in particular. <sighs> I get it. I totally get it and understand. I agree with him. Duggan didn't ask to be pushed. You know, I mean, I wouldn't take it out on Doug. Right, it's not his fault, as far as we know. And you never I mean, really hear anything bad. And you never really hear anything about Doug bad about Duggan personally. No, but if you want to be pissed, be pissed at Hogan and Bischoff and you know Pete, those people. We miss Duggan. Hmm. Oh, you'll love this, folks. George said this, and on a recent Marcus survey questioned by WCW, people were asked what they thought of WCW, WF, and independent wrestlers. Non-WWF and non-WCW names included the Road Warriors, Jake St. Roberts, Papa Shango, Tommy Rich, the Great Muda, Juice and Thunder Liger, as it says here, Lucian Liger, and Sabu. WCW said to be interested in Sabu once again, although not necessarily for the cruiserweight division. I just would love to see what some of these survey results were. I could just imagine. And who they were giving them out to. Yeah, was it to recent pay-per-view buyers? People on the magazine mailing list? What? I don't know. I, I gotta think that the way WCW fans were, and based on who'd been there, and I gotta think that it was mainly Road Warriors, Muda Liger, and Jake. Yeah. Maybe some Tommy Rich. Yeah. Now, speaking of the cruiser weight division. <laughs> yes, this cruiser sta uh, uh, space weight. Uh, we close with this at WCW. John Paul Levesque has caught the eye of WF management, who are said to be interested in signing him. And of course he'd be interested because they're not going to use him as a cruiser weight. <laughs> but the actual factor was... He goes to Regal for advice because they're being put together as a tag team. And Regal says, look, you're green. You need experience. We're not running many house shows. WWF, between international and everything, is still running plenty of house shows. You need to go there and get experience. Yeah. So, yes, this is all Regal's fault. <laughs> and then... Well, worth uh, that for him. Yeah. And apparently for Regal... Uh, excuse me, according to Regal, when Flair finds out that Levesque is leaving, he's freaking out because he's like, I was going to put the tag titles on you guys. <laughs> I, well, uh, it worked out for every, for uh, for two people, at least. <laughs> Paul Levesque and William Regal. Yes, absolutely. But there you go, folks. WCW, everybody. All right, let's go to the land of the rising sun now and go to All Japan Pro Wrestling. 
November 25th, Osaka Perpetual Gym for the 5200 fans. We had the Real World Tag League Tour going on. Kitaro Shiga and Shush Kikuchi over Masao Inoue and Ryokaku Zamita. Johnny Smith over Satoru Osaka. Dan Spivey and Jim Steele over Mighty Inoue and Yoshinari Ogawa. Mitsuo Mono Roshikamura over Haruka Egan and Masafuchi. Then we got a tournament match. Abdul the Butcher and Kamala 2 over the Eagle and the Falcon, Bix. Uh, Jackie Fulton slash George Hines and Jim Steele? No, Jim Steele just worked. Oh, wait. Uh, the Eagle and Falcon? Oh, both Fultons. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, Bobby. So Bobby is Falcon. If I'm not mistaken. Now... Well, because Eagle uh, was around longer. That Eagle is well, slash Jackie. Now, the thing about it now, because we just had Bobby Fulton, which that was, I think, Tate. So, yeah. yeah, it is him. It is him. So, there you go. That was a taped Saturday night. Um, um, now, is Patriot yeah. injured or something that they brought in? He's a, he's a WCW. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yes, of course. So, how many uh, tours did Falcon work, then? Not many. Okay. Then we got uh, Dory Funt Jr., Giant Bob, and Stan Hansen over Junakayama, Tsukamura, and Timon Honda. Then another real-world tag league match. Johnny Ace and Dr. Death, Steve Williams over the Can-Ams. And then Akira Tawa and Toshikawada, Holy, Holy Demon Army, went to uh, a 30-minute draw with Kenta Kobashi and Mitsuharu Masawa. Oh, maybe that was good. Maybe. Yeah, Maybe. <laughs> By the way, where did this idea come from that the name of the tournament is the World's Strongest Tag Team Determination League when all of the posters and videos say in English Real World Tag League? Uh, I mean, I've seen it both. In English? On Japanese stuff? I mean, is, I've seen that. Uh, oh, wait, is the Kanji World's Strongest Tag Team the Determination yeah, League? Yeah, basically, yeah. Yeah, basically, it's the strongest. Um, Bob uh, used the wrong English translation for it. Okay. As it says, uh, as it says here, Bob used English. That's what it says, English, for promotional material. Where are you reading? English, what Wikipedia? English is a slang term for the perceived misuse or corruption of the English language by native speakers of Japanese, as well as speakers of other Asian languages to a lesser extent. So it's just a, mis a mistranslation. World's Strongest Tag Determination League. I didn't realize the Wikipedia actually had the explanation of this. Yeah. I remember it being some, that's why I went there and looked. Yes. But anyway. Okay, so Sakai Saikyo Tagu Katai Rigosen is directly translated is world's strongest tag determination. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's one of those things that, you know, it's been called that forever here, so people just don't would really use that. So And it's what it says in you know, in English. It what is. are we supposed to it do? Is. <laughs> it is. It is. But anyway. Alright, New Japan Pro Wrestling. Kate Middle and Russia Hase catch the IWGP tag titles from the Hellraisers. Hawk and Power Warrior on November 25th in Iwate when Mudo pinned Hawk clean in the middle of the ring with a Frankenstein at 2537. This may spell the end of the Hellraiser's team since Power Warrior is going to work as Kensuke Sasaki at the Tokyo Dome. 
Middle and Hossie have two tight defensive schedule in November, and again, the Dome against the Steiners. Also on that show, Mr. No Charisma, Norio Anaka, kept the junior title pinning Wild Pegasus. Please don't even ask me to even begin to be able to explain that. <laughs> I mean, it's twofold. One, he's the interim booker. Two, Liker trusts him. Dave doesn't know those things. I think it was reported at the time that he was the booker. Maybe not. Recuperating. Well, maybe not. Dave's having a hard time uh, figuring this out, why this is happening. Hmm. Okay. But maybe not. But anyway, full results. 3,000 fans in Iwate. Black Tiger. Eddie Guerrero over Yuji Nagata. That sounds like a delightful little prelim match. In your opening match. And, and, and remember, folks, our bars just died. Uh, the what? Like, given the time difference within the last 24 hours? All right, November 25th, our bar... He dies on the 23rd, right? The 23rd, yeah. So basically, a little over a day. So he had probably just found out within the last 12 hours or so, I would think. Yeah. Maybe a little longer. Manabanakanishi over Tim Horner. El Samurai and Grand Hamada over Shinjiro Otani and Tatsuya Takeiwa. Hiro Saito and Scott Norton over J.J. Jacks, Akira Nagami and Takeyuki Yasuka. Asamu Kido, Riki Choshu, and Tadao Yasuda over Satoshi Kojima, Shinya Shimano, and Tetsumi Fujinami. Then Hanaga retained a title over Wild Pegasus. And then Hasemudo over the Hellraisers to win the tag titles. Yes, and I believe Dave is right that at least until the Triple Warriors stuff with Animal in 96, I think this is the end of the Hellraisers. Yes, pretty much. So there's that show. Then they go to Corkin on the 29th, where we have Tatsutaki Iwa over Tokumitsu Shisawa, Yuji Nagata over Satoshi Kojima, Grand Hamada and Norio Naga over El Samurai and Shinjiro Otani, JJ Jax over Samakita and Riki Choshu, Tatsumi Fujinami over Tim Horner, only went 359 though, KG Muto over Wild Pegasus, yeah, Muto and Benoit getting the singles, uh, Hiroshino Scott Norton over Hase and Tadayasuda, and the Hellraisers. Over Manabu Nakanishi and Shinya Hashimoto. Oh, I wonder who took the fall. <laughs> yeah, so good looking stuff there. Yes. Um, main thing, I guess, to mention here is, at least historically, because they got the praise at the time, boy are Hase and Mudo an underrated tag team. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, and, and this here in New Japan's underrated because everybody is going goo goo gaga over uh, all Japan, especially the heavyweights. Well, the heavyweight stuff is pretty underrated throughout a lot of the 90s, based on yeah. newsletter fan tastes. Yeah. But, uh, yes, uh, fun era of New Japan pro wrestling here. Yes. And, um, yeah, I watched that tag title match recently on one of the Vallis comms, and, uh, hell of a match. Hell of a match. All right. War. And Asaka, boy, is this a war show. Osaka Faritsu Jam on the November 29th for the 4,000 fans. Opener, Mikiko Futagami and Mizuki Endo over Jino Yakari and Michiko Omakai. Representing what promotion? I uh, don't know. Omakai's got to be really young here. Uh, Masao Orihara over Yuji Yashiroka. Ultimo Dragon and Ultimo Dragon Sito over Pirata Morgan and Piratita Morgan. Rayuma Go and Adam Hamaguchi over Nobukazu Arai and Masakurisu. The Eliminators, Perry Saturn and John Cronus over Hiroshi Itakura and Vampiro. Sure. Oh, it gets better. 
Yeah. Gato and Jado over Aka Oni and I Oni, Don Morocco and Tiger Chung Lee. Under masks and in body yeah. stockings, yes. <laughs> Tendugarichiro over Kokirahara. In, in a lumberjack match main event, Hiramichi Fuyuki over Kendo Nagasaki. This is war. Wow. <laughs> okay, so I pulled up Mishiko Omakai's cage match. She might have been a Wardoja wrestler because at least for what they have, a lot of our early results are war. I mean, some FMW, some LLPW, and then more LP. I guess it's LLPW mainly, and they had a relationship with war because LLPW is Kandori, right? Yeah. And Kandori and Tenru had the friendship going. Oh, going back years. That's probably what it is. She she was part of the LLPW crew. But there you go. But yeah, she actually works a lot for war. FMW. They ran the Tatori Industrial Gym on November 29th. They're part of 3353. No TV, everybody. Bad, bad Nurse Nakamura and Mayumi Shimizu over Keiko Awami and Yukari Shikura. Damian Say 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 over Kosaku Goshikawara. Big Titan and Ricky Fuji went to a double DQ with the Sheik and Sabu in 159. That's why it's so short, because the Sheik's involved. Old as hell. Yuki Debeno, Crush Amel, Damari, and Shar over Megumi Kudo. Come back to Yoda and Safari Mac. Skatsu Oya, Mr. Danger, Mazira Matsunaga, and Yukihiro Kanamura over Tarzan Goto. Choden, Senshin, Battle Ranger Z, and Tetsuhiro Kuroda. And their main event, a street fight. Esushinita, Kastoshi Niyama, Koji Nakagawa, and Masato Tanaka over Mr. Pogo, the Gladiator, Mike Awesome, Hideki Asaka, and Bad Boy Hito. Hmm. FMW-tastic. I just thought of something. This never hit me before. Mm-hmm. Were any of the FMW women trained by the promotion? There were like I'm one sure. or two. I'm sure, right? yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm sure there had to be. But... You you realize because they never really bolstered the division that much. Like I think there were only there weren't that many women that debuted past the early days, um, at least in the original FMW run. I wonder how much of that is just that the original crew is you know these, you know, for lack of a better term, misfit, rejected after finishing up at All Japan Women for quote unquote not being good enough. And just because it's FMW, they just didn't have more women signing up for their dojo later. No. Yeah. But anyway. All right. uh, SPWF. Yes. Social Progress Wrestling Federation. Two shows to talk about. Chiba Park Gym on the November 25th in 1850. Hustler and Koji Ana over Hideyuki, excuse me, Takahashi. And Yuki Nishio. Double Hopper and Exciting Yoshida over Dangerous Uchida and Unknown Opponent and Unknown Partner. Masahiko Takasuki over Deuce. No, Domino was not there for this and match. No, that's not Saka Jr. Of course not. Goro Shirumi over Hikaru Kawabata. Is that Kishin Kawabata? Uh, yes. Okay. Koichiro Kimura over an Unknown Opponent. <laughs> Isamu Tiranishi and Kamikaze over Masayoshi Motegi and Ryo Miyake. And then our main event of this spectacular, 
Ichiro Yaguchi and Isao Takagi over Keisuke Yamada and Yoshiaki Yatsu. Now let's go to November 29th, and this show's even crazier. At the Tokoname City Arena, Keisuke Yamada over Masiko Kochi in your opener. Ultraman Robin over Hideki Ogiso. Goro Shirumi over Masiko Takasugi. King Cobra. Now, this can't be right, but the wrestling data and cage match both list this as the Memphis King Cobra over a team that teaming up with Yoshiko Tamura and Ukiyotai Side to be unknown opponent, Dandy Takayan and Ukiyote Ring. That cannot be King Cobra from Memphis. I just can't. Well, also because exactly. there's no foreigners on this tour anyway. No, exactly. Exciting Yoshida and the Samoteri Nishi over Dangerous Yoshida and Yuki Nishino. Hiromi Yagi over Roshi Samada. Ichiro Yoguchi over Shogo Shigata. And Apollo Shigawara and Yoshiaki Yatsu over Asao Takagi and Kishin Kawabata. Wait a second. Is Hiroshi a non-gendered, like a non, or excuse me, I should say gender neutral name? Or is Hiromi Hiromi Yagi in an intergender match here? Intergender match. Okay, because I don't remember anything about Hiroshi Samada. What was the one on the other show then? Uh, you had Yoshiko Tamura, Tamura, doing the same show. Okay. So, the same show. Interesting. What a lineup on these shows. Good Lord of mercy. <laughs> Woof. Indie scum to the T. And, and we just keep going. Wing. They ran Himeji Japan on November 29th. We have Bad Boy Hito over Rio Miyake. Miguel Perez Jr. over The Winger. Jason the Terrible over Jado by disqualification. Crush the Terminator, Morris, over Crypt the Keeper, Bob Bergale. Wait, so it's Crash the Terminator. This is a typo or something because the other Terminator is Bash, who's PCO. Yeah. It says Crush here, but still Yeah, that was a common mistake in that era. Miguel Perez Jr. over Gato by disqualification, and the Headhunters over Nobutaka Araya and Shoji Nakamaki. Well, if it's a Headhunters match with Nakamaki in this era, I'm guessing he got moonsaulted between some barbed wire boards or something. Obviously something like that happened, yes, but there was no gimmicks on this on show, so yeah, as well, far as match. Well, also, wait a second, so November 29th? Aren't the Headhunters already in IWA? Not, not, not here. They're working wing right now, so... Okay, a little bit longer than I guess. Huh. All right, All Japan Women. They ran Toyota Japan on November 25th. We have Yoshika Tamara over Yumi Fujimoto. Yoko Takahashi and Masai Watanabe. No. <laughs> over Nobu Endo and Mina Tanayama. Uh, of course, Masai Watanabe, Masai Genki. Mina Tanayama, Tanny Mouse. Oh, that's right. And uh, and uh, what? The, I know her. And she kept she kept her last name, but what was her name later? Sayendo. Yeah, Sayendo. Yeah. Then we have Tomoko Watanabe over Kamiko Makawa, Aja Kong and Eskomita over Jungle Jack, Karito and Sakashigawa, Toshiyabara over Biba Shibota, and Manami Toyota and Yumiko Hota over Double Inaway. Kyoko in a way, I mean Kyoko in a way, and Takako in a way. And at this point, I'm guessing the Jungle Jack stable is dissolved, since I think Bison Kimura's retired, right? Yeah. So and Kong is clearly not in it anymore. So it's just Ito and Hasegawa. Mm-hmm. 
And JWP, they ran Tokyo on uh, the Herman 27 on a 1650. We have Chigusa de Gallo, Nochi over Hiromi Shugo and Hiromi Yagi. Dharamite Kensa over Bama Hikari. Devil Masami over Karu. Mayomi Ozaki and Hikaru Fukuoka over Kirisuki and Candy Okutsu in the main event. Pretty good sounding card there. No. Yeah. And this has to be very early for her being all caps Keiru, right? Yeah. And now let's go to Germany, where we have uh, two shows for Auto Vance CWA. And a third show from another promotion. Yeah, November 25th at the Stad Hall in Bremen. We have Eric Watts over Johnny South. Why couldn't he be Legend of Doom here? <laughs> Dan Collins over the Ice Train by disqualification. Oh my God. Spartacus. I Woo! am Spartacus. Over Stephen Casey, European Steve Casey, British Steve Casey. Who's August Weissel? Yeah, I'm not sure. August Weissel and Franz Schumann over Kenemal Grizzly and Hiroyoshi Yamamoto, Tenzan. And then Fifth Finley over Tony St. Clair in a cage. Then the next day, same venue, Eric Watts over Hiroshi Yamamoto in your opener. Yes. A steel cage match, Stephen Casey over Tattoo Samoa. John Hawk, Bradshaw over Franz Schumann, Cannonball Grizzly over Ulf Herman, and Ice Train and Rambo, Luke Poirier over Dan Collins and Spartacus. And according to Cage Match, which I gotta think is right for a German wrestler, Spartacus is, it's, I mean, it seems like this is the main gimmick name he used. Real name and other wrestling name, I guess, was uh, Jacques Pichur. And Tattoo Samoa was C.B. Afi. 1994? <laughs> yes. Working for Otto? In a cage match against British Steve Casey. Huh. <laughs> Why not? Why not? Full list and of names, we... by the way, at, at cage match for C.B. Afi. C.B. Afi, C.B. Afi, Afi, High Chief Afi, Superfly Afi, Max Tambula, Tattoo Samoa, Maori Head Shrinker and Duke Kono. Jimmy and Jimmy Offie isn't on there either. Where was he? Jimmy he was Offie. Jimmy Offie in Portland. Oh my god. The most. <laughs> the last results for him are from 97. Um, We have some CWA Ohio. I guess that's where he was based. And also some. Whatever. Something. It just says CW, but it's also Ohio. But the last two matches for him, back-to-back nights in April 97, Siva Afi versus T-Rantula. <laughs> oh my god, he had a Preston Steele match. Thunder Morgan, Lord Zoltan, of course. Oh, I'm pretty sure he had all this, though, yeah. Yeah, so he he was in the Pittsburgh and Ohio indie circuit at the end of his career. All right. Um... Yeah, let's go to another promotion in Germany. Another group, WPW. They run the Stadthall in Gutterslauf, Germany, for 200 fans. We have Jason Neidhart or a firefighter, Adrian Bix. Jason Anderson, of course. But firefighter Adrian. Uh, refresh my memory on that one. Bix. I don't remember. Is that Firebreaker Chip? That's the guy that played Thunder Warrior. Remember Thunder Warrior? No. You remember Thunder Warrior? Hold on, I'm pulling up his. He was one of the. He, he was one of those uh, Western Canadian dudes. 
I think if I remember correctly, he's like a Ultimate Warrior. He, he even did a global thing in Texas. He did like an Ultimate Warrior type ripoff deal. If I remember correctly, I'm looking. It looks like he worked one taping as Thunder Warrior in Global, yes, in '93. I thought you remember that one. Well, uh, on the TV then. Timothy Flowers, Diamond Timothy Flowers over the Magnificent Zulu. Oh, Ron Pope. In 1994? The Natural, Don Callis over the Pitbull Kid. Um, So wait a second. I'm looking at the other results here. Okay, let's let's get through the results first, and then I'll comment on this. La Briosa and Ronda Singh over Lola Gonzalez and Neftali. Bad News Allen over a Doink the Clown. Yeah. And then Bruce and Keith Hart over Gama Singh and Champagne Jerry Morrow. In other words, Bruce and Keith Hart took a Thanksgiving book week booking in Germany for a free vacation while school was out. They did a little tour. Okay. Yeah. So here's what, okay. So in tra- terms of trying to figure out two things here, one is, did Ron Pope settle in Western Canada? Well, yeah, I think so. Okay. Because every, everyone other than the Luchadoras, who are clearly booked here, you know, by Ronda Singh, so that at least makes sense. These are all Western Canadian people. I'm assuming Doink is just some, you know, whoever. I don't know who. Uh, Pitbull Kid? Who's that? Uh, don't know. So this is... It's a little weird also. I mean, I guess it's a different part of Germany and they're running on a smaller scale, but but you're booking all international talent. Like why are you booking this all international tour opposite Eurocatch Festival time of year TWA? Hey, if somebody's willing to pay for it, who cares? You know what I'm saying? Oh, this is Dennis Himmler. If if it's like a- is correct. It's like Bo James said on, uh, you know, the uh, Patreon show whenever John Collins pay for talent showed up and he said, come on, on in. <laughs> so that's like, hey, I don't care. Shit, fuck it. OK, so, yes, this is Dennis Himmler from the Alberta indie scene who wrestled as Pitbull Kid and also under his real name. And uh I could see why he didn't use the Himmler name in German. Yeah. I mean, but he, he wrestled this <laughs> pitbull kid anyway. But yeah. Huh. But yeah, I'm looking at like outside of this tour, you see results from Canadian Rocky Mountain Wrestling, CAWF, you know, all Alberta stuff. So yeah. I'm guessing that this tour was booked by Don Callis, Bad News, or Gama or Moro, one of them. Whoever. Let's go to Mexico now, and boy, is it in a flux. As we mentioned earlier, that our bars just died. And Dave knows that things are largely in a state of unknown right now. Now, he's not even really talking about our bar when he's talking about this. It's pretty evident the promotion failed to capitalize in the United States on whatever momentum they came out of the pay-per-view with. There's talk of a monthly Saturday night 11 p.m. Uh, Univision national special, which would be a great time slot. It's about the number one rated Spanish language program in the country, although that isn't a done deal. The show would be either a 90-minute or two-hour format, similar to the old Saturday night's main event format. Not even any hints of English language television. There's talk about coming U.S. dates, but nothing's definite other than plans to run April 23rd, 1994, 
with a pay-per-view with WCW, tending from Milwaukee. While Spanish-language music acts have drawn to Milwaukee, pro wrestlers differ from music, and Galavision isn't on cable in Milwaukee, which means since Gala scrambled and that she can't get on a dish any longer, that there is zero television coverage in the market. There's no U.S. promotion that would even consider doing a pay-per-view from that market, from a market without any local TV, let alone, in this case, a market with no local nor any cable. A live site could be changed, and Dave suspects it will be. But do a pay-per-view from an unproven market doesn't make any sense because no matter how strong the work rate of any new show is, in the wrong context, and with no audience reaction, it comes across as a dead show. With a new product, it's hard to imagine getting a strong audience reaction, let alone getting even an audience, when nobody would even know the scenarios of the wrestlers. Until the television situation changes, there are only 10 markets that could even be considered as having the possibility of running successful shows in because the cable reaches enough homes. Those markets are L.A., New York, Miami, San Jose, San Antonio, Chicago, Houston, Albuquerque, Fresno, and Corpus Christi, and perhaps El Paso because local television coming in from the strong Juarez station. Of those, Los Angeles, San Jose, and Chicago look to be proven winners. Fresno is unproven, but a probable winner. Says LA indie promoters that use Ultima Dragon against Negro Casas with no TV locally drew about 2,000 fans there over the summer. San Antonio proved already to be a loser despite strong cable penetration. Miami is a probable loser because the Hispanic population is either largely Haitian or Cuban with no growing up ties to names like El Santo or Pedro Aguayo, and the rest are maybes. Although they may be stuck with WCW because they may not have enough behind them to run a baby on their own. This is becoming more obviously a doomed relationship by the week. For all the reasons that came out in the promotion of the previous show, it'll only get worse on a second show because much of WCW, for obvious reasons, has no interest in it succeeding and a lot simply want to go away. In fact, WCW never even mentioned the preview show once on television after the fact, nor has shown any interest in exposing the product or any of the wrestlers on his television to build for future pay-per-views, shows and, maintain, shows and maintains the momentum uh, garnered by a successful first show, has made clear his commitment to getting the product over, although that was already made clear by the promotion of the first show. In addition, and Dave doesn't know all the details of this, WCW apparently violated his agreement with Televisa, which owns AAA, by putting his syndication on Televisa's rival Imovision in Mexico. <laughs> of course they would. A deal had been completed before the preview where WCW would go, go on Imovision, which turned into a major stumbling block in preview negotiations to the point there were threats it would kill the entire project. WCW agreed not to go on television in Mexico, and Televisa agreed to work with them on the pay-per-view. But three said the pay-per-view, WCW went up on television in Mexico after all. If it was another promotion, Dave suggests WCW dealt with bad, in bad faith, but it very well may be some be a lack of communication within the company. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when Worlds Collide was that deal, I mean, basically, at this point in time in WCW, we're, okay, we got to do it. Let's get it over with. We've done it. When we're through it. Especially with who's, especially with the powers that be now in WCW. Yeah, it doesn't work for them, brother. No, but um, yeah, I mean, that that that's not the only thing that that messes up AAA's U.S. chances. It's all the other stuff, you know, the infighting with their promoters in the United States, evaluation uh, of the peso, that our bar dying. I mean, there's a lot that, that that goes into this. Yeah. What are your, you know, what, what are your thoughts? Now, real quick, just because I forget. Because our weeks... So wait, which day did you say our, our partial week started? The 25th. Okay, so two days after Arc died. Have we, I know we did the Patreon Which we covered show. that week. We covered that week. Uh, like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, 
We covered that week on show 277, so last year. I couldn't remember the exact context. Okay, so we've talked about the death and and a few times in some of the aftermath on the Patreon show, but I know we'll be talking about more later. Um, Just everything happened one after the other at the worst possible time. Yeah. One thing I'd love to know that I don't think ever came out... Um, we know, you know, we know what the buy rate and I guess the total buys were for when worlds collide. Do we have any idea what the split on English versus Spanish feeds was? Or was it just an SAP? Or did, because I, I, if I remember right, you had to specifically order English or Spanish. I, I wouldn't know. I don't know. Okay. Maybe it was, because I don't think, if you watch the pay-per-view, I don't think there's an SAP logo on screen at any point. I'm pretty sure it was some kind of separate feed. Um, so if it was that, I'd be curious to see what the split was. But I don't know. I mean, how much, how much momentum did they really have, though? If they had been promoted, no, that's what I'm saying. If they had been promoted more strongly on WCW programming and they had recapped the pay-per-view and stuff, even if the pay-per-view didn't do particularly well, I'd say they still would have had some momentum just from the exposure. They had momentum in certain markets. That's all they had. Chicago, uh, Los Angeles, stuff like that. That's where they had their momentum at. That, that the, This is Dave being too deep in the forest city trees. You know? Yeah. They didn't have no momentum anywhere else. He just named the list of cities where they could have conceivably ran a show in, and all and all of them are generally located in the same area. I mean, there's, I mean, how many markets were in California? I mean, good lord. All right, let's see. One, two, three. Three of that group is California. Then you got one, two, three in Texas. So six out of the ten are California and Texas. Which are the second and third biggest states in country and the two biggest in the continental u.s so it's yeah, like it's multiple still, markets yeah but still it's well they're not all huge no la i mean la and houston but fresno corpus san antonio san jose they're not major 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 markets now of course new york's on the list chicago's on the list but still and they had some momentum in new york so some the MSG theater show drew well, and they were on Galavision, at least in New York City. Some, yeah. But anyway. They, well, the the big problems are about to come. So, like the, the peso, which nobody knows yet, when that happens, that really puts a big hurt on everybody. So, Well, because also, doesn't it end up being devalued, like, multiple times over the course of several yes. weeks? Yes. Yeah. Which, it was going to hurt anyway, but they were also relying on so many people from out of the country as big draws that it made things even worse. Mm-hmm. You know, the the all the only one that stays for any length of time after the devaluation is Conan. Yeah, I mean, and normally you really don't think of him, though, as, as by this point in time, at least, as, you know, not a non-regular, so... Uh, it's right. December 20th is when it happens. Yeah. So we're about a month away. Uh, in the ring, as expected, Latin Lover ended the, his Monterey long time feud with Sanguinario, now King Leon, with a Leon mask. 
beating him in the Caballero Costa Caballero match on November 27th. Even though both guys are green, this was very good because it was both in their hometowns where they feuded for years and the heat was incredible. The place was packed and there were banners and fan clubs for little girls for both guys. So they were to go so long they trust each other and did some great stuff, even though at other points there was the hesitation. So you could see neither is a polished worker. Latin won it, finally won with an upside down camel clutch submission. Uh, it's during 5500, we have Espiritu 1, Espiritu 2, and Francisco Guerrero over Mascarita Sagrada, Otagoncito, and Suñequito. Baby Toscano, yes, that is Toscano, Tarzan Boy, Sergio Romo Jr. in Winners, Bizo Negro over Picudo, Prospero Rebelde, and Ravagna. Heavy Metal, Petero del Ring, and Volador over Francisco Guerrero, Terry Estrada, and Misterioso, three and a half stars. Angel Blanco Jr., Fishman, and a mystery partner, not named, defeated Liz Mark, Mascara Sagrada, and Paraguay by DQ, and then Latin Love over Sangonario in the hair match, three and a half stars. So there's that show. Then we go to Nuevo Laredo the next day, where this was taped for TV for 9,000 fans for a subpar show because most of the guys are still shell-shocked by the death of our bar. They did a 10-bell salute in the ring, and Cody Antonio lost it to the point they edited off television and was out of it in the ring for the main event, which featured an eight-man match billed as Rudos de USA versus Rudos de Mexico, where Mysterioso and Chicano Power replaced uh, Love Machine and Madonna's boyfriend, Luis Piccoli, teaming with Conan and King Leon against Cien Carras, Fishman, Jerry Estrada, and Blue Panther, went, going to a WDQ in a very bad main event. Only good match on the show was the mixed match with Rey Mysterio Jr., Sumi Muñeco, and Sumi Muñequito, beating Sakosa, Sumitu Guerrero, and Fuesita Guerrero in straight falls. Rey destroyed Hoovy the entire match, ripped up his mask, blading him right on camera, and biting the cut and even worked like a, a Rudo turn by refusing to pin him. He even picked him up for the tombstone, but teased doing it and then put him down. After pinning him, he continued to abuse Sumi Muñequito, and Fuesita Guerrero ran in and covered up his son. Rey pull, pulled him off and he continued to abuse Sumi they wound up with, with Bray and Hoobie going back and forth issuing uh, hair mask challenges. Excuse me, this is Ray Sr., not Jr. Pardon me. I'm sorry. With Fuerza and Hoobie winning the tag belts four days later, it's just a natural feud with Ray, Ray Jr. There you go. All right, uh, rest of the car here. Chicago, Savaje, and Kendo uh, went up against Traton and Zombie. Then we have Kickboxer, Pantera de Ring, and Subacalo. Beating Hikotombe, Marimoto, and Terremoto by DQ. Rey Mysterio Sr., Sumuñeco, Sumuñequito, Pacito Guerrero, Junta Guerrero, and Sicosis. El Charo, El Mariachi, and El Mexicano over Dracula. Io del Spectro and La Parca. And Chicano Power, King Leon, Conan, and Mysterio Silva, Mufantos, Ciencaras, Fishman, and Chair Estrada. Well, that was a double DQ, but there you go. Um, yeah, I mean, that had to be extremely tough for the guys who were close to our bar to be working this. Uh, I mean, I know he's been dead for six days, but still very close, you know, and this is their first, you know, some of their first big shows since then. So yeah, it's going to definitely affect them emotionally. Well, both com- in both companies too. Cause as we've talked about, I think we talked about in detail on the art bar Patreon show, the foreigners from both companies were all best friends pretty much. Yeah. Because they're all living in the same hotel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So it's definitely understandable why they would not be motivated to work. Now, they had a split crew. All right, so you had 9,000 at this show. They were in Reynosa that same day at the baseball stadium and drew 10,000 fans. Um, so it's Northern Mexico, so we're going to have some talent on here as well. Uh, this well, on another show, Pedro Sr., Lise Walker, Moscato Sagrado went against Fisherman Espetro and Anjo Blanco Jr. Huge crowd considering what was on top, but a very short on the card. Ray Jr., Heavy Metal and Latin Lover against Sicosas, Fueros, and Juventud. Oof. And then the Payasos against the Tortores, Balian Segura, and Kickboxer against Diab- Diabolicos. Yeah, that's a fucking awesome show from the lineup. Jeez, good lord. What the? <laughs> and that's not even the TV taping. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, okay. You know what? I was digging because I thought that there was something I could find. This is not from our week. This is technically published in... Wait, where did it go? Oh, here we go. In January. But it well, looks like... like it, in month. Well, no, no. Here's why I'm. Here's where I'm going with this. This appears to have been held back from earlier, as you'll see. There's an article in the January 2nd issue of Amusement Business by Dan Denton, you know, the former wrestler who wrote various things for them, and I, I think some wrestling-related, some not. IWC AAA's spin on Lucha Libre takes wrestling world by storm. And this isn't long, but you'll see why I'm reading it and why it seems notable. Now, I'm not going not gonna to read the whole thing, because, you know, some of it's just setting the table. But jump ahead here. Uh, talking about Lucha Libre. Okay, so we go to a Ron Scholar quote. In Los Angeles, I don't think anybody could compete with us on a regular basis. Maybe a WrestleMania or something like that, but not a regular house show. We just did a pay-per-view show out of the LA Sports Arena and had a paid attendance of 12024 for a gross of $202,464. The capacity for the building is 13500 We would have sold out except for the fact that it's a pay-per-view, which you drew more than that multiple times in that build. Uh, anyway, uh... That's an impressive gross, considering the fact that Lucha shows have yet to tap their potential in the U.S. market. The group started promoting live shows in the U.S. in 93, uh, aimed at Hispanic population, and then Scholar gives some other attendance figures, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah, wait a second. First, he says the capacity is 13,500, and then he talks about the other L.A. shows, and he says the first one drew 18,000 people with about 8,000 turned away, according to estimates by the L.A. Sports Arena. Um, They really didn't set up. Aside that much space for an entrance set, did they? No. Okay. I mean, some space. Um, here's one way you can tell, though, that this is do- this was done right after the pay-per-view. Dave Meltzer is editor and publisher of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, which tracks the industry both in and out of the ring. Meltzer's been following business and wrestling for a number of years and has seen a lot of things come and go. Their business is phenomenal, he said. They grossed more money in 1993 in two nights than WCW did in three months of running four or five nights a week. Although they're limited in what markets they can do, they really seem to be taking off. For 1995, the group is going to try to take the product into new markets and develop some of their existing ones. Excuse me, as well as develop some of their existing ones. And then they talk about the Rosemont Horizon show, 4,600 people, $97,000. Paramount Theater in New York, $2,899,000. And then he says, talking... Los Angeles will be the base, Scholar said. We'll run in L.A. four times a year. We'll also go to San Jose and back to Chicago and New York. We'd like to run in Texas as well. Might be able to put together a run of Houston, San Antonio, and El Paso, for example. 
So I'm guessing Dave is being told all these things from Ron Scholar around the same time as well. And unfortunately, between Scholar's issues with Pena, Peso, Art Bar, everything else, none of this really happens. No. So. Yes. Now, back to AAA. A lot of internal changes coming back from Japan. Of course, they had the Japanese tool. After watching New Japan does things, Antonio Pena has appointed Blue Panther as an assistant booker. Pena has never used an assistant and had run backstage by himself. So Panther's going to run backstage so he can watch all the matches. All the wrestlers have to come one hour early to the buildings. No chairs, no brawling outside the ring, and no blood in prelim matches. Prelims will all be one fall. They're not protecting finishes. And if any move is used as a finishing move on the card, it can't be used by anyone else on the card, which also keeps finishes from being repeated on the shows. While this isn't a definite, at the December 2nd Gymnasia Juan de la Barreto show, the top matches they are changing the tag team rules as an experiment for changing them permanently in 1995. All matches are captain's fall matches, which means only the captain can lose the fall. No more of those simultaneous pin finishes. Although if a non-captain member of a team loses the fall, the fall doesn't count, but that man is limited for the batch. Also, they changed the rules so that you need tags like American and Japanese styles, to exchange. Fullman for wrestler was not down the rain. Their partner could replace them without attack. And double-teaming is only allowed for a five-count rather than the wide-latitude double-teaming by the Derudos, as discussed in Mexico. The idea behind all these changes is to make the product more credible and more appealing in foreign markets because Pena saw New Japan wouldn't allow them to do their rules and style. Dave gets the attitude is that he knows the world is going to change to his rules, so if he's going international, he has to work within the rules everyone else uses. Nearly everyone Dave's talked with has a positive reaction to these changes, but Dave's a lot more skeptical about changing the actual rules and play of tag matches because this style is faster paced and more explosive finishing, and part of the reason are differentiation in the rules. This does not last long, the rule changes, at all. No. And weeks at most, right? Yes, yeah, it's, it's not long, but Pena, he got inspired when he was in Japan, and that's how he wanted to implement that style in Mexico just for the fact that he need he was planning on growing internationally. But like you said, I guess we can also say that if, you know, all his problems doesn't happen though, and if Hesa doesn't crash and they're able to tour internationally, this, this may have stayed. Maybe. You know? it really, the big takeaway I have here though, is from the earlier part with the blue Panther running is the running the locker room during the show thing. This reads like Pena wants to watch the whole show so he can agent all the matches, basically. Yeah, but he never had an assistant booker either, so there's that. Which also, when does Conan become assistant booker? I uh, don't know. I always forget that he wasn't yet. But there's AAA. Let's go CMLL. November 24th for New Mexico. 2,000 fans. We only have the main matches. Hector Garza, Humberto Garza, and Katakuni over Inspector Jr., Felino, and Omaraca Javier Cruz, three-quarter of a star. Brazo de Plata, La Fiera, and Ultimo Dragon over Bestia Savaje, Black Magic, No Masmali, and El Brazo, star and a quarter. Dr. Biden Jr., and Peroff beat Apollo Taste and Vampiro in a CMLO tag title tournament uh, quarterfinal match. And Emilio Chavez Jr., and, and that was a dud, and Emilio Chavez Jr. and Satarico beat Atlantis and Corazón de Leo. Chris Jericho in the tag title tournament qual- uh, quarterfinal match. Two and a half stars. Um, I take it that since the results you pasted here from Lucha DB, 
give the sources as Rob Bahari and the complete list of Jericho means that we had more incomplete results until a few months ago. Possibly, yeah, and the star ratings are from Steve. So mm-hmm. there you go. Don't lose you. Where would they have been published at this time? I don't know. If there's star ratings here, that's where they're coming from. No, I know. I'm just saying. I don't know. Because there's no Lucha Libre Weekly. We'd probably send to Dave. Also, I so. just I realized the uh, the line spacing threw off some of the other star ratings. Not just the last one. Um, first one, I'm not sure based on the way it's formatted, but the the El Brazo versus Brazo de Plata tag should have been two and a quarter stars. For is it? No, you know what? No, he puts a star before it because he says star dud on some of them. So no, that was correct. This is very oddly formatted. <laughs> like anyway. One and a half star, or I don't know if that's one and a half or half, but anyway. For reasons nobody seems clear of, the Galavision television show in the United States on December 3rd aired ma- mainly the November 25th Marine Mexico show. Now, I'm putting this here because this is about the Marine Mexico show. Instead of AAA, they are two AAA matches to four CMLO matches. No explanation as to why or this is a one-time thing or it's going to be a new thing. They had the two trios matches attacked from the semifinals. The show didn't air the in-ring ceremony regarding Love Machine's death, as we talked about earlier, although the announcement made frequent references to it, including introducing Black Magic in his ring introduction as a close friend of Love Machine's. It's amazing the cultural differences, because with the exception of when Bruce Brody died, only in Japan has Dave ever seen a case where promotion would call attention and pay tribute to a deceased wrestler from departed wrestler from rival promotion at the Mexico. Nine times out of ten in the U.S., the big promotion wouldn't even acknowledge if a wrestler was a star with the organization. Think how much TV time deaths of people like Dick Bruiser, Bruiser Brody, Dino Bravo, Adrian Adonis, Carrie Van Buddy Rogers, and Buzz Sawyer, etc., received on WF and WCW broadcasts, even though all three were hu- all the, were huge stars at one point in their career, were one or the other. Probably for that reason, the matches were terrible. Even the guys who could work in there were most of the guys. Amelia being the exception, wrestling totally spaced out and distracted the crowd, not much into it much. Got Dave got his first chance to see the Garzas. We're two rookies from Monterrey, or second generation wrestlers, and they look really green and didn't show anything special. <laughs> um, so Dave saw about the CMLO show and guy, and like you were saying, guys being shook up over our bar's death on this show too. Yep. On television, the past few weeks have been pushing a feud of Black Magic and La Fiera. Although Fiera had already began a r- rudo turn in the Rena Claudio show on Tuesday and again Thursday at Pista Rena Revolution. The wrestler works Friday in Japan as Aguila Negro works here as Zumbido, a green wrestler who is also nothing special, Bix. How well, dare he least, say that about the future Zumbi, 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 Zumbidoski? At least, I mean, they're, they're young and well, yeah. kind of... I mean, can't, can't judge them just yet. You gotta let them grow. Not everybody is Junakiyama. No. Or Hoovy. Or Hoobie, yes. Or Kurt Angle in the future. But anyway. All right, UWA. As we close that minute's go. Rina Neza, No Torreo Show, November 25th. Trisho Siso and Sinistrito of our Aspirantito and Ludvigo, Ludvigcito Star. Ludvigcito Star? Yeah. I'm assuming there's a Ludwig Star that the yeah, guy's Ludwig the mini star. of, but wow. Yeah. He's a um, Acapulco guy, too. Hmm. Uh, Leopardo Negro 1 and 2 over Blackbird 1 and 2. Loco Valentino and Super Crazy team with Taraco to be 
Sagrado, Samarista, and Gamma, not the uh, Japanese Gamma, Aeroflash, Nueva Das, and the King! Or should I say El Rey? No, but he is the King. Yeah, I know. Over Negro Navarro, Retador, and Enrique Santana. And then we have El Signo, and Viano Tercero, and Viano Cuatro, over Mr. Yak, Scorpio Jr., and Shu El Guerrero. Nothing like looking at a 1994 UWA show and still being able to say, this is kind of a weak lineup on paper. <laughs> yeah, it's weak eye. Uh, yeah, wow. Very weak. Yeah. But, and yet they still keep going a little longer. Somehow. Yeah. Now, somehow, somehow. Is this Leopardo Negro 1 and 2? Are, are these Mexicans? Or is this Hans or yes. Nakajima a partner? No, I think they're Mexican. Okay. So wait, did they come after the Japanese Leopardo Negro then? Uh, there was one, I think there was one in the 80s. Let's see what Lutruicki says. Or was he Le- or was he Leopard Negro in Mishinoku Prep? No, he was Leopardo. Okay. Lutruicki has Leopardo Negro 1, who Viana 4 defeated for his mask. And Viano 4 had originally been Leopardo Negro 2 and Leopardo Negro himself, apparently. There you go. Um, let me see. Yeah, so he was, though, that was him for 82, 83. So yeah, the, it, it, the, and then wait, this guy lost, okay, so they're not, he's not even masked because he lost it to a Leopardo Negro 2. No, but he lost it to the one who became Viano. So they were feuding, I guess, after splitting in 82 so the leopardo negro 2 here if this is the same leopardo negro 1 is a different leopardo negro 2 no one would know the identity of yeah also have you ever seen his mask no it's very similar to the viano's mask i wonder if this jose artiega is a relative of the vendoza's given all that but anyway, yeah, UWA not looking good here in the dying days. But anyway, that's it for the first half of the show. It's halftime. So after some great 1994 commercials, we'll pivot to the halftime segment where we'll again talk about Patreon. We'll hit the plugs, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about ECW television. We'll have news on those indie shows in Georgia that outdrew WCW exponentially. Thanksgiving Thunder Tour and Smoky Mountain Wrestling, USWA, AWF, so much more after the break. Stick around for more cartoons in a moment on TNT. Look what's new in the world of Domino Rally. It's the Domino Rally Extreme Action Set. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Radical. With a Domino Theater, the fun never has to stop. Yeah! Cool. The Domino Rally Extreme Action Set. You can add it to all other Domino Rally sets. Domino Theater sold separately. What on earth will they think of next? Vroom, vroom! Wanna race? I'm squirming to go. Ready, set, squirm! Go, go, worms! Go, go, worms! Pop them out! Watch them squirm! Better move fast, don't have much time! Go, go, worms! For the finish line! It's go, go, worms! Pop in the dough! Make your worms go! But if the dice comes up, Mr. Tom! I think so off! But I'm still in the race! First to the finish wins! Move fast, don't have much time! Go, go, worms! Ah! 
Daniel. Go, go, worms. I triple dog dare you. Darren McGavin hosts A Christmas Story, Thursday night at 8 on TNT. Announcing a revolution on wheels, Ricochet. And now that it's loose, the RC world will never be the same. Ricochet's virtually unstoppable. Total twin body technology lets Ricochet do punishing, pulverizing stunts, and hits the ground running every time. Drive it like you hate it. Want to try this with some ordinary RC? I don't think so. The RC world will never be the same. The virtually unstoppable Ricochet lets the revolution begin. Vehicles and battery pack each sold separately. Everybody's running to get thin ice. Take the tweezer in your hand and pick a marble from the stand. You're on thin ice. You're on thin ice. Quick, put your marble right on top and pass the tweezer before they drop. You're on thin ice. Thin ice from Pressman. It's cool. How's your balance? Test it with Topple, the fun, exciting game of balance. Roll to see where you go, making points for each full row. Four more, and you score! Unless Topple topples! Topple from Pressman. Friday night NBA scouting report. Knicks versus Magic. Fighting at eight on TNT. Well, that dude is the season to be Smurfy on TNT. All right, back. I hope you enjoyed those great 1994 commercials as we pivot to the halftime segment of the show. Where we'll talk about Patreon again. Patreon.com slash between the sheets. We had a big plug at the beginning of the show, so we'll do a little little uh, plug here. Well, New we show. do have some clarity on something we mentioned at the beginning, though. Um, oh, yeah. I did, uh, so I dug in as far as the whole uh, save if you buy a year up front thing. So the most you can do is 16% off. So that's how it is. It's like $50 and change for anyone who wants to do the year up front, which I don't know if there's a gift option that Patreon provides or not, or if you just have to set up an account for a friend to do something like that. But yeah, so it comes out to about, yeah, a little less than $10 off if you do the year up front. And it's still saving money. So there's that. Yes. I don't know why they wouldn't let you set a specific price. It had to be percent off up to 16%. Weird. But anyway... All right, so uh, that's if you want to gift someone a uh, mem- membership to patreon.com slash between the sheets. And, you know, well, it's not you know, just a gift. It's, you can do that for yourself. But anyway. Well, I, yeah, I guess. I added that option there, though, because it wouldn't really be possible to gift anything otherwise. So Either or. But anyway, um, $5 a month is a normal thing. And, uh, you know, that whole special deal, if you want to be part of that. But, yeah, the new show is up. Uh, part one of our two-part series on John Collins' main event championship wrestling. So, yeah, we had the big plug up again in the show. I'm sure all of you that listen to this heard that. So we're not going to go through that again here. But, anyway, definitely go check that out. And tell everybody you know, our wrestling fans, to listen to that. Because it's going to be quite the series. And, again, finals a month, patreon.com slash between the sheets. Listen to all the audio that we've done in the five plus years of our Patreon. Dollar Month gets you access to the Slack chat and thanks in this segment. Or excuse me, Discord. Still say Slack chat sometimes. Uh, $25 allows you to pick a show for the week. Make sure that you pick a show we haven't done already. Have a backup choice handy just in case that it's a show. Not just a show we haven't done already, but a show somebody else may have picked. As our calendar starting to fill up. We, we get more and more uh, shows for 2022. So definitely want to make sure that... Um, you get yours in that you want that you want us to talk about. I know, yes, we've been doing this for 
over six years now, six and a half years just about. So uh, we've done a lot of weeks, but there's still a lot of weeks that we haven't done. So uh, do your research, check it out, see uh, see what you want to talk about, and get that information in there. And make sure you do this within 30 days, hopefully uh, before then. Uh, make sure you follow the the page. And let me let me emphasize this. Make sure you follow the protocol on the Patreon website on to how to get this information in the Bix because to the letter, Bix, yes. Me and Bix were talking the other day, and he found stuff that people had sent that was not tagged correctly. So, luckily, this for shows in the future that you know it's nothing that was an immediate problem. But please, we do not want to miss out. On your picks. I have Gmail filters set up. That is why I specifically say use this subject line. Yeah, so everybody followed the procedure correctly, and then you'll have your show set up, and we won't have any issues. That's, we don't want issues. We want to make everybody happy. So yes. do that, everything will be fine. Yes. Now, I may set up a Google form or something to make it more uniform so we don't have to worry about that, but for now, yeah, follow it to the letter. Yes. Uh, $50 a month allows you uh, an opportunity to uh, sit in for a segment of the show if you choose, and 100 for the whole show if you choose. So patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right, Bix, who do you think this week is our new and or returning patrons? All right. Well, we're recording this right before the Patreon show came out, so still a little yeah, bit slower part day of the Day before Thanksgiving, yes. yes. All right, so we would like to thank Jake Anthony. Thanks, Jake. JR, not sure if Mr. or Hog or Jim Ross or what. A lot of JRs in wrestling wasn't there, but thank you, JR. Yes. Uh, Daniel Rayleigh. Maybe it was JR Benson. But anyway, thank you, uh, Daniel. Yeah. And uh, Garrett Martz. Thanks, Garrett. I thank all you new patrons, all you old patrons, all you patrons come along the way from the beginning, so forth. We thank all of you for being with us and supporting us as we do this uh, little show at patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right, IWTV picks, and we're in the holiday season, so there's, all, I'm sure, some shows that are on there. So uh, tell everybody what is caught your eye this week. All right, let's see. Well, one thing that jumped out to me is, you know, it has not happened yet as we're recording this, but... Uh, this week's Uncharted Territory is a bit more uh, name value heavy than some of the other parts of the season had been. Let me see if they have the proper lineup on the website. Okay, they do. So uh, various people making returns and debuts and beyond here, like uh, Mike Bennett taking on Ryan Galeone. Uh, I saw Taven was on here too. Yes, the main, yes, the co-main is uh, Alec Price taking on Matt Taven. Uh, the main event is Trisha Dora defending the Pan-African World Diaspora Championship, a world championship recognized by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, against Suge D, the former Sugar Dunkerton Pineapple Pete, uh, plus some other interesting-looking matches like uh, Matt Mikowski taking on Slade. So that should be interesting, and especially to see uh, Taven and Bennett in that environment, although... He's taking on the whole band, Slade? No, all caps Slade. The the the. I think he's part of from one of the Buffalo guys. No, it's not Naughty oh. Holder. 
I was hoping to hear Run Run Away, uh, the closing song of Cover to Cover on uh, <laughs> Uncharted Territory. No, so there no, you go. no, not that Slade. This is the wrestler Slade. And uh, just skimming through some of the new arrivals on Video On Demand, Bloodstorm Pro, which I believe... Yes, it is. That is the promotion that is that runs at uh, H2O Wrestling Center that is run by our dear old Death Valley driver chat friend, the former Travis Blackchurch. Uh-huh. Oh, God, why do I... I'm forgetting his name that he actually goes by now. And now and I'm kicking myself for that. But uh, that's up, and that has uh, Gary J versus AJ Gray. Tank in action, among other things. Uh, and anything else of note that's gone up this week? What about those ICW shows from Chattanooga? Are they up? Yes. Red- I, had, I watched a little bit of... I think the main No Holds Barred show, not the pit show. Sounded so like I, pretty wild shows. Yeah, I, I did catch a Tank and John Wayne Murdoch, which was pretty good. And just looking as far as the pit, which in theory is in the MMA cage, although I'm not sure they used it. Um, they had some type of uh, funky setup in the pictures I saw. Yeah, I'm guessing I, that was I, the pit show then, because... And I know they were really putting over Hoodfoot. But I think that they were using the regular ring on the other show, so I'm guessing that was the pitch show. But that has, also has Gary J versus Akira, Tank versus Jake Chris, Calvin Tankman, Brett Ison. Uh, Hoodfoot takes on Cruel, who I'm not sure if I think I've seen once or twice. That's, that's Logan Creed's um, other gimmick. Okay. And the main which, event. I, which, really, which really he's doing that more now than he was is doing as himself. Right. And the main event, which I have not watched. I mean, I haven't watched any of this show yet, is uh, John Wayne Murdoch defending his American Deathmatch Championship against Merck, the, uh, I guess now the former Graham Bell. Yeah. So that looks pretty interesting as well. With and The guy the guy that uh, had the little incident with the fan recently. Yes, where the fan out of nowhere grabbed him by the throat and shoved him right as he stepped off the steps <laughs> that you have to walk down in the entrance at the TWE arena. So the guy basically cheap-shotted him at the moment where he would be most vulnerable. Thankfully, uh, Graham was carrying a bundle of light tubes and smashed them over the back of the guy's head. If only Seth Rollins had light tubes. Seth Rollins handled himself fine. Yeah, but still. Especially being bull rushed from the... Yeah, he did, but again, if only he had light tubes. He could have bashed a a dude with light tubes. But anyway, what is it with fans? This is getting too much. Yes, also, this guy was enough of an idiot to call the police thinking they would side with him. The uh, (laughs) the guy who attacked Graham. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, look, it's relatively slow week because of the holiday and stuff. But uh, I see another uh, uncut, extended, deleted, whatever scene from the life of Daniel Maccabe has gone up about merch and stuff. So, uh, you know, that, of course, every uncharted territory up to this point is up. Uh, anything else that went up this last week? That's about, Oh, new freelance show from uh, last week also went up. So lots of good stuff. Uh, new IWA Mid-South shows as well. November Pain. So, not as busy a week as they've had lately, but still pretty busy. Well, there you go. So, that's uh, IWTV, and of course, Buy for VPN, which, uh, you know, with some of these streaming services lately, uh, especially when we talking about with, last week with Fight TV and everything, and, uh, well, not Fight TV, Bleach Report, yeah. that uh, 
this has become something that people may want to look into. So say about that yet again. Yes. Um, at least so far, I have not gotten anything about any holiday discounts, which we'll see is a little weird when you consider that I feel bad that I missed the email about this one. They did one for $10 off the three years. But uh, tinyurl.com slash BTS VPN for our deal on Viper VPN, which is probably the best deal of the bigger VPN services. Good security for if you're on open Wi-Fi, but the main thing people listening here would probably use it for would be to change what country their internet connection shows as so they can get access to legacy WWE network if they're in the U.S., all sorts of American services if they're outside the U.S., uh, if you're in the U.S. or in Canada, to be able to get AEW+. Plus or to get AEW pay-per-views on Fight TV, stuff like that. It's great for that, especially since, unlike some other VPNs, they have an Android TV app, which I believe also works on Fire TV as well. So any Android-based, you know, streaming stick or whatever, you can install their app on it, so you can just run the app for whatever other streaming service it is on the stick with that in the background, instead of having to futz around with other stuff. So they've got that, they've got, you know, very good, you know, speeds and everything. And the price can't really beat it. 60 bucks for three years, which is less than $1.67 a month. That's their best deal. They have other deals too, but that's the best deal. And also, as we've said before, their referral bonuses are very generous and it's especially on that one. So uh, if you want to support us outside of just the direct kind of support like Patreon, then this is actually the best way to do it. So tinyurl.com slash btsvpn. All right. Uh, so there's that. All right. So you can follow us on Twitter at Chris Zellner, K-R-I-S-Z-E-L-N-E-R. Show proper at BT Sheets Pod. Bix at David Bix. And next week on Between the Sheets, we will be going back to 1996 in a Patreon-requested show by Jared Hunt, where we'll have a uh, – Wild Night of Commentary on Monday Nitro featuring uh, Hall and Nash and Eric Bischoff, where Eric Bischoff had to uh, switch personas as during a Chris Benoit-Steven uh, Regal match, we had some hard way juice. <laughs> so he went from NWA Bischoff to Executive Vice President Eric Bischoff real quickly on that. So we'll have, uh, we'll have that clip for sure, plus other assorted WCW craziness. We have uh, ECW, Raven uh, winning the belt back from the Sam and ECW Arena on a big show there. We'll have a lot of USWA clips featuring the Nation of Domination, which means Randy X, folks. And then we'll have um, Japan, Mexico. We got WWF talking about Shawn Michaels having a rough night in Poughkeepsie. And uh, WWF trying to re uh, recreate uh, the Sid Vicious Arn Anderson angle with Bret Hart in the role of Arn Anderson. And then we have... Uh, the Ultimate Ultimate. Yes, a wild show on pay-per-view on UFC. Much crazier stuff happening behind the scenes. As Dave Meltzer gives us first-hand news of what he witnessed and much more. And we'll have our guest, Dean Bone Collector Dominic Greeny, on the show. So it should be a great time for all. So everybody check that out next week on Between the Sheets. Uh, Bix, anything going on in your world lately? Nothing I don't think to talk about right this second, although... So I'm curious, by the way, do we have any Pancrase to talk about next week now that Dom has had a match with Minoru Suzuki? 
Uh, no. No pancreas. We got people in pancreas involved. Sure. I mean, we got. I mean, we got the shamrocks, you know, and and other things. So, yeah, there is that. But uh, yeah, he'll have he'll have plenty. I'm sure. Plenty to talk about. I'm so. sure. Anyway. All right. So yes, that will be next week on Between the Sheets. All right. Well, that is it for us. Let's get back to the rest of the show. Let's move on now to the back to the United States and to the indie scene, and we'll begin with Extreme Championship Wrestling. The November 29th TV opened up with the Public Enemy doing a promo under the just says EL. <laughs> it's in the hood. The L, an behind. elevated train. <laughs> yeah, well, there. Okay, I guess. See, I don't. Have, we don't have those things here. I don't know what that meant, Vix. <laughs> We don't now, have elevated we trains. Have, we have elevated trains here, but no one calls them the L because there's also the L train. Yeah, we don't have, I mean, the only trains we have around here are, uh, you know, the trains that call shit. At least down here in my neck of the woods. Atlanta has, like, Amtrak and, and of course, MARTA and shit like that. But you know, we don't have that here. You just have freight trains going. Freight trains, that's right, yeah. Rufus R. Freight Train Jones. But, um... Anyway, so they're doing a promo talking about how bad they are. They're, they're heels at this point in time in ECW. Uh, highlights here from last week's show where Tasmaniac and Sabu beat Gene and Joe Malenko, after which 911 choke slammed both pit bulls at once. Scenes the narrative of uh, Public Enemy stuff pile driving Sabu and Polly dangerously running into the ring to save him. Wait a second, they... called them Gene and Joe Malenko? Dean. Okay. And then uh, Public Enemy sent Polly on a on table. And Rocco Rock moonsaulted Paulie through the table as Dean had Taz locked up in an armbar type deal, making him watch it. Announcer Joey Styles said Paulie may be gone for good. This is a recap, so this is from last week's show. So there you go. But yeah, I you mean, know what's funny about that? Yeah, Paul did an in-character interview on Pro Wrestling Spotlight the next morning. <laughs> I mean, he talks about his ribs being sore and stuff, but yeah. So, so yeah, that's uh, that's how they opened the show. And then they went to the open after another public enemy uh, promo from the L train. Uh, Joy Styles talked about the uh, top match at December 17th, East Arena, which was public enemy against Sabu and Taz, 911 against both Pitbulls, and Shane Douglas defending the ECW World Heavyweight title against Ron Simmons. So then we go to Hamburg, Pennsylvania. Yes, this is that era where they're taping TV at times in Hamburg and made for a professional-looking deal. That's the old WWF stomping grounds of the 70s and 80s. And Dean Malenko beat Tuco Scorpio to win the TV title. Scorpio had just won the TV title earlier in that taping from Jason. Innovative match, Wade said, with Malenko showing his usual vast array of twisting mat holds and maneuvers, and Scorpio keeping up well with him, plus adding some spectacular flying moves also. A slow-paced match, but good from start to finish. In the end, Scorpio missed the moonsault, and Malenko executed a strong netbreaker for the three count. Yeah, it, it, if you've never watched this era of ECW, which I didn't, I, I didn't see it till later on. I started watching it in early 95. It is very interesting to watch the late part of 1994 compared to how different everything would be in 1995. Well, as we've talked about before, 
And I usually dated it as the first show in 95, but you can tell from watching some of the stuff on the network as I was queuing up the clip we're going to play that it goes back to at least late 94. Someone somewhere put more money into ECW around this time that went to production. Clearly. Yeah. But yeah. it doesn't last. No. It. Um, when would you say? Past, like, the winter? is It, it kind of stops there? Yeah. But, you know, as you'll hear when we play the clip, we have promos in the, a wrestler in-ring promo that is actually properly mic'd and also fed into the production feed. <laughs> They're clearly using actual professional cameras and editing equipment as opposed to editing and mastering the show on SVHS using a video toaster. And, when, mm -hmm. and, and I'm not making a jo the joke people used to make about, you know, star wipes and video toaster. Like, th they are clearly using an Amiga video toaster. Those are what those effects are from. The ones we're used to seeing, like on 95 ECW TV. And I'm trying to remember, did the nice graphics they have in this era survive? I don't think so, right? Mm, they, they, were, they went into 95 when I started watching it. But not it, it, the 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 graphics for the matches stay the same, but I feel like the other graphics during the show and stuff maybe aren't as good. But it's very strange, and there's never been any reporting or anything as to what happened. But clearly, someone is someone's paying more for something. It could, I'm sure it's just rented equipment or whoever's putting the money up. Uh, but it's weird that it just doesn't last. It's just you know what. Four or five months? Heyman always, you know, was hustling, trying to do whatever he could. So who knows uh, what he had going on here. And then could probably couldn't pay him. Uh, yeah. So. Which, oh, which also reminds me, um, Heyman did an interview with, I think it was Metal Injection, right? That he did the interview with the other day. Where he more or less confirmed our theory from the Road to Pay-Per-View Patreon show that... Um, at least the reason that ECW music videos always contained footage from the original music video was because they were getting for promotional use only copies of the music videos. So, okay, it's still promotion. And that's why you have music coordinator Mike Esterman of OnQTV, because OnQTV was a public access show that included music videos. And the, yeah, like whenever the most famous one that they would do, of course, was November Rain. So that's why you always had. Guns N' Roses, they're, they're part of the video always mixed in. Right. Yeah, interesting era. I mean, just to portray, because Dean Malenko's managed by Jason here. I mean, and, and Scorpio's, you know, full-blown baby face, you know. I mean, it's a public enemy is heels, like I said. I mean, it's Tasmaniac here and Sabu are hooking up for the first time. I mean, it's, it's just it's an interesting era to watch of this promotion. For sure. And let's continue. As Chad Austin comes to the ring next. Now he's uh he's got a beef with ECW for various reasons. So let's go to Joey Styles, who's talking up Chad Austin, who's gonna be in the ring to uh let the world know who the real be best wrestling group in the world is. Yes, yeah, so let's see who the best wrestling group in the world is according to friend of the show, Chad Austin. Mm-hmm. You're not going to believe this. Chad Austin has headed to the ring. You'd think he would have learned last week after the beating he received. But Chad Austin is back in the ring. 
and he's got the microphone again? The truth is, the gutless wonders of the ECW don't want to acknowledge that I'm pursuing my career. Well, go pursue it somewhere else. I was dumped by my manager. I was dumped by my partners, my friends. And I was dumped by all you scumbags. That's enough. Some people never learn. I went to the greatest wrestling promotion of all time. He better not. Smoky Mountain Wrestling. That's it. I've had enough of this guy. Somebody hold me back. I can take this guy. The wrestlers are better. The cities are better. What? And most importantly, the fans are better than all you scumbags. What a jerk. In one of the few times I can remember seeing very obviously canned crowd noise and dub chants on EZW programming. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Well, I think everyone here at ECW has had enough of Chad Austin's comments regarding our wrestling promotion. Oh, wait a minute. The franchise, Shane Douglas, is headed towards the ring. This should be interesting. The athletes are better. Does Austin have any idea who he's in the ring with? Speakers, I hear a little punk about the greatest wrestling organization in this world today. Smoky Mountain, right? Oh boy. Smoky what? It said Smoky <laughs> Mountain. And by the way, Mr. ECW champion, they wanted me to give you something. Do you know what it is? Are you kidding me, Chad Austin? Just slug Shane Douglas! What is he thinking? There must be something in the water down in Smoky Mountain. And Shane Douglas just pounding away on Chad Austin. Well, this isn't a wrestling match. Yeah, this, this is a beatdown that continues for a while. Shane wearing his silver tights here that he didn't wear a whole lot of. And those sign guys in the front row with these tapings, but no hat guy. But yeah, interesting look for Shane here at this time. Uh, Shane is uh, Shane's a babyface basically at this point in time too in ECW. Kind of. Well, actually, yeah. no, what am I saying? Kind of. Simmons is the heel in their feud. In a way, well, not really, because uh, Simmons and Scorpio are aligned, and Scorpio's babyface. Scorpio's a, it's a babyface, but it's ECW. Yeah, it, it's a little. Weird, I, yeah, Scorpio. But yeah, Scorpio. But yeah, but Scorpio hooked up with Simmons. Hooked back up with Simmons by running in as a heel and attacking Shane and double team them, double teaming him. But he's a babyface. It's it's, it's again, as a single it's he is, yes. But uh, anyway, so Shane beats up Austin, uh, beats the shit out of him, and uh, beats him up until he uh, says over the mic, "ECW's number one." So <laughs> should I play this? There. I mean, you can. All right. Here we go. 
Aubrey Johnson, you're more grabbing the house fight. You're damn right it's number one. ECW's number one. Make him say it. Make him say it. Yeah, you, you better believe it's number one. It's about time everybody else in wrestling woke up and figured it out. ECW is number one. Look at all these wonderful what? Hamburg fans not chanting ECW. <laughs> and Chad Austin just experienced the difference. They keep, they keep cutting to these awkward floor cam shots for no apparent reason, where you can barely see the crowd. But this also goes to what we were saying earlier. Look at the effort they are putting in with the production. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this leads to a Shane Douglas video, which this is Bix is watching from the network. So I'm, I know they're not using the music from the original video. What was this one? Simply the best. Uh, I think so. It's one of them. Uh, let me see if I have it notated here on my list, because I just watched this show. I kind of want to see what the dubbing is. Started! The revolution! Oh, it's still, uh, talking. Uh, let me see here. I think it's really just a montage of promos. Actually, yeah, it looks like that. Yeah, it is. There's no music. It's just a bunch of shit Shane's saying. Why are they saying anyway. courtesy ECW Home Video for a show that never came out on ECW Home Video? <laughs> so next we get uh, highlights of Public Enemy defending their ECW World Tag Titles against Katniss Jack and Kevin Sullivan. Yeah, Katniss Jack and Kevin Sullivan in November of 1994. Well. So yes, as the three face of fear is going on in WCW as the lead heel stable. Here's Kevin Sullivan in ECW. <laughs> it was part of the settlement over the One World Collide name. Yeah, but still, also the relationship was a whole lot better at this point in time. Although Katniss has done spit on the belt, so... But anyway... The belt uh, that Kevin... he co-held with Kevin Sullivan. Well, he turned... Sullivan turns on him in the, you know, during the match. I know. He, he's also wearing his Three Faces of Fear uh, trunks as well. Yes. So, just a video package of all that. So, yeah, there you go. All right, now let's go to Peach State Wrestling, which we just talked about Peach State Wrestling um, earlier. As the, I was drawing WCW. So, they run Cordial, Georgia, on November 25th at Kojo's Skating Rink. Amazing. Where they drew 590 fans. The WCW show in Albany drew 100 fans. Here are the results of this show. And what a show it is. It's, of course, Ben Masters, uh, current uh, second-in-command of Wrestle America here in my lovely town. Um, 
Luscious Lonnie beat Scott Studd, Scott Riggs, Scotty Riggs, friend of the show. Exotic Adrian Street and Miss Linda beat Disco Inferno and Candy Divine. And of course, because it's an early mention of Disco Inferno in a newsletter, his real name in parentheses is Glenn Gilbernetti. Mm-hmm. Gorgeous George III over Cowboy Burt. Michael P.S. Hayes over Mike Golden. Can you imagine Ron- seeing him work as Michael P.S. Hayes with the Doc Hendricks hair and stuff? Well, this is November 1994. Oh, sorry, it's 94. Yeah, what am I thinking? So he still has the long yeah. hair and the beard. Ron Simmons over The Flame, portrayed by Steve the Brawler Lawler, who just re- passed away re- fairly recently. We'll talk about him in just a minute. And the main event of this show was Mad Jack teaming with Scott and Brian Armstrong, who is now a member of the WWF, beating the Blazers, R.D. Swain and Sugar Ray Lloyd, a.k.a. Glacier, and their manager, Ronnie P. Gossett, by disqualification, when Gossett was caught using a chair on Mad Jack. Gossett is a babyface here, while the Armstrongs are the heels. Yes, folks. Ronnie B. Gossett's baby babyface here was a hoot. Um, th- this car was Brian Armstrong's final indie date. And, of course, he starts with WF with an unknown gimmick, even unknown to him, at the tapings this week. More on that in a minute. Now, the next night, they went to Warner Robins, Georgia, uh, the lovely war town. Um, no venue listed. This is a bigger show. Bad Boy Billy Black went to a draw with Scott Armstrong. The King! Jerry Lawler, with Ronnie P. Godson as his manager, as a babyface, beat Jake the Snake Roberts by disqualification when Jake was caught using Lawler's chain. Bambi and Malia Hasaka defeated Candy Divine and the Amazon Queen. Peggy Lee Leather in their gimmick. Gorgeous George III over Scott Studd. Rick Steiner over Dirty Dick Slater by disqualification. The Blazers over The Flame and Shaska Watley. Uh, the Taurus heard this was an awful card. I don't know about that. Uh, the show opened up with a King's Court. Yes, Lawler did his King's Court here. Explaining why Sid Vicious no-showed and why Jake Roberts would thus replace him against Rick Steiner. It's, I don't know why it says Steiner here. It means Lawler. Lawler insulted virtually each member of the crowd individually. <laughs> and so we had Jerry Lawler on this show, and then we had the fake Steve Lawler. And this was his final match. As he's moving to Alabama to manage a Home Depot. That's right. He quit the wrestling business to go become a manager at Home Depot. He's been a Georgia Independent mainstay for seven years. Steve recently passed away from COVID. And he's one of the guys that I talk about, Steve Lawler, John Michaels, um, Steve Pritchard, um, Dino Manelli. These are guys who, if there was more tape of, that people could see him, that people were like, wow, these guys are, you know, are really good. I mean, they, they, they were just diamonds in the rough. They were Georgia Indie guys. They stayed at home. They just worked the Georgia Indies. But they were guys that if they had come along like 10 years earlier, would have been traveling territories. And I wouldn't say they would have been major stars, but they would have been guys that, you know, 
would have been able to, to get better looks at places. And, they probably and would Steve have made Lawler, a steady living. Yeah, Steve Lawler was a guy who was a uh, as both face and he. I tell you who Steve Lawler reminds me a lot of. Besides um, Lawler, well, no, he doesn't. You know, I mean, Steve Lawler is basically a Georgia version of Doug Gilbert. Okay. I mean, th- this is basically what he is. He's like how Doug is as a heel and as a babyface, but a Georgia version of it. So if those of you that are Doug Gilbert fans, I don't think Steve was as good of a worker as Doug, but as far as the way he was, he's kind of like Doug Gilbert. But um, yeah, these Peach State shows are something else. And look at the names on this show and, and Warner Robins. My goodness. Mm-hmm. They were bringing in top talent a lot on the indie shows, and that's why they were outdrawing WCW on a regular basis in Georgia. They are making the most of who is living in Georgia. Yeah. You know, because all, just... all the names on this show pretty much are people who live in or around the area. Yeah. Other than Lawler. Or, or, yeah, oh, Lawler, yeah. All right, let's go to Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Thanksgiving Thunder Tour was a big week at the gate, with Nossel doing more than 1,500 fans on Thanksgiving night, nearly a $15,000 gate. Well, Paintsville, Kentucky did 950. Johnson City uh, did around 1250. And Cobb County Civic Center in Marietta, Georgia drew 650. Results all four nights were similar, pretty similar. And the gangsters beating Rock and Roll Express all four nights due to interference from D. Lo Brown and New Jack, as in you, Jack, Dave, thanks to Dave, uh, using foreign objects, which sets up Christmas Chaos Return matches with Jim Cornette matching the Rock and Rolls. Matches have been pretty hot, but on the short side. Then Bob Armstrong beat Bob Orton Jr. something from Abdullah. So after the match, Cordette had to kiss Armstrong's feet, and he can never feud with Armstrong again. Mm-hmm. And Armstrong retires to become commissioner once again. Those matches were pretty bad. Fans in Knoxville were very upset about Abdullah the Butcher not being there, and there was some refund chance. While in Johnson City, fans seemed let down, but there was no strong negative reaction. The biggest spots were when Ron Wright kicked Jim Cornette with his loaded boot and scored a pin and tag matches Dirty White Boy and Bruiser Bedlam as the respective partners. In Marietta, though, they used local promoter Sir Samuel F. Kent, Uncle Sammy, instead of Ron Wright, who has no history there, and that wasn't as good. Yeah, Sir Uncle Sammy and Jim Cornette hooking it up. That's a dream match. Cactus Shack and Brian Lee with double countouts with Boo Bradley and Chris Candido set up false game where matches at Christmas Chaos. Dirty White Boy with the Fenton against an opponent yet to be fouled at the Chaos shows. While Tracy Smothers will face Brian Anderson. Now, results that we have uh, Freedom Hall in Johnson City on the 26th in front of, it says 2,000 here. Um, Gangsters with D Lo beat Rock and Roll Express in a Ghetto Street fight to retain the Swicky Mount tag titles. Prior to the match, the ring was filled with various foreign objects. Including chairs, garden hoses, garbage cans, a door off a pickup truck, milk crates, wooden boards, and more. All could be legally used as weapons. The brawl began as soon as both teams hit the ring. They brought for several minutes with Rip Morton and New Jack both bleeding heavily. Eventually, New Jack hit Morton with D.L. Brown holding his legs outside the ring, out of sight of the referee. See, even the ghetto street fight, they haven't used that type of finish. That is funny. Bob Armstrong over Bob Orton Jr. Something for Abdul the Butcher. Stipulation here was that if Armstrong lost, he would have to leave Swicky Mountain. But if he won, Jim Cornette would have to kiss his feet and agree and write and never to challenge him again. Earlier in the card, Cornette claimed Armstrong must have paid off Abdul in a no-show. In the end, Cornette tossed his racket to Orton, but the referee saw it and then began to tug a war. Orton lost his grip and staggered back to a roll-up by Armstrong over the pin. 
after the match, Cornette kissed Armstrong's feet. I'll say and this. Yeah. You know, obviously Abdullah no showing is bad, but uh, and I'd be curious how much notice they had, but different type of wrestler and gimmick, of course. But you could do a lot worse than Bob Orton Jr. as a replacement in these markets. You know, a name oh, well, with yeah, a lot of history in the territory. Yeah. But they really they they had really put Abdullah over on TV yeah. and Abdullah and Abdullah had a big had bigger runs since Orton had his last run. You know, Abdullah was on WCW in ninety one and ninety two, you know, so and Orton's Orton, but still. Abdu- and Abdullah, wa- I mean, yeah, Orton was a regular in that part of the world, but Abdullah wasn't. He was a na- uh, like a national star guy who traveled around. Sure, sure. You know, it's just this is this is a common this has been a common occurrence in Lucky Mountain at times where you promise something you don't get it, and it ain't gonna change yet either. All right, Caddyshack and Brian Lee before Chris Kennedy and Brew Bradley matched by Tammy Fish to a double countout. Fish got on the ring apron and complained early in the match. The cat described and kissed her. This outraged Candido, who lunged at Cat. The cat just ended up bannering him and tossing to the floor. Cat just climbed the ropes to prepare the elbow to drop Candido, but Candido was revived and fled to the upper deck of the arena. After returning to the ring, Candido spent the next several minutes on defense, taking his usual bumps. The crowd kept encouraging Boo Bradley to turn, and he teased it by waving the cat just a few times. But Candido and Fish kept him in line by threatening to do harm to his pet cat boots. Bradley's loose-fitting shorts were pulled off during the match, leaving him in his skimpy white briefs. They all brawled to the back for double count-out. Cat and Candido were trash can and dumped the contents on Bradley's head. Uh, we'll have more on this feud in just a few minutes. Um, 31 point Ron Wright with Don Wright. Beat Jim Cornette and Bruce Bedlam. Mostly comedy as Cornette kept refusing to tag in, and Ron Wright kept getting easy shots in on Bedlam. Finally, Cornette nailed White Boy with his racket, which gave the heels temporary advantage. The end came when White Boy and Bedlam brawled on the floor, and Wright loaded his boot, his old gimmick, and kicked Cornette in the head and set him up for the pin. And we have Brian Anderson beating Tracy Smothers using the ropes. No time limit match, though they didn't wrestle any longer than usual. This was fought mainly amateur style, since the gimmick of the feud involved Anderson's claims of being an expert at pure wrestling. Smothers was well on his way to winning when Anderson's infraction enabled him to win. You know, Brian Anderson, if he, you know, we talked about the 10 years uh, earlier deal. I think if Brian Anderson was born 10 years later, he might have been a, a bigger deal on like on the, in the wrestling scene, like indie wrestling. What do you think? How do you mean? Doing this type of gimmick, this pure wrestling gimmick, being Ole Anderson's son. Okay, I get what I you're think, saying. Yeah. I think that, I think that could have had some legs on the indie scene and I mean, I don't know if WWE would have touched him considering who his dad is, but I think it would have been interesting. You don't think like, you don't think ring of honor would have used him for in their pure wrestling thing Mm, or something like that. Maybe. Yeah. But anyway, um, Lance storm beat dealer Brown with a backslide in the opener and they returned with Chris chaos on December 26th. All right, um, any thoughts on the Johnson City show here? I'm curious what the real attendance was. Yeah, we have uh, 2,000 with one and 1,200 with the other one. And the Observer ones were usually higher than reality anyway. So I'm guessing <laughs> probably closer to 800. Possibly. Possibly. 
But anyway. All right, so Marietta, Cobb County Civic Center. And this is quite the show here. That's Uncle Sammy and North Georgia uh, Wrestling Association was co-promoting this. It says five fifty here in front of Torch Picks. Dave had six fifty. Okay. I think. I'm going back. Yeah, six fifty. All right. So the opener saw Lee Thomas, lover boy Lee Thomas, beat Sunset Sam McGraw in an NGWA match, which saw the George Heavyweight title switch hands. And Sunset Sam McGraw, of course, is Barry Buchanan. Mm-hmm. It was very young here. Uh, and this is one of the stuff, the stuff that gets him a job with, so him out. Mm-hmm. Brian Anderson beat Tracy Smothers in 25 minutes. Then Uncle Sammy and Dirty White Boy over Bruce Avellum and Jim Cornette. Okay, Chad Brown, you're going to double count out with Candido and Boo Bradley in a wild brawl. Basically the same storyline as Johnson City. Candido took a bump from the top of the bleachers to the floor, hitting each step on his way down. Let me tell you this about that building. That is a long fall. <laughs> and those bleachers are very hard. So that was not fun for Chris Candido. Bob Armstrong beat Bob Orton Jr. replacing Abdullah. So Cornette had to kiss Armstrong's feet and Gangsta beat Rock and Roll when New Chat pinned Ricky Morton. Now it's noted here that at the Thanksgiving Thunder shows that weren't in Marietta, Ron Wright got the biggest face pop in every building he appeared in. In Johnson City, Wright's brother died with celebrating with Ron and the white boy in the ring after the win of the brother and Cornette. Oh, yeah, the fans were loving that Ron Wright was a babyface here. They could finally cheer him now. Give him an excuse. Mm-hmm. And, they, and they did some great angle work to set all that up, too, with Tammy and all that stuff. So it's a good good booking by Smoky Mountain Wrestling. All right, television on the 26th. In the opener, Tracy's mother's beat James Atkins with a fisherman suplex. Bryant Anderson did color commentary during the match, ridiculing Smothers. Then Bryant beat the Nightmare. This would be Ted Allen. What an armbar submission and retaining TV title. This is his fifth win, so he collected his $5,000 bonus and turned in the belt. What do you think about the stuff like that? Like the world class would do the, beat the, the, the whole beat the champ TV title instead of like a regular straight champion. You have guys that would be the TV champion and see if they go a, a certain amount of weeks. And then if they did it, then they gave the belt up. What, what were your thoughts on how that was done? different although in smoky i think waiter whoever did the tv right cap here has it wrong i don't think there was a physical belt right no it wasn't a belt. no um it's different i can see how it would work in certain contexts and i forget did you get any money f- until the fifth win or you only got a bonus if you g- retained five times in a row yeah i think that's how it went okay all right, um, Bob Armstrong, along with his son Scott and Steve, were interviewed. Bob talked about how he's mentally and physically prepared for Thunder to take on Abdullah Butcher, who, or whoever Cornette brings. A hint to the fans that Abdullah had canceled his booking weeks earlier and did not plan to appear as originally scheduled. Okay, this might actually be some of the worst false advertising they ever did then. It is. Wow. And that's exactly what he said. Because they had... It- if you know far enough in advance that you have this on TV, which is taped, of, what, two, three weeks earlier? Yeah. That's total bullshit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is how, this is egregious, so... Like, at least yeah, with the not... Gilbert stuff, at least they wanted the TV to, like, match what they already had taped. This is... This is someone who canceled before you taped all this stuff. Never actually showed up for the promotion, too. 
Yeah. Never worked there. Yeah, it's pretty bad. All right, so um, Scott and Steve Ross interview, and they talk about their desire to get back in action in the tag team ranks, smack him out. And then we get confrontation. Yeah, Jim Ross's segment with Jim Cornette. This is Jim Cornette and the Gangsters. So let's go to one Jim Ross and his confrontation. All right, ladies and gentlemen, here this week, as you heard, Jim Cornette uh, wanted the opportunity to speak to the Gangsters. Now, what's this all about? You know, I've got to make an offer to New Jack and Mustafa right now, and also Uptown D'Lo Brown. How you doing? And I know that you got a lot on your mind this weekend, New Jack, the ghetto street fight with the Rock and Roll Express. I know you got a lot on your mind. If you want to, go ahead and vent that now. Get that out of the way, and then I got a few words to say to you. Rock and Roll Express, finally, you done went to the ultimate. You decided that you could get mad enough to sign a match between me and Mustafa, a street fight. My kind of fight, you understand? You don't know nothing about that. We already proved that wrestling might not be one of our best things, but fighting, baby, we master in that. And we done proved it. We got the straps. You don't. You and Ricky somewhere now crying the blues, calling the commissioner, crying because you said we cheated. Well, if we did, so what? You got drunk in Memphis, couldn't make it to the show, you blame that on us. So now you want to come up here and try to cause some more problems for us. Well, I'm going to tell you something, and I tell Jim Cornette, and I tell these rednecks, I don't need to rock and roll. I don't need nobody out here cheering for me. And most of all, partner, I don't need you. Well, I'll tell you what, that's what you do need. That's what you do need, New Jack, and that's why I'm out here to make you this offer today because of what you said about the rock and roll. You see, as, as bad as it pains me to say this, you guys have come closer to putting the Rock and Roll Express out of wrestling than any team that I've managed so far. And it pains me to say that because I wanted to be the one to take credit for it. But I tell you what, you guys have the ability to be the greatest tag team on the face of this planet. You guys have almost finished with the rock and roll, and I see unlimited potential in your future. You guys get in there, and you can do anything in that ring. But where you have a few shortcomings is where I can help out. Because you see, you guys aren't diplomatic. You aren't very tactful. You go in there, and instead of trying to negotiate and sign those contracts the right way and talk to people, you go in there and you steamroller. I've got the inside track on signing contracts. I've been dealing with these promoters, push these pencils around, telling people what to do for a long time now. And whereas you guys get in that ring and you pull a set of brass knuckles out or you pull a blackjack out right in front of the referee and knock somebody out, I can teach you how to be more devious because I've been doing that sneaky stuff for years. So what I am saying to you is your ship has come in, a golden opportunity has taken place, and I'm going to make you an offer today unprecedented. I've managed two tag teams in the last 10 years, the Midnight Express and the Heavenly Bodies, and both of them have been the greatest tag team in the business at their time. Both of them the World Tag Team Champions, Smoky Mountain Champions, the list goes on and on. I am here prepared to make you an offer, order before midnight tonight, of a lifetime. I am prepared to sign the gangsters to an exclusive contract for me to manage you and take you straight to the top. I'll get those contracts signed the right way. I'll do the right kind of negotiations and I'll teach you those little subtleties about being sneaky and devious that you haven't so far picked up on. In other words, what I'm saying to you is my guidance and my guiding hand together with your natural ability will be unstoppable. All you got to do is sign on a dotted line and I'm going to shake your hand and I'm going to say it's been a pleasure doing business with you. Cornette, for 400 years, white folks 
got ships, went to Africa, stole my ancestors, brought them back here, chained in the bowels of a slave ship for 400 years. Now this is 1994, not 1794. I don't need no white boy like you or these rednecks out here coming to me, telling me what you can do for me. I got a college education and a criminal record, so I know how to make decisions. So let me tell you something. The gangsters are black owned and black operated. And I don't need no white boy telling me jack, punk. I don't think they're gonna do the deal with you. Then they're gonna be sorry about this because an opportunity like this don't come along every day. And I am not like these rednecks and I've never been like these rednecks. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, apparently Mr. Cornette's business proposition has gone awry. No deal with the gangsters and we'll be back. Don't you go away, a lot more still to come. Dear God, New Jack is good on promos at this time. <laughs> what a segment that was. I mean, well, Cornette was fantastic in his whole thing, and New Jack, just the way he way he handled that and the way he oh. Yes, great babyface promo here from New Jack. <laughs> I just I love the line too. I've got a college education and a criminal record, so I know how to make decisions. Yeah. That but seriously we've talked before about how, you know, particularly our friend Dylan Hales knows people personally who got involved in like racial justice work specifically from being inspired by new Jack promos and Smokey. Yeah. And this is one where you can really see why, because this does kind of sound like a babyface promo to certain people. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, to other people, not so much. I mean, and, and that's I mean, the way he's it... not he's not throwing in any of like the cheap heat baiting lines, though. You know what I mean? No. This is not thanking OJ for kill, so we don't have another two to worry about. There's nothing like that in there. The usual make white people mad stuff is not really in there. Yeah, this is New Jack saying just like fuck you. The gangsters are black owned and black operated. I'm not doing your bidding. Yeah. And Cornette's still a heel on top of that, so of course they come off like baby faces now, especially. Although Cornette's about to turn. He's so. about to turn, well, temporarily, yes, but because Cornette is still explicitly a heel here, that just amplifies that New Jack kind of comes off like a baby face. To, again, to certain people. Not to, not to the fans of Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Well, <laughs> sure. I mean, it's just... That's the way it is, because, I mean, he, he he buries the fans in his promo, too. So, you know, it, it's, it, it's, it's work that was ahead of his time. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what it was. It's work ahead of his time. All right, so next we get Boo Bradley beating George South, which is followed up by an interview by Cactus Jack. So let's go to Jim Ross and Cactus, and Cactus has some interesting things to say here. Welcome back, everyone, to Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Still to come, the tag team championship matchup involving the gangsters defending the titles against Lance Storm and Brian Lee, a man that you know very, very well. And I know tonight you're excited about Johnson City, tomorrow in Marietta, Georgia. This is a bizarre situation that Boo Bradley has found himself in. I feel sorry for this guy. You know, Jim, a lot of people ask me, Cactus, did you come here to win a title? And I say, no, I'm on a far nobler mission. I've come here to win a soul. 
because like a missionary operating in a war-torn, disease-ravaged third-world nation, I am willing to lead Boo Bradley through the depths of hell to get to the gates of heaven, if that's the sacrifice it takes. But all you people out there, don't shed a tear for me, because amidst this desert of desolation, I see an oasis of happiness where Thanksgiving thunder, I get to enjoy the missionary position. Because not only am I going to get through to Boo Bradley's head, O'Brien Lee and I are going to slap the taste out of Chris Candido's mouth. You see, Candido, I remember you hanging out on the streets of New Jersey, just a young punk wanting to carry my bag. Well, you couldn't carry my bag then, and you can't carry my chalk now. And even if you could, I'm so sure you'd enjoy it. Bang, bang! <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, Cactus Jack has spoken. He is obviously ready for Thanksgiving Thunder. Bang, bang! And uh, our tag team title match. Let's go to the ring. Speaking of great promos, Cactus Jack. <laughs> Enjoys being in the missionary position. <laughs> Honestly, I think one of the best bits of booking Cornette does around this time is coming up with this storyline with Cactus being the one to get Pooh Bradley away from the dark side. Just because it's, it's not like the whole thing's perfect, but Cactus being the one to do this is perfect. It's a great use of Cactus Jack, absolutely. It totally fits the babyface Cactus Jack persona. Yes. It's you know, you watch this era of Smoky Mountain, and it seems like that they, you know, maybe are getting it back right again. They have a you know? crew that's a mix of they have all these new guys mixed in. You've got gangsters, you've got the you know the New Jersey guys, Lance Storm's still around in a different role. There, yeah, there's I mean, promise there. Yeah, but it's not long before in '95 when it just goes right back down, and it's never the same. The damage I think from '94, you know, it, it totally it just reared its ugly head as '95 went long. All the so. false advertising and no shows and. And just losing all these important pieces of your roster, yeah. too. But anyway, you got great stuff there. Uh, in the TV main event, the gangsters retained their tag titles, beating Brian Lee and Lance Storm. Matching them with Chris Candido, hit Brian Lee with a metal garbage can, and Mustafa pinned him. Now, speaking of talent, Dave says, expect a major talent shuffling between now and the first of the year. Lance Storm finished up this past weekend's return to Canada. Chris Candido will wind up either working heavily with all Japan with a regular schedule and here for spot dates in between or going to the World Wrestling Federation. Most suspects Brian Lee will wind up doing it at some point. And Bruce Abella may as well. No word on who will be brought in to replace them, although we might get an idea next week since they're going to be doing TV on December 5th in Princeton, West Virginia. Well, let's see here. Let's see who, uh, if anybody, was brought in uh, at the TV taping in Princeton, West Virginia. Uh, and I'm looking here. Uh, Buddy Landell returns. There's one. And that's it. 
That's the only debut on that show. Okay. Of course, of course, Eddie comes in in January with uh with Glenn Jacobs, Unibomb. So there's that. And Al Snow will come in after that. They replace Eddie, but yeah, I mean, and then they start working with Lawler. The Heavenly Bodies come will, will come back in. So yeah, I mean, you get some talent, but yeah, it seemed like they had some stuff going on here and just couldn't capitalize on it. So there you go. All right, USWA, and of course there is no TV for, for our week on YouTube, so all we have is the report. Scott Bowden did another last interview on TV, which is really a throwback to the old Jimmy Hart interviews of 12 years ago. Talking about how he hated Lance Russell's suits, Dave, Ru- Dave Brown's commentary, and all senior citizens. He said every time Frank Morrell goes to the ring to referee that the fans all take wagers on whether he'll survive the match without dying. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God, I miss Scott. I can hear Scott right, saying we- that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Wolfie DB, Reggie B. Reggie B. Fine. Uh, Wolfie said he and JC Ice have been in Puerto Rico, and JC will be coming back soon to challenge for the tag belts. Jerry Lawler came out, and although he lost a last chance at the title match a few weeks back, asked for another chance at Sid's title. He said, Spellbinder is Sid's number one policeman, as we call it in wrestling. Lawler said all the big guys have come through and not been able to beat Sid, so he won his chance. Lawler then beat Edric Hines, who was a very skinny jobber. Spellbinder did an interview, so he never interferes in the matches to help Sid Vicious. It's just he feels sorry for the guys Sid wrestles and wants to help them. Lawler came out, the two guys arguing before Spellbinder walked out. Then we have Bill Dundee, Jerry Lawler, and Brian Christopher going against the Dream Machine, Tommy Rich, and Doug Gilbert in the clip ending with referee Frank Morrell chasing the heels from the ring. Also, a clip aired of the Moon Dolls when they held their tag titles from the Harris Twins, who steals them afterwards. Then the team main event, the Moon Dolls and Miss Texas beat Tommy Rich, Doug Gilbert, and Scott Bowden. They went to a brawl, which entered the dressing room. Moon Dolls got their belts back. Dundee plugged an out of town show and said people should come see him at Jack's Flea Market, where he has jewelry for sale. <laughs> um. Uh, excuse me. Yeah, he's he's plugging his uh he's plugging his spot the flea market picks. He's selling is jewelry. Kind, is this the same kind of jewelry that uh, Stan Fraser would get people? <laughs> me. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know if it's, this is code for pearl necklaces or not, but still, I mean, it's uh. It is jewelry. Uh, Clipper had a minimum mission rapping a WrestleFest song at a WF event. As a result, it's been on a mission on Wrestling Monday. The USWA is calling Monday's card WrestleFest. To apply a minimum mission, rap the song just for them. It's from the WrestleFest 94 Coliseum video. Well, isn't that nice? <laughs> So the Mid-South Coliseum show on the 28th was down to around 9.50, which is one of the lower crowds in a while. With a dull main event, a Sid, Sid Vicious spellbinding has been on a mission and a death match with Christopher and Bill Dundee against Tommy Rich and Doug Gilbert. 9.50. rest of the show saw Doug Basham beat Rich B. Fine, Wolfie D over Sergeant Victor, Beauty and the Beast over the Moon Dogs, Middle of the Mission over Sid and Spellbinder, Frank Murrell over Scott Bowden, and Tom Richard Doug Gilbert over Brian Christopher and Bill Dundee. 9.50. But at this point in time, they're doing big business. Well, I would say big business, but they're doing really good business in Nashville and oh, Louisville. Yeah. 
but they can't do it in Memphis. So what are Monday they, night? So what is it? Nashville generally they're pretty much packing the fairgrounds. Close enough, yeah. If they're not doing a full day. I mean, so like somewhere in like Louisville. the nine hundred to like twelve hundred range, and Louisville they're drawing and what twenty five hundred to three thousand. Close to that, yeah. Yeah, it like people don't realize because we mainly always got Memphis results and figures and. But the results in those other towns are are similar because of, they're a week later. Right, so we're not necessarily hearing as much about the shows in general because of the way the Memphis Loop worked. But because the newsletters aren't really covering it that much, people don't realize how well Louisville was drawing in this era. Mm-hmm. You know, like... Say what you will about, you know, the Coliseum being less than 10% full most weeks. But if you're in this territory, you're still getting experience in front of really pretty damn big arena crowds every week in Louisville. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And again, weekly in the same town, this late in wrestling history, too. Mm -hmm. You know? And in a period where... you know. uh, the average TV crowd for the national promotions these days is what usually at most five to six thousand. That's incredibly impressive, even with the you know lower ticket prices and stuff. It is. Yeah, I mean it's just that that is Memphis results. They kind of they kind of like an eyesore, you know. Mm. But anyway, all right. Uh, the, Let's talk about Paul Alperstein's American Wrestling Federation, Bix. They had their second round of tapings on November 29th and November 30th in Chicago. Apparently the idea was to, between nine hours at this taping and four at the previous taping, have 13 shows in the can and try to shop the tape around. Production quality was said to be top-notch, but the wrestling wasn't. We received reports that they had an audience, although those, those there said the audience consisted of mainly kids. The audience of actors to correctly respond. Wrestlers featured were Tito Santana, Johnny Gunn, of course that's that jobber Tom Brandy, Sergeant Slaughter, Mr. Hughes, Ron Powers, Chris Adams, Hercules, Tony Atlas, Texas Hangman, Bob Orton Jr., and Coco Beware. Main match tape was for the newly created AWF title where Tito beat Bob Orton in a three-quarter match while Jim Brunzel's referee and even flew Pedro Morales at ringside as a witness to the title match. Yes, this is the first version of the AWFX. Yes. And, uh, yeah, I mean... It's the same promotion. It that They run this, like... They run these tapings that start airing in early 95 on a limited basis in syndication. I always found that whole thing so weird. Like, this happens. They have these 13 shows. They... I saw one or two on MSG but I'm not sure how much it aired past that or if that was on MSG proper, if it was on the Prime feed. And then they just kind of go away for a year and start anew pretending that those shows never happened. Again, as I said before, I never had the first run. All I saw was the second run. Yeah, and when I say pretending the shows never happened, I mean... Yeah, they're doing the same shit. Yes, I mean, Tito Santana wins the newly created AWF title from in a match with Bob Orton. <laughs> And where Jim Brunzel's, I don't think it's a referee in that one, but he's the authority figure. Yes. And by then, Pedro Morales is in WCW. Uh, well, yeah. Good old AWF. Yes. Uh, 
at least there's some decent stuff on the earlier shows. The great, the production's great. Yes, <laughs> that's the thing. They had great production. They're doing the film style frame rate thing before everyone else. Kind of ran it into the ground. Good lighting. If ECW had that promotion at that time period, good God, you know. Yeah, but they didn't. And regarding the fans at this show, it's kind of like a current WWE show, isn't it? Well, they're not being paid. But no, but they. I mean, it's all they're basically all but reacting like that. <laughs> so, unless you're Seth Rollins. Well, but, unless uh, you're Seth Rollins and people have been catfishing fans in your name. What a wild story. But, uh... Yes. Oh, I yeah, pulled up I mean, the, uh... I pulled up the New York Daily News stuff, so it's... Uh, okay, so AWF at least starts airing on MSG on Saturday night, May 6th, at 10 p.m. And I guess they had replays, because I think there were one or two times that it aired next to, uh... Next to, uh, ECW, and... Uh, the slammer, the hardcore wrestling fan that we know that this New York Daily News sports writer really was, uh, talks here about how Razor Ramon is feuding with J.J. Jarrett. <laughs> Wasn't he on MTV? That's J.J. Oh, Jarrett. No, isn't there a J.J. Garrett, too? Well, I don't know, but I remember J.J. Jackson. Yes. By the way, don't you just love when you're looking through the New York Daily News on uh, newspapers.com? And they have, like, 35 different editions. <laughs> so uh, you have to scroll yes. through everything. <laughs> you have yes. to scroll through the same thing over and over. Um, yes. yes. Yeah, it looks like, at least from listings, the that, that uh, AWF ran on and off on MSG until, like, May. <laughs> on and off. Wrestling promotion. On and off on MSG, huh? I bet that I would have at least actually paid. <laughs> that won't happen again. All right. Uh, speaking of other uh, kind of national type startups, let's go to the NWA based out of Dallas, Jim Crockett Promotion. The other NWA in Dallas drew its biggest crowd to date of 790 fans, largely to see the return of Kevin Von Erich on November 26. Coming out with Scan the Art Bar, Von Erich received 65% cheers when he first came out. They did an angle where Dick Murdoch, Greg Valentine, and Black Bart attacked him. That's a threesome. And uh, Valentine used figure four, and he's pretty well over as a face the rest of the show. And beat Valentine in the main event. Sam Houston and Buddy Landell debuted on the car. Would have been looking like they were beginning a Landell-JYD feud. Chess Taylor is now doing a the Handsome Stranger gimmick, coming out with a winner's mask, winner's for AAA, and presenting it to a woman in a ringside for every match. This group ran uh, Thanksgiving night in Greenville, Texas, with Kevin Von Erich and only Drew five fans. All right, let's go to the results of this show, Bix, and you can talk about NBA Dallas. Belandell beat Chris Youngblood. Chas Taylor over Alex the Pug Porto. I'm sure that got some excitement on some channels. Yeah. <laughs> Tony Norris, the future Ahmed Johnson over Aries. Wait, Aries Austin. is someone else too, isn't he? Uh, oh, who was it? It's someone known, but I can't remember who. I would have loved to have seen uh, Austin Aries uh, working uh, Ahmed Johnson. That would have been quite the size difference. Do you think Ahmed uh, Johnson's Ari vaccinated? Aries is my Davis. Yes, I just found that too. Yes. Alright, uh Tully Blanchard over Action Jackson. Rob Price over Devin Michaels. 
Kevin Von Erich and, and Sam Houston over Dapper Dan and Rico Suave. Tully Blanchard beat Chris Adams in a match to determine who was the best of Geno's tag partners. <laughs> Chico Cabello beat Rico Suave. Chaz over Dapper Dan. Action Jackson over the Wolfman. Frank Lawless, Michael P.S. Hayes, and Ricky Rotten being the Renegade Warriors, Marcus Youngblood, and Junkyard Dog. And Sam Houston over Buddy Landell. And Ken Von Erich over Greg Valentine. That Tully and Chris Adams match should have been a triangular match with the... Uh, <laughs> why am I forgetting his name all of a sudden? Graham Marcus. <laughs> Possibly, yeah. Who was, who was truly the best dynamic duo? Yes, for those of you who don't know, the original Geno dynamic du- duo was not with Tully or Chris. It was with Grand Marcus Sr. Mm-hmm. But any other thoughts on the NWA Dallas promotion in general? At least there are some people here that aren't just Dallas guys. Yeah. Not people who will help him draw any money. No. Especially on any kind of scale. But at least he's uh, doing something a little different. And I think this was more for the house shows than the TV tapings. But Crockett is also trying to go like super old school too. Like how only the main event would have entrance music and stuff. Yeah. Which... I appreciate what he was trying to do, but not not how you do things by 1994. No. All right, let's close up with the World Wrestling Federation. And I just lost my spot. My train of thought, actually, too. All right, Diesel. Your liver AKA, spot, your dog spot. Well, it's Kevin Nash. Diesel, a.k.a. Kevin Nash, became the latest attempt to recreate a Hulk Hogan by capturing the WF title from Bob Backlund in just eight seconds with a jackknife powerbomb on November 26th of Madison Square Garden. The title switch came just three days after Survivor Series, where Backlund had won the title from Bret Hart and Deeds had turned babyface on partner Shawn Michaels. The quickie title change was largely given away to anyone who could read between the lines on television Saturday, both nationally and locally in the New York market. On USA Network's WF Mania show, it was announced to be a title match between Backlund and Diesel, replacing the injured Bret Hart. At the Garden, the WF would open its 900 number line for live commentary in the match starting at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. In New York market, the title change was telegraphed even deeper by announcing the match was a no DQ, no counter, no submission, thereby rendering Backlund's chicken wing useless. Backlund also did an interview for the New York market complaining that he had to train to wrestle Bret Hart and not Diesel. All right, well, let's go to the promos. So first, we'll go to that New York market promo first. So this is the New York-centric promo that we air on TV. And this is both Bob and Diesel's promos? Uh, Yes. Okay. Live event news. Welcome back, New York, to Live Event News. I'm Charlie Min. I want to remind you again, family appreciation night tonight. Madison Square Garden in Manhattan, 8 o'clock p.m. Every ticket price will be lowered to show our appreciation to our fans. Now, earlier in the hour, I promised you that we would hear both from Diesel and Bob Backlund about their pinfall match tonight. Bob Backlund is the new WWF champion, and here are his comments. And as far as Madison Square Garden goes tonight, Tony... What are you trying to prove? And I signed a match to wrestle against Brett the Hitman Hart. He doesn't have to wait 10 years. 
He's got the match tonight. And they claim that he's not going to be there. Well, I prepared for him thoroughly. And who is this diesel man? What has he ever done? Did he ever win the W for the NCAA? A gigantic gorilla? A seven-foot gorilla? That's all he is. Bob Backlund has clearly lost it. Here now is Big Daddy Cool's response. You know something, Backlund? It's about time somebody puts you out of your misery. And you know what? I think I'm the one. New York City thinks I'm the one. And you know what? Tonight, Bob Backlund in the garden, Big Daddy Cool is going to come in, black and chrome, and he's going to leave black, chrome, and gold. Diesel appears very confident about tonight's match. Tickets for this great event will be available at the box office, all Ticketmaster ticket centers. Tonight, Madison Square Garden Family Appreciation Night. You know the most amazing thing about that clip is? Charlie Min's sweater. Charlie Min, period. And the fact that he actually uh, uh, got employment in the World Wrestling Federation, considering Kevin Dunn's feeling towards foreigners. Well, he's not a foreigner. He's... Well... Of, of it, Asian descent. I, I, I'm going to be honest, though, because of how white these roles are in this era, it is weird to go back and see Charlie Min in this role just because WWF had had been and continued to be after he left so white in those kind of announcer spots. And, and, and it's, it's the fact of how Charlie... How he he acts because he's very animated. He, I, mean, I mean, you watch him; it's like it's like you're, you're looking at a uh, like Doctor Ken was maybe doing, playing Charlie and Men there or something like that. You know, he's very animated. You know, using his hands and stuff like that. Yeah, especially just, for uh, the event center thing, they normally weren't. The yeah, because normally weren't that yeah, animated. You're used to Gene and Sean Mooney and people like that who are very you know cool, calm, and collective. <laughs> Not Charlie Man. <laughs> ah. <laughs> yeah, I really I mean, I don't remember a whole lot of Charlie Men, you know. I remember him being there, but I said I don't remember him a lot. Mm -hmm. Because we really didn't have a lot of event centers here because they weren't coming here a whole hell of a lot. So what so. did you get in the local promo spots in syndication in this era? I don't even remember. I can't even tell you. Because previously, it was the event center with the generic promos. Yeah. But I, I, that doesn't really fit with the live event news format. I really can't tell you. I don't know. But, uh, so, so you, you watch that. I mean, I I, I see what, the, what they're saying. I mean, that, that, that really telegraphed it. If I'm a New York fan, boy, I need to get down there if I want to see a title change. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's right there in your face. Well, let's go national, shall we? So let's see how everything went nationally with this. Let's see if uh, we get the same type of vibe here. All right. See it, ladies and gentlemen! See it. So wait, to be clear, this is from USA or this is from the other syndicated shows? This is from the syndicated shows. Okay, so this is this is something I would not have seen then. Possible. Okay. Ooh, boy! 
a glorious day. Ladies and gentlemen, the WWF belt is in the hands of the rightful owner. I've owned this belt since 1978. And they procured it from me in 1983. But in 1984, it returned to me. 1984. And I rule. I rule the world. You amoral people. Have a man that you can look up to you. You children have a man that you can idolize. Mr. Bob. I'm not going to be fallacious with you people. Fallacious? I'm not going to be mendacious with you. And Tony, what have you done? What have you done? I fought with the bureaucracy involved in the WWF for too long. I signed for the hitman. I know him. I studied him. And Tony, you put this giant man in there, this man with no credentials. I'm a NCAA champion. He can't get in the same ring with me. You're a big, voluminous man, Diesel. <laughs> but I'm fighting something bigger than you. My heart and my pride and my dignity. You can't defeat me. I'm walking into that ring. The WWF champion, and I'm walking out the champion with my head way up in the air. Because I'm going to, I'm going to put morality back into everybody's life. Hi, Mr. Backlund. Big Daddy Cool here. I'm your opponent. What do you have to say about that? You know something, champ? Looks like you've got your work cut out for you. You know, you say I've got no credentials. You say I've got no business facing you. What have I done? I've dominated the World Wrestling Federation since I've walked in the door, Bob. Wake up. Where have you been? Let me tell you something, Mr. Backlund. Your vocabulary, your Barney Miller era suits, <laughs> those beautiful false teeth that you have. Oh, yeah. You've got the look of a champion. You know, in 1978, when you were champ, people were buying Ford Fairmonts. I don't think they're buying them anymore, Bob. And I know I'm not buying you as champion. So, whether it be tomorrow the next day, it doesn't matter, Bob, because I'm going to beat you. You see, I'm the new generation. Things now in America are bigger and better than they've ever been before. You're a throwback, Bob, a throwback.
from a time when manufacturing in this country was at an all-time low. Hey, America's strong again. You got a problem with America? Take a hike. I've been around the globe. This is... And they said, sorry, a computer took your job. <laughs> Still the best country this world has to offer. You got a problem with the morality? Look someplace else. I think this country's still got a lot to offer. And Backlund, take a look, because you're looking at the next World Wrestling Federation champion. Guarantee it, Mr. Backlund. See ya in the ring. I like how Vince has him doing the diesel rubbing his wrist on the gloved hand thing throughout yeah. the entirety of the promos so he can get a pump and his arms look bigger. Yes. Yeah. God damn, we know we can't show your legs. <laughs> Upper body business, pal. Um so what what did you think was the more effective promos? The national promos or the local promos? I think Bob's local promo was more effective. I think Diesel's national promo was more effective. Yes, I agree. I think Bob Backlund's national promo... Uh, Too rambling. That and just the voice and everything. You know... It got... Yeah, it just got... You gotta talk like this. Yeah, so if you yeah, if you're watching this, I mean, there's no way in hell you're thinking that Bob Backlund's going to be the champion after that weekend. There's just no way. It wasn't possible. Of course, not possible. So at the Garden, before crowd estimated it's at seventy three hundred. Ooh! Wow! All this work they did to promote a title change, basically. They're all but telling you the title will change hands. 7300. And I I I'm guessing in this era, I mean I could dig around to the Jersey newspapers and stuff. I don't think we would have gotten attendance in any of the newspapers, would we? Uh at this point in time, let me uh, look and see. Probably not, right? Bob Backlund. Alright, the date on this let's just say Alright, let's see here. Nope. Nothing. Nothing at all. Mm. So, anyway. Uh, the Garmin before an estimated crowd 7,300. Announcer Howard Finkel made the announcement of the match, but stated in a tease that it would be a non-title match, and then exuberantly corrected himself at the supposed change of plans given him by Agent Rene Goulet. What? But huh? they advertised it as a... On TV. Nationally! Yes! And, but not just nationally, on the show that aired... Like eight hours earlier. I know. But what? What are they doing? What are they doing? I stand corrected. <laughs> he normally does that type of stuff when they're talking about the next month shows, not that night. And they already advertised it. Anyway, um, early in the show, Backlund did a live interview to, of course, a heavy booze, claiming he was a much better moral leader than Bret Hart. While fans chant for both Brett and Diesel, the match itself was short in, as it needed to be because it was in there. With all the fireworks added to the huge crowd reaction to a title change, 
later in the show, Diesel came out and the fans admits another barrage of fireworks. And he was called the leader of the new generation on Monday Night Raw Live on November 28th. Nash, built at seven foot tall, he's listed at 6'9 when he played basketball, is a Michigan native who played college basketball at Memphis State in the late 70s. False. <laughs> False. He played in Tennessee. <laughs> what? And he played in European leagues for a few years in the early 80s. He started bodybuilding and was working out as a bouncer at the Atlanta club, Cheetah, the Cheetah, the most famous strip club in Atlanta, where wrestlers and WCW manager frequently hung out. And the huge bouncer called the Well, Yeti it's Osarbo not the most famous strip club in Atlanta. Cold it is the most famous. No, it is the most famous strip club in Atlanta for people in Atlanta. Oh, okay, gotcha. I, I wasn't sure how you meant that. Because it's still standing tall and it's still the number one strip club to this day after all these years. Because uh, it's been open for over 40, well over 40 years. How's the food? Uh, well, Oluvia is a, is a steakhouse that is adjacent to the China. Like you can walk into the cheetah from Aluvia, mm-hmm. and it's it, and for numerous years it was voted best steak in Atlanta by cre- that's uh, Creative right. You you've that's right. You've talked about this before. Yeah, it's an amazing restaurant, and it's right there inside the cheetah, basically. But anyway, um, they talked him into trying wrestling. The plans were to give him major pushes due to his size from the beginning, but he flopped in his original roles as a master blaster in Oz. And eventually became Benny Vegas as a tag partner at Time Dallas Page, a character that was basically the prototype for his diesel role. In 1993, over a contract, the street he left WCW where he's going nowhere in prelims to join WF and Shawn Michaels as his bodyguard. It was evident after getting over his babyface by being portrayed as an unbeatable monster crew in the ring in 94 Royal Rumble that his future was as a babyface. And they teased the turn virtually the entire year to the point where he was pretty much heavily cheered the past few months at most of the house shows despite playing a heel role. Backlund, 45, held the title twice in 1978-1983, got the honors of being a three-day transitional champion. And until Shawn Michaels recovers from his hand injury and can return to the ring and wrestle, will be the headliner who opposes Diesel on his first house show run. Now, Backlund's first and only successful title defense was on November 25th in Pittsburgh, losing by Canada to Dave Boy Smith. Well, at least he got to defend it once. Now, on Action Zone, the next day, they aired the match and interviewed Diesel had that was happening in the garden the night before. So let's go to that, shall we? Do we have the promo from action zone? Cause this is just the match clip. Uh, this is the match clip. I don't think we had the promo from action zone. Let me look and see. Um, well, I can play this, start playing this at least, but, but I remember that yeah, let me that wasn't being see. particularly good. So let's play this in the meantime. Yeah. Uh, okay. I, I, I'm, I'm finding it right now. Okay. Ben Bret Hart temporarily out of action. Big Daddy Cool, the ranked number one contender. Compel rings and Diesel. The ranked number one contender. Monster seizes the opportunity. What a boot to the midsection. And then from there, Bob Backlund. Jackknife to the canvas. Diesel, a cover. And in a record-setting eight seconds, Diesel becomes the new World Wrestling Federation champion. The celebration was on as Big Daddy Cool became the leader of the new World Wrestling Federation generation. That was a hearty World Wrestling Federation from Vince there. Yeah, it was. Um, I'm I'm getting the 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 cue right now, so hold on just a second as I do that. But I mean, if you're gonna do that title change like that, that's the perfect way to do it. How they did it was the perfect way of handling it. 
And um, oh, I found it isolated actually. Diesel, new WWF champion promo, uh, November 27th. Well, this is a different thing. This is from what? Wrestling with Paul or something? Uh, this is from... Um, all right, let's just watch this real quick, and then we can watch watch yours. All right, so let me... Okay. All right, hold on. <laughs> all right, here we go. Well, because one aired on Challenge, and I'm not sure the one that aired on Challenge was the same that aired on Action Zone. This is Vince and Todd talking about it, and they're showing clip, uh, uh, clips from the garden. Not the match, but the post-match. This is the where they show Diesel doing the thank you and stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. The awesome Bull Nakano, that big leg drop, a Lundra blaze all over and in front of over 40,000 at the Tokyo Egg Dome. Bull Nakano, the new WWF yes, Women's Champion. but there is a return clause, by the way, in the, in the contract. So, therefore, Bull Nakano must now defend the title, and I would suggest, unquestionably, against Alundra Blaze. Yeah. Now, speaking of champions, when we come back here on the Action Zone Oof. this afternoon, we'll hear from yet another new champion. You got that right. The new WWF generation, the seven-foot diesel. He spoke to us last night in Madison Square Garden. We'll have that for you when we return. Welcome back, everyone, to more of the WWF Action Zone. It was just last night, as we stated many times before, Diesel becomes the World Wrestling Federation champion in eight seconds. What? Eight seconds. Can you imagine you can't even nuke a cup of coffee in eight seconds? No, you can't. That's how long it took Big Daddy Cool to take away the title from Bob Backlund. Bob Backlund was nuked, although Backlund claims he wasn't ready for that match. He was looking for a rematch with the hitman Bret Hart. And uh, well, I think he uh, makes some sense there. Well, Bret Hart's due back in early January, right? right? He is suffering some obviously painful injuries. So we'll, we'll be back, see though. what happens. Yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen, in, uh, in a moment, we're going to take you to this footage now. We're going to pick it up. Diesel, I guess some, uh, oh, maybe almost an hour had passed by right. since he won the championship. What does he do? He walks back out in the Madison Square Garden. What does he say? <laughs> Let's take a look. Does this have the parade clips on it, by the way? No. Aw. All right, okay. so now let's go Let's go to the challenge promo then, and then we'll talk about it. Yeah, I guess this is challenge then, because it would be on the Action Zone thing that you linked, right, if it was from there. Mr. Bob Backlund. Hi, Bobby boy. It's me, Big Daddy Cool. World Wrestling Federation Champion. And in no way have I added to any decay. You know, Bob, you're kind of an expert in decay. Taking a look at those choppers you've got. Floss and brush after each meal. Bobby boy, it wouldn't have happened. Belong in a cage? I'm an animal? Bob, I'm a genetic wonder. And I'm much more articulate than you. I don't have to go to a dictionary to pick my words. As a matter of fact, Bob, actions speak louder than words. And I took something from you 
more precious than life. And I took it in a matter of seconds. And I can do it any time I wish. Bob Backlund, say hello to your World Wrestling Federation champion for as long as I want. Bob, you want it? Come get it. I'm a real easy man to find. You know what's such a shame about this? What? He's still Diesel here. So well, you know, you know what this is? That auto played for some reason, oh, even though I thought it. You know what? The, you, <laughs> I, mean, talking, oh God, I don't want to say nothing about this fucking egg. Uh, you know, you know what this is. I mean, th- th- this is a basically. This is Sting. I mean, he's he's the he's Sting when Sting is like the early babyface Sting, and then he became you know as Sting evolved, he changed his whole promo style and didn't have that that, that energy. That he used to have. He's, oh, that, oh man, Rossi, I'm so excited. I don't even need, know what to stay, say, Sting. Yeah. He's like, say whatever, you know, just say whatever. You know, he's not overly thinking, you know, everything. like. And, and then he becomes a... But, you know, a lot of that is what they wanted him to become. Well, that's what I was going to say, though. He goes from being Diesel, but as a babyface, to being Kevin Nash. Yes. That's the problem. Yes. Basically. And it's as soon as he comes out on Raw as champion. That first live promo he does. He's mild-mannered Kevin Nash. Yeah. Everything after this weekend of pre-tapes is the way you remember Babyface Diesel. Well, get the network ready, because, you know, that promo is on this Raw we're going to talk about, so... Go ahead and find that, and we'll, that, we'll talk about It's not in Wrestling With Paul? Well, it's on the network. Well, and, sometimes and, that's and, us and, also and, in Wrestling and, and, With Paul. Well, and another thing, too, is the connection will be better, because you've been dipping in and out on me as we've been having this uh, discussion. <laughs> yeah, the VPN does some weird magic sometimes. You've sounded fine. Um, but yeah, you go, you, you'll go, go boop. Well, you know what? We're going to have to stop recording to do that anyway, so bloop bloop. Let's make a little edit here, everybody. Well, anyway, uh, let's see here. Let's go to the torch. The plan is a few weeks ago was not to have Diesel win the belt, but instead for back on the hold of the belt for at least a few months. Sometime in recent weeks, if not recent days, those plans changed. The plans did not change because of Bret Hart leaving WF, which many fans probably had thought happened based on the last second substitution. In fact, the return date for MSG was announced on January 16th, and Fink was sure fans that Bret would be back in action on the card. This move surprised most of the wrestling world, including WF wrestlers who didn't expect a Diesel title victory until next year. Word around the industry was that ever since around WrestleMania early this year, the plan was for Diesel to be the champion at or before WrestleMania next year. What was surprising was that the title change came so soon without warning. Why Diesel? Diesel's been a favorite of fans at arena events for over a year. In fact, more than anything, it was a fan reaction to the house shows that shaped this current mega push. Diesel also has size going for him. And manager finds his attitude one of the best they've seen in years. Really? Diesel's also improving constantly and is considered to have good enough in-ring skill to not stand out poorly in main events. Why now? That question has been asked all weekend within the industry. Apparently, WF wanted Bret Hart to sell his injury while he took time off to film episodes of The Lonesome Dove in Calgary. Hart has shown strong interest in moving into acting several months ago. 
apparently WF is accommodating him. Without a natural opponent for Backlund, Fallen Survivor Series without bread available, the WF immediately needed to establish a new feud. Perhaps the feeling was Diesel would draw more of a Southern champion defending against Backlund than he was a challenger who no one thinks has a chance to win. So do you think that this was a last-second deal, or do you think this was the plan all along? I think it depends on how long the finish of the pay-per-view match was planned. Because you can't have Brett in a protected finisher submission for 10 minutes and not sit out the following weekend's house shows. Well, my thing is, I think this was a plan because they already knew what they were going to do for um, for the uh, TV promos. They had all that taken care of. I mean, that's something that you don't do on such short notice. You well, know what I'm saying? Also, everyone was kind of anticipated that this show would be the Diesel turn anyway. Well, yeah. So, I mean, there was, and the show, Survivor Series, was on, was it Wednesday? Yes, Thanksgiving Eve. This is the last it, Thanksgiving Eve Survivor Series, I believe. Day before Thanksgiving. And you're, when are they, so they're probably taping the uh, syndicated TV promos at the building. In San Antonio, yeah. Yes, I gotta think so. So, that means they knew immediately, because the way the promos were done, that Diesel was winning the title. Well, you know what? It's possible that they brought him to the studio once he came into New York for the weekend. So, well, you know what, though? But don't they usually have syndication promos sent out by Thursday? Or syndication tapes and feeds? Yes, yes. They had had to. to have been done in the, if not in the building, then before. Yeah, yeah, exactly. As I said, so this was this was in the plans. This was not a a last second deal. Now, is it possible there's an element of it that changed once they didn't have Randy Savage as the special referee? Maybe, but that would yeah, have still been a few weeks out anyway. What would I mean? What would they have done with Backlund? I mean, who would the, who would have been Backlund's opponent? If you're not doing a title switch, yeah. And you're gonna and think about it, and think about this. You're gonna save it for WrestleMania, so so you're taking that backlin and, and Diesel would be the WrestleMania main event. I don't know if that'd be a good WrestleMania main event. Also, to show how much times change, Brett has to sell his injury. Davy does not have to sell his injury. <laughs> yeah. Despite Davy having the massive head injury that caused him to be knocked unconscious for 15 minutes. But Davy ain't going to do acting either. Well, but no, there's no way this whole thing is last minute. No, not at all. Yeah, and Diesel's wearing, I mean, the promo where he's wearing the belt. I mean, it's the same as that. He's wearing the same as that gear. He looks exactly the same as he does in the other promos. Oh, yeah, there's no way that promo was shot at the Garden. No. No, not at all. But anyway. All right, so full results of that card are as follows. It's from Torch. In the opener, the Bushwhackers defeated Well Done when Luke pinned Timothy Well in a fast-paced opener that began his comedy and moved towards more action. Aldo Matoya, M-A-T-O-Y-A. He hasn't been <laughs> defeated, on TV yet. Defeated Quang with a sunset flip and a hog tie. A what? There was almost no reaction for Matoya, although both wrestlers showed some impressive maneuvers. And I believe at the previous show when they said that, again, because he, he had not been on TV yet then either, obviously, if he hasn't been on TV yet now, um, I remember the Torch Report 
said that uh, Finkel said that the next show will feature the debuting Auto Matoya, <laughs> who, with in parenthesis, Brian Lee question mark. Because <laughs> at, the, at that thought? point, well, at that point, people think Brian every Lee is coming in. Yes, exactly. Yeah, whatever you can give it to Brian Lee. Wasn't there speculation that Jeff Jarrett well, Brody would be Brian well, Lee? Well, we're going to get into that in later. Okay. Uh, Razor Ramon <laughs> and Jeff Jarrett to win the Continental Championship. The retain, excuse me. Ramona first had lost by count, but the matchup match was restarted because Jarrett won to win the title. Many near falls, the hard work by both men made this to stand that match on the card, sitting me nearly four stars. So basically, they did the, what would be the Royal Rumble match here. Yeah. Mabel pinned Pierre de Quebecer with a dive on the second rope. Mabel wrestled his usual match, and Pierre appeared to be working very hard. Diesel then pinned Bob back on the win the day of title. After intermission, the head shrinkers defeated the executioners with Fatu pinned Payne after a top rope headbutt. This was said to be painful to watch. The executioners replaced Shawn Michaels and Diesel, are actually scheduled to defend the tag titles. They were announced on that day's television programs as being stripped of the titles by virtue of splitting up as a tag team. Executioners here, Bix, were who? I'm guessing, as usual in this era, Barry Hardy and Dwayne Gill. Okay. Um, after Diesel made a cameo appearance to thank the fans, which we played, British Bulldog fought Kid Call Bundy to a double cat out. And then Undertaker pinned IRS with a tombstone in the main event. Said to be well paced for the WF title match. The Diesel uh, backlash match was, well, eight seconds. Cameras were on hand for the entire they card. Meant, no, they meant, he meant well-paced for a WWF main event. Well, it's a title match here, Bix. No, but it's after, it's not after the title match. Why would you? I know that? that, but that's what it says. He's talking so. about Undertaker IRS. He means that it was a okay. well-paced match. Okay. Uh, cameras were on hand the entire card, so there were early clues that something significant was likely to happen. Oh, do you think? The crowd was around 8,000, a drop from the previous month's attendance of 12,000. Although there were a few th- thousand three, a few thousand freebies factored into uh, last month's crowd. The overall car was said to be good for a variety of reasons, partially because the crowd was buzzing all night after the title change. The most expensive MSG seats are normally twenty five bucks. Saturday night, those tickets were reduced to twenty as part of Family Appreciation Night. So how about that? They went with top price being twenty five in major markets for a long time. It's not until. Yeah. Really, when business starts picking back up, I think that they raise the prices at all. Yeah. Um, which also, just seeing this here too, the most expensive seats at MSG are normally uh, 25 for these house shows. I forget what the paper... I don't remember what the normal pay-per-view top ticket price would have been, but it's amazing when you see stuff, you know, like Herb Abrams three years before this was charging, what was it, like $100 ringside for beach ball? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's Herb Abrams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody had to pay for the cocaine. Um, Let's stick with the torch here. Gene Oakland on the hotline. Stirred up trouble over the weekend. We reported on the WCW hotline that Bret Hart had contacted WCW about possibly coming in. This is talking about that kind of what we mentioned earlier. Since then, other sources not void of credibility like Oakland have said that Bret is not negotiating. <laughs> There were rumors, naturally, that Brett was upset with Diesel getting the title victory. Other sources close to the situation say Brett's not upset with the storyline and knew full well what was going to happen and did not disapprove. At MSG, Howard Finkel stressed that Brett would definitely be on the 16th. January Carr probably responds to Oakland's 900 hotline report that day. 
Brett even had to deny the rumors during the weekend to acquiring parties. Given Brett's public war wars with Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan in the last couple of years, it's unlikely with those two in charge of WCW, the heart would be, feel confident he would be used well in WCW, as we talked about earlier. So, Lord. Gene Oakland. Yeah, let me pull up the relevant portion of Brett's book, if I can find it. Because he does have some interesting thoughts about uh, them taking the title off of him. Uh, all right, here we go. Um, I need to look back. Oh, I'm do searching for Backlund. I think he calls him Bob there, and that's throwing me off. He, I know, I'll try to find it, but he makes a comment about how he thought that Bob had done such a great job with the new gimmick and getting heat and stuff that he didn't like that they took the belt from him so quickly. Well, I mean, I understand that, but... I mean, it's a transition champion deal. You know, it's the way it is. Uh, but anyway. Oh, here we go. At the November 8th tapings in Bushkill where they find out about the Savage stuff. Here's what Brett writes. That same day I found out it was going to be Sean and Diesel in the main event at WrestleMania 11, which I had no problem with. I just worried I would be aw- it would be awfully hard on my body to keep this thing with Bob red hot for another four months to be able to carry off an I Quit submission match at the big show. So there we go. Not only not only do, does he know he's dropping the title to Bob and Bob is dropping it to Diesel, he knows what all of their WrestleMania matches are going to be. There you go. The so yeah, this was fucking planned. That's what we were saying. That's what notes. Yeah. Plans change bullshit. Man, God bless Bret Hart for keeping an audio diary for his entire career. <laughs> yeah. All right, Raw was in Poughkeepsie, New York on November 28th at the Mint Hudson Civic Center. They aired live and taped two feature Raws. 1,200 in a 2,000-seat building. It had sold out in the past. No return date was announced, so it appears WF is giving Poughkeepsie a break from Raw tapings after being a regular stop for the last year and a half. In the opening dart match, Razor Ramon, Razor Ramon beat Tatanka with a sunset flip, but two appear to be unfamiliar working with each other. Otherwise, it would be an okay match. Also, I'm pretty sure the Mid-Hudson Civic Center holds more than 2,000. Isn't it closer to 3,000? Something like that. That is not a good crowd for the Mid-Hudson Civic Center. Not at all. On the live Raw on November 28th, Jerry Lawler was back doing a commentary. Uh, IRS and Adam Bomb ended with a guy in the cloth who came out with IRS who turned to beat Tatanka, shoved Bomb off the top, and he was pinned. Lex Luger made the save. So this is the first appearance of any of the Druids, I guess. Yeah. Then we get the Diesel interview. So let's listen to the, the, the contrast between Diesel here on Raw and the Diesel that we heard on the syndicated shows over the weekend. Which, for all we know, could have been taped in Bushkill three weeks earlier. Yeah, I don't think, I think it was taped in San Antonio. Probably. That still would have been a little bit of a rush, though. If the TVs are going out Thursday from Stanford. So, yeah, it's already, they're already doing live. They're already, it's probably on the live feed. Well, also, if Diesel is the champion, if they, they know he's going to be champion. It's entirely possible they also just threw, flew him into Stanford at some point in the previous few weeks. It's possible. But either way, well, here's the thing. I Even for Vince and it being... 
you know, and the, with it being this era, I don't think, I just don't see him changing his mind that quickly in this era. He's not changing his mind. We didn't come to that conclusion, Bix. No, I mean about the uh, the presentation of Diesel. But let's let's hear the promo and go from there. Ladies and gentlemen, would you please welcome the new World Wrestling Federation Champion, the one, the only, seven foot, 300 plus pounds, here he comes, Big Daddy Cool, the new WWF Champion, Diesel. They took way too long to get him real music. for you, Diesel, and that must really make you feel great. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. All right, let's take you back to the Survivor Series, if we may. An unbelievable stellar performance. Single... Boy, is it obvious that you probably shouldn't be doing pyro in the Mid-Hudson Civic Center. (laughs) Look how smoky it is. Yeah. Handedly almost annihilating everyone else on the other team until Shawn Michaels decides he wants to get into the ring. And, of course, we know what happened after that. I would suggest that was the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak. We know we had a strategy where everybody was going to go in on the Teamsters. We're going to show what we had as a team. Somehow, when I uh, got in, Shawn decided I would stay in. And when I started to run out of gas, or should I say diesel... Sean decided it was time to stay in a little bit longer. I jackknife Razor Ramon. Now, Sean Michaels wants the tag. And we all know how much Sean loves the spotlight, don't we? Oh, yes, we do. We definitely know about that. But uh, he didn't uh, exactly get what he thought he was going to get. As a matter of fact, uh, we last saw him uh, in his automobile getting out of town. Yeah, I got a message to you, Sean Michaels. Wherever you may be, that is. In Survivor Series, you might have got away. And I tell you, if I would have got my hands on you that night, you wouldn't have survived. Obviously, you did. You survived, as a matter of fact, since Shawn Michaels decided to uh, dump the tag team championship belt into the trash can. Obviously, there was a disillusionment of the tag team championship combination with you and Shawn Michaels. Therefore, Jack Tunney had to make a decision. With Therefore, Brad Hart temporarily out of action, you were named number one contender for your opportunity in Madison Square Garden. Tell us how that felt that day. Describe that day, if you would. Well, I woke up at 4 o'clock in the morning because I couldn't sleep. I was scheduled to fly in from Pittsburgh at about 8 o'clock. I took an earlier flight so I could get into the city. Took a cab from LaGuardia 
into the city and decided I'd walk the streets. I walked the streets of New York City and a person here and a person there wished me good luck. And as each person came to me and wished me good luck, I felt a little bit better about my chances. And as the day went on, after a couple of hundred people came up to me and said, hey, Big Daddy, do the job tonight at the garden. No, that would be bad. Gold, Big Daddy. <laughs> well, like Jackie Gleason says, how sweet it is because Big Daddy has got that gold. Yes, but I would suggest that uh, I, I would suggest, I would suggest. you have not heard the last of the man who is the master of the cross-faced chicken wing, Bob Beckham. Hey, Bob, now besides those bow ties, which I got to say are quite stellar, hey, you're a real wrestler, you're a real man, I respect you. If you get the cross-wing chicken on me, hey. The what? Cross-wing chicken. It might be trouble the for me, t- but you know what, Bob? You got to get it on me. You gotta get it. Whether or not that can be accomplished, I guess maybe time will tell. The hitman Bret Hart is watching us tonight, temporarily laid up. As a matter of fact, we uh, had him on the phone a few minutes ago. Any uh, words for the hitman? Well, I don't know Bret that well. I did combat with Bret in June at King of the Ring. It's 30 minutes of hell. The man is a great competitor. He was a true champion. I don't like the way Bret Hart's belt was taken from him. Because I think I know, and everybody out there knows, that if they were waiting on Bret Hart to give up on his own, Survivor Series would be going on right now. I have to agree with you there. Now, I've been a champion for a few hours, a couple of days. It's all new to me. But if there's one thing I can do one thing I can emulate from Bret the Hitman Hart is I want to become, as he was, a fighting champion. Bret never. Yes, the fighting is champion of all time. Bret never turned down a challenge. I'm not real proud of the way I got mine, but he didn't turn it down when the time came. And Bret. Enjoy that great family you have right now. Enjoy your time off. I'm sorry about the injury, but I'll tell you, as a man with my word and my hand out in front of you, anytime, anywhere, Bret Hart, you want a shot at this belt, brother, you got it. That's a promise from Big D. Big D. All right. Yeah. Any, uh, any last words of wisdom? Let me think. On lives the new generation and the world wrestling generation. Yeah. yeah. There you have it, Big Daddy Cool, the new World Wrestling Federation champion. What the All hell right. was that? Well, let me read what Wade said, and then we'll uh, get your thoughts on it. All right, decent interview, which is entirely too long. What's his day? Not way. Decent interview that's entirely too long. And he needs to smooth it all, trying to be a babyface. This isn't to say this isn't going to work, but if the diesel thing is to work, they have to be careful, even in short doses, like 911 and ECW, because it won't work if they don't keep the matches and interviews short. His weaknesses will be exposed if, if they're not careful not to let them be exposed. 
because a great deal of his charisma was the ability to stand there and do nothing and take the rub off of Mike's. The gist of it was he'd give Brad a title shot. But, so, yeah. Um, I didn't think it was bad. It's not as bad as it would get in the next couple weeks. No, he's still, he's, he's still, he's still, it's like he's still, he's fine. He's trying to find himself. The problem is, is, is what, that the himself that he found in the pre-tapes was pretty good. Yeah. But, I mean, this isn't, you know, he isn't wearing his sweaters yet. Or what was it he was wearing? The Santa the, hat the, the, of? No, and he was wearing stuff. Remember we did the January, uh, we did January 95 last, or this year, early this year. And we he was wearing this jacket. Oh, and the, it was like, the fringe and stuff, or no, 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 no. It was it was some type of colorful jacket that he was oh, wearing. Like and a it was like, jacket, kind of. No, it was a pre-tape that he did or something. But when they put him out there, you know, started having to go in the public events and all this other stuff, you know. Well, no, you know what was what really cemented it was that WWF magazine cover that comes out a few weeks later. Yeah, where he's just smiling like an idiot. Um. I did find the part of Brett's book I was looking for, which I had some trouble in part because it was actually much earlier than I realized. September 27th, 1994, Poughkeepsie. I gingerly took a seat in Vince's office, sensing the decision had been made about me dropping the belt. Backlund had slammed me as hard as he could ass first into the mat in a dark match the night before at TVs in Utica. I wouldn't find out for another two weeks that he'd actually cracked my pelvis. This new crazy Bob was beginning to get over. The howdy-doody heel with his red brush cut was a character disappointed with the crowd for booing him, since he'd always been so true and good. He was angry at them for having lowered their moral values. In the dressing room, Bob continued to be the picture of class, often had his face buried in huge books about politics, or he'd be working out in push-up position, relentlessly pushing a little metal wheel with handles on each side, back and forth, back and forth on dressing room floor. Vince began to lay out the finish for a Survivor Series match. Two months ahead, everybody. Mm-hmm. Things change, don't they? Oh, uh, well, yes. Owen would be in Bob's car. So he lays out the actual, you know. Okay, well, okay. Well, blah, 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 blah. And then, uh, okay. Brett said, even though I was losing the belt, I liked the drama of it. My feelings about Bob getting the belt had completely changed. He was trying so hard, and besides, how would I feel if a young buck had misgivings about putting me over someday? I felt kind of bad for Bob when Vince told me that he'd only be champion for three days, and then drop the belt to Diesel. By then, I'd be at home, supposedly injured, and Diesel would take my place wrestling Bob at the Garden, blah 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 blah. Maybe Vince felt he needed a champion as physically as big as Hogan. I suggested to him that he keep the belt on Bob. There was plenty of time for Diesel to make it to the top, but his mind was made up. Uh, Vince was full of surprises that day. He went on to say he was thinking of moving me into being, moving me up to being more of a spokesperson, the Babe Ruth of the WWF, as he originally had in mind for Hogan. He told me he wasn't putting me out to pasture, and more importantly, my, he said my salary wouldn't change. In fact, he insisted it would go up. And then he also gave him a custom leather jacket as a gift. Okay. I mean, on top of everything else there, besides that obviously they had been planning this for long enough that they could have taped those promos anytime. 
he wants to switch Brett into being the Babe Ruth of the WWF, as he always called it. At the end of September, when Savage is already in that role. And Vince knows that Savage's contract is up, but as far as anyone could tell, had no idea that he thought about leaving. So what what does that say? I have no idea. That's really weird, isn't it? I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know what to say. Especially because Savage was the first one since Bruno where Vince actually had what he wanted with that kind of legend on standby figure. Yeah. You know, Hogan clearly didn't want to do that. Savage didn't want to either, but he was going along with it for a while. Why is 30... I mean, technically, I think at this point he's still 36. I was about to say 37. I think he turns 37 in November. Why is 36, 37-year-old Bret Hart someone you're considering that with? I don't know. But anyway. All right, so... Backlund, it, it, Bob falling down, uh, as in the Michael Douglas movie Falling Down. Backlund in the show wearing a knitted professor suit and bow tie, and like he was out of his mind, and saying he put Vincent Mann in the chicken wing before he retired. I mean, he'd procure the crossface chicken wing. Yes. Lots of talk. Lots of talk. This is the beginning of an angle for WrestleMania. Boy, they really want that. They really wanted that Vincent Mann uh, wrestling match at WrestleMania for years, didn't they? Yeah. What was. Uh... Vincent Bruno versus Jesse and uh, Danny Davis being the original one. Yeah. At WrestleMania 3. Which I wonder if that was remotely close to happening or if that was just newsletter bullshit. Newsletter bullshit. That's what I meant. The, this is the newsletters wanting, they just wanting this to wrestle. Although, until they get to the explicit Heart Foundation alliance with Davis... It does kind of make sense that Bruno would be the guy you're building him for a big match with. Yeah. Once that changes, once he's explicitly in with Jimmy Hart and the Hart Foundation, then, of course, it ends up being whoever he screws for them, which ends up being the Bulldogs. And, you know, Tito is retconned into being screwed by Danny Davis. Yeah. <clears throat> so, um... Also, Tampa Gibson Future Raw show saw Brian Armstrong debut as Jeff Jarrett's manager with no name given. Probably a new Diesel-type bodyguard role. And interfering, allowing Jarrett to beat David Boy Smith on next week's Raw and so-so match. He had two matches with the Bushwhackers against Well Done. In the first, Harvey Whippleman's interference gives his team the win. Bushwhackers come back for a rematch, being matched by Howard Finkel. Finkel pulls down Whippleman's pants, leads the Whackers to victory. <laughs> Jinsei Shizaki debut managed by that ever charismatic Akio Sato. Looked very good. Shizaki, Nasato. IRS beat Lex Luger, but in the process, Luger revealed the Druid as Tatanka. And he had King Court, King's Course with Shawn Michaels and Backlund both ended up with challenges to Diesel. And then Diesel did a title defense against King Kong Bunny, which went two minutes. So Raw did a 2.8 rating. Ashes Zone did a 1.8, Mania 1.6. Ratings should be expected to be increased for that weekend based on the weekend. Falling up every number, they're always up. Plus all the hype building, Matt Square Garden's second title change. Given all that, the numbers are actually disappointing. Holy shit, are there a lot of words missing from those sentences? <laughs> Last second well, should be there instead of second. Um, it's Dave. There should be another word before numbers, at least. I don't know what's going on here. Um, okay. 
looking at these numbers, and then you'd expect this show to be doing a relatively big number. Yeah. What do you think is the catalyst for the ratings blowing up in in the spring? 95? Yeah. To the point where, you know, they do the 3.9 on the Jarrett Undertaker show. We're doing very consistent, like, 3.3 to 3.5s. Sean is a baby face. The increase was before that, though. Actually, you know who, what it probably is? It's probably Sean what? being all over the TV as the announcer. That puts him on the way to that. Yeah, but, he's a ba- but he's, he turns babyface in spring of 95. No, but I'm saying the ratings start to increase before that. It's just they really go up in the spring. Well, the, I mean, well, the angle's at the, Russell, well, at the WrestleMania. So they, they shot the angle, and it's the bill for Sean to come back. And Sean's back not too long after that. Yeah. He doesn't go away for a while. So I think that's what it is. And plus, and plus, you know, they were starting to get better. Things were starting to, ch- to change for the better. And, the, if that's and better feature matches on Raw. Among yeah, yeah, a lot of the bull- 94 bullshit's gone. I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's not perfect, but it's not what it had been. Yeah. All right, Howard Finkel's wife was one of the plants to crowd the raw table and saw the WF created signs. <laughs> so there's that. Uh, that's from the torch. Expect a major influence new town in the next few months. Beside Kensuke Shinzaki... That's his real name. name. As I mentioned last week, heading in are expected to be Brian Armstrong, Luis Piccoli, Mark Canterbury as a new Hillbilly Jim character called Henry Godwin as debuted this past weekend on videos, better known as WWE Shanghai Pierce, and Brian Armstrong. Brian Armstrong's listed twice. Who debuted as Jeff Jarrett's mystery manager on November 20th for KFC. He's doing a gopher routine. Something akin to a white Virgil. Chris Canino and Timmy Fitch have been talked about as trying to recreate a Blonde Bombers tag team with Candido and another wrestler managed by Fitch, a modern-day Ray Stevens-Pat Patterson gimmick. Although Dave doesn't know this for sure, he suspects Diesel will be getting strapped so soon in the case no Jim Helwig, since Diesel, Undertaker, Brett, Razor, and Luger. He'd be at best well down the pecking order, and with the money he wants, combined with the fact that without steroids, there wouldn't be an ultimate warrior as we know it, it doesn't make sense for the company in the direction they're going in. So, yeah, here we go, more warrior rumors. But this is them finally being aggressive, signing young talent. Mm-hmm. I mean, young talent. Also, I guess the plan was always for Dr. Tom or someone to team with Candido then, right? Yeah. or so, They want to do a Blonde Bombers tag team. So, yeah. I wonder who it would have. I don't think it would have been Dr. Tom here at this point in time because he's still heavily bodies, but it makes you wonder who it would have been. Yeah, and well, also, it's not Dr. Tom until Smokey closes and Jimmy Del Rey is not coming back. So take does take quite a while before we have the team. Um, also, for what it's worth, I pulled up uh, Corey's ratings, cable rating spreadsheet, and I I guess the Observer is very dormant as far as... Although I don't know if he's added everything from the Matt Watches we got. But ratings, I guess, news is fairly dormant for a while because we go from December 19th to the April 24th show that draws the 3.9. But at least from what we have here, they did go up to a 3.3 for the week after the week we're doing. And then went back down to a 2.8. And then it's consistent 
you know, threes to high threes until Nitro starts. Alright. But anyway, I mean, they, they needed this influx of new talent. Bad. Oh, yeah. Of good, good young talent. Yes, and we... Because Nitro was a bad year. I mean, let's think about this. Shinzaki, Candido... Al Snow later in the year, Shane Douglas later in the year, Dustin Rhodes later in the year. Ed Johnson later in the year. Yeah. Um, and you got when you got Godwin, you got uh you know, Candido. I mean they they and they they brought Janetti back. I mean and yeah, and you got Spicoli and his Rad Rafford. I mean yeah. it's every every T V match like mostly every T V match was like two guys that were you know, there wasn't a straight jobber in a lot of times. They still had them, but they started doing a lot more competitive <laughs> TV matches, yes. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Uh, all right, so Henry Godwin, they had the video. So let's uh, play the video they aired on TV during the week. Yes, although the sound effect that you're going to hear as his graphic hits the screen is supposed to look like mud or poop or whatever, that graphic and sound effect are not on the syndicated version of this promo for some reason. All right. Howdy, my name's Henry Godwin. I'm from Bitters, Arkansas. This here's my hog pen, and them mare with them some of my hogs. Some folks thinks hogs is mean. They think they ugly. And they think hogs are nasty. And they is. But the ugliest, meanest, nastiest hog of them all is me, Henry Godwin. And when I gets to the WWF, I'm finally going to be in hog heaven. You know Vince comes up with the Henry O'Godwin gimmick, or the name, with adding the initial from hearing him say that he's the toughest hog or whatever in the pen. God, is it? he should be hog. But is it me, or is or did that come up completely as a baby face promo? Yeah, that did not come off like a heel promo at all. I did not remember. No. This. no. So I kind of remember being surprised he was a heel when he came in. I'm like, what? Hmm. But yeah, that did not come off as a heel promo at all. It's so, a little weird. Yeah, it is. All right, Superstars taped on the 29th of Poughkeepsie. So Lex Luger over Jerry Lawler with a torture rack and a dart match. IRS is accompanied by a druid. He appeared to be Bam Bam Bigelow here. Henry Godwin debuted as the heel pig farmer in no reaction. Luger beat IRS by countout, what appeared to be a redone match in the previous night, where IRS scored the pin due to interference. They take three matches in the tag title tournament with Heavenly Bodies over the Bushwhackers, Tatanka and Bigelow over Men on a Mission, restarted at the WDQ, and Head Shrinkers over Owen Hart and Jim Neinhart by DQ. Most speculation is that Tatanka and Bigelow won the tournament, which probably starts on TV on Christmas Eve. They had to retape a joint squash because fans knocked over the guardrail during the match. Oops. Lawler did an interview with Paul Bear with him saying Undertaker wasn't in the building. Lawler bullied Paul Bear and Undertaker showed up and put yet another pie in Lawler's face. But the big story here is during the tapings, this is from the tourist, Tatanka spit in the face of a fan in the second row who was apparently was heckling him. As a result, WF officials did everything they could to soothe the situation by offering the fan free merchandise so he wouldn't further pursue the matter. He fucking spit on a fan. Good lord. What happened to that dude? I mean, it, it seems like you never heard anything bad about him, and then it just, like, things happened. 
Now, one of those things, it turned out to not actually involve him. He was uh, he was there, though. Well, it was never clear exactly what he was said to have done or had witnessed, though, with the Jimmy Delray thing, right? Yeah, but he was still there. He was there enough for him to be suspended, yes. So, yeah, I mean, it's not it's not good to spit on a fan. Good God. No. No matter how much you're being heckled, good Lord, get get a life. Get, get, get thick skin. Jesus. But anyway, for those in the Bay Area, the entire house show situation is a fiasco. The next house show is December 30th at the Cow Palace with Diesel and Backlund, Undertaker and IRS, etc. However, they've been advertised galore for December 3rd date with Backlund and Bret Hart on top. As late as the November 28th Raw show, a date that was canceled more than a month ago. Tell you everybody. We reported the December 3rd day here last week because we kept seeing the ads and were then informed that it had been moved to December 30th. However, as for December 3rd, with the outdated lineup, including Diesel still team with Shawn Michaels as a heel, continued to run. In addition, there are thousands of freebie tickets all over town for a December 3rd show, some of which were mailed out last week, as late as last week. Dave was told this is the only market these problems are occurring in, and it's due to internal restructuring. What? That, I presume, means an issue with whoever the West Coast promoter is after Zane Brasloff leaves. I mean, I guess so, but Jesus Christ. I mean, you can't do this. Using your, your customers. Yeah, this isn't good. Okay, if you got whatever you got going on, you need to... That This is an important deal you need to address. You can't do this. This is a major market house show. Yeah, the Bay Area, absolutely. Dunk Idaho. I mean, good lord. And, and hey, I mean, we talked about WCW earlier for the for the, the stupid shit they did with the Omni show. This is worse. This constant. Anyway, the Ico Pro Company was sold, and they're no longer part of the Titan structure. No. A sad day. Yeah. Well, you gotta want it, and no one did. <laughs> Titan is also talking about traveling outside the Northeast and going back to large arenas for TV tapings. Feeling the change away from that has taken away from the company's television product, Image League Luster. <clears throat> the problem isn't the size of the buildings the shows are filmed in. The problem is what's being filmed. First step will be January 8th in Houston, 10th in Corpus Christi, 11th in South Padre Island, also January 23rd in Palmetto, Florida, 24th in West Palm Beach, and 25th in Fort Myers. Word we're getting is they'll be doing tapings in California in March. That's another thing to ask for the 1995 aesthetic is they're finally back in nicer, bigger buildings. Yeah, I I get what Dave's saying, but you know what? They were running buildings that were not fit to be run for national TV. No. We've seen it on Twitter when people like tape machines are going over Raws from this era and looking up what the building actually is. A bunch of them are high school gyms. Basically, yes. I mean, it's not basically. It's literally. They just oh. used the name, like, they used whatever formal name, like the whatever field house, to make it seem like it wasn't a high school gym. But, you know, those, like the one in, um, oh, like the, oh, the, where was it upstate that Cornette debuted there? Or the, you know, and then Fernwood Resort. Those shows look terrible. <laughs> and 
I did like Fernwood, though, with the big the Fernwood name on the side of the building. Because it reminded you of Fernwood tonight? Yes. Of course. Um, Ray now, Martin Mall, Frank Willard vehicle, yes. I'm sure it wasn't the best for the pocketbook, but a even an empty but curtained-off Houston Summit still looked better on TV than that. And they started taping in the Macon Coliseum. They came to, to Georgia again. I mean, it, they were going around and doing different things. And yeah, I mean, it was good. Yeah. All right. I'm going to go through. I'm doing a search for taping in the results here. Let's see what we got. So we got the summit on the, on January 9th, 3,500, including paper. Who knows how much? And that's what, a quarter house in that building? Yeah. Or less? Uh Corpus the next night for superstars at the Memorial Coliseum sold out with three thousand. No right. attendance for South Padre Island at the convention center. Uh Manatee Civic Center twenty on January twenty third in uh Palmetto, Florida is twenty five hundred heavily papered. So still looks better excuse me, still looks better on TV. West Palm Beach yeah. Auditorium, five thousand, nothing about paid versus paper. Nothing listed for Fourth Myers as far as attendance. Macon Coliseum, did you go to that one? No. Twenty seven fifty one heavily papered. Um, no, I wish for I, Augusta. I, I wish I, I wish I would have, but I didn't. North Charleston for challenge six thousand heavily papered. Uh, Stockton, which I think is the first TV taping they do in Stockton, right? Which is smaller building, but one that looks nice on TV. Uh, mm -hmm. They returned to Mid-Hudson for the post-WrestleMania Raw tapings. Uh, no attendance listed. Glens Falls the next night, no attendance. Night after that was Lowell at the Memorial Auditorium, 2,500 sellout. So you know what we're seeing here? When they're running what? small buildings, they're taking more care to find buildings that look good on TV when they're smaller. Yeah. You know, Stockton, Lowell, back to Mid-Hudson Civic Center after a break. That kind of yeah. thing. Uh, Omaha in April is 5,800, 4,000 paid. Des Moines, 4,500, including a lot of paper. Moline at the Mark of the Quad, 5,500. So I'd be curious to know the finances of this, but they seem to be figuring it out over time. The summit was too big, but they're getting the right idea, even if they have to paper it a lot. You know, Lowell Memorial Auditorium, the place in Stockton that I forget the name of, even some of the mid-sized buildings, you know, even Palmetto, you know, Palmetto Civic Center or whatever it was called, oh, excuse me, Manatee Civic Center. Those are ways of running, those are nice mid-sized buildings for TV tapings in this era. That is the type of place they should be running. Now, Struthers, Ohio in June is a high school, though. 1450 sellout, though. They ran that forever, though. They ran that building forever. Yeah, Dan they ran that building. In 80, they ran that building in '83. That's one of the original buildings that they're running in expansion. God, I forgot so. some of these places they ran. Louisville Gardens. What's well, Robert Stadium in Evansville? They ran that. That was their Evansville venue. But they ran Louisville Gardens. I mean, how they take they had the fucking pay per view there? That's where Scott Pusky hurt himself. This is that the final. Challenge taping drew 10,500 at the Keel Center? I don't know. But anyway, enough of this. Enough. I'm getting bored. But you get the point. Uh, but you get the point. I'm, get, I'm, yeah. I'm getting bored. All right, the torch. Tad Bell should be decided. January <laughs> TV tournament. Hope, hope so for Doug first. Dan Crawford will be a part of it. 
that doesn't happen. Yokozuna is done as a Survivor Series, unfortunately having some minor surgery and is expected to return in April. Although WCW has expressed interest, gee, I wonder why. Brother. Luis McCauley uh, from the, the Torch said recently signed a guaranteed contract with AAA slash IWC and pressed WF management. He's been contacted by them and will meet with them on December 7th. Apparently, Spicoli may ask to get out of his AAA IWC contract if the WF meeting goes well. No word on whether he'll be granted a release. Boy, did he have good timing because a few more weeks and he would have lost all of his leverage. A, a guaranteed contract with AAA and IWC. Well, Art had one too. Yeah, but. I mean, yeah. he's not as pushed as that level, but good for him. Guaranteed. And to close out, Bret Hart will be out of action until January, selling the shoulder injury from the 9, nine o'clock chicken wing. Nine-minute nine nine chicken wing, excuse me. That's late for me. I'm tired. And during that period, he'll be filming an episode of Lonesome Dove. So I think that's another thing, too, is that they were – he was telling them he wanted to become an actor. So they were, like, obliging him and said, well – you know, we'll put you part-time and let you be an actor. Maybe. So I think that's part of it as well. But anyway, that's it for us this week. Next week on Between the Sheets, we have a Patreon requested show. As Jared Hunt requested 1996. And we'll go to WCW. And we'll talk about Nitro from Dayton, Ohio, featuring uh, all kinds of shenanigans, including uh, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash just <laughs> having one of those nights on commentary, which it was – this may be one that – I don't know if it's this one or there's another one that is some of the funniest shit that I've ever, I've ever heard on a wrestling show. So – and Bischoff's with him. I mean, it is hilarious, but this this show is notorious for this is the show where Chris Benoit and Steve Regal had their uh, incident where Eric Bischoff says, let's go wide. So we'll play that. Well, it's, it's not even the first time. It's just I think it's maybe the most remembered one because you have NWO Bischoff on commentary all of a sudden asking them to go wide. Yes, he's 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 now the boss. So we'll have that. We'll have news on the demise of the American Wrestling Federation. We'll have uh, the Nation of Domination in Memphis running wild on television, including on me, Mr. Corey, and all kinds of other uh, sundry news, including an ECW Arena show where Raven wins back the ECW Heavyweight title from the Sandman. So we'll talk about that. We got... uh, all kinds of wackiness in Mexico, including the big year-end show in Mexico, the triple threat match, Dandy, Casas, Santo. So we'll talk about that. Yes. Plus AAA uh, and their burgeoning relationship with the World Wrestling Federation. So we got that. Tiger G. Singh's in legal trouble in Canada. We'll have news on that. Tokyo Pro Wrestling draws a big, pretty big house at Sumo Hall. We'll talk about that. Plus, we'll have uh, news on New Japan Pro Wrestling. We have some new champions there. We got the end of the world's strongest tag league in all Japan Pro Wrestling. Real world tag and why, league. And why is Sabu doing jobs? So we'll talk about that. But, oh, oh, also, uh, another thing to talk about in Japan, the debut of Samurai TV. So we'll talk about that. You mean fighting the- TV. 
Samurai. Samurai. Yes. World Wrestling Federation. We have a uh, update on Shotgun Saturday Night. We have uh, Dubai. We'll talk about that. Shawn Michaels having a rough night in Poughkeepsie. Uh, WF doing their own version of Sid Vicious Arn Anderson on Monday Night Raw with Sid and Bret Hart. And uh, plans on how they're going to fill the Alamo Dome in San Antonio. But the big story of our week, Ultimate Ultimate. All that more next week on Between the Sheets. As Dave Melser. Oh, yes, we do have a guest. We will be joined by the bone collector, Dominic Green. I knew so, it. And he is excited. So he's very excited to talk, to talk about, about the, the ultimate second ultimate. ultimate. Yes, and... What happened behind the scenes? And there's a lot that would happen behind the scenes. Well, Dave Dave's there. Yeah. Dave's there, and there's a lot going on. If you are a fan of drama between uh, the Shamrocks, Tank Abbott, <laughs> and Dan Severn, and Don Fry, then you won't listen to this. There's a lot going on here. So, should be quite the show next week on Between the Sheets. All right, Bix, thanks as always. You're the rock of the show. And this is Chris saying so long from the Peach State of Georgia. Between the Sheets Patreon Special Edition number 62. I'm your host, Chris Zellner, joined as always by my co host, David Bix and Span. And Bix, we're about to embark on the latest of our multi show series on the Patreon. And this one is going to be one for the ages. Indeed. This is a wild one. And. When I was putting these notes together, I didn't know that we were going to have a guest joining us throughout, but uh, once we saw that, uh, his, well, not his name per se, but his promotion came up in the notes, we messaged him and realized he has a lot to share, so we are joined by the King of King Sport Boat, James. You will only be hearing about this situation. I lived it. <laughs> so... 
I may be the first guest on this show that actually lived and was a part of the story. Yeah, on the Patreon shows, yeah. Um, and Well, Scott. Yeah, Scott Bowden. Yeah. Yeah. But um, there, you may not be the only one that would be part of this story. Yes, we may have some supplementary content that's, I'm guessing, tacked onto part two, probably. But, well, there'll be uh, yeah, yeah, there'll be other other voices and stories involved from other, from other people. So, but you have a unique perspective on this. Um, so, before we get started, uh, just well, we didn't talk say about, what the topic is yet. You should say that, I guess. Yeah. Well, I guess so. I'm, I'm jumping into the show. All right. So, yeah. So, what we're talking about is uh, 20 years ago, we had a startup wrestling promotion based out of Evansville, Indiana, called Main Event Championship Wrestling. And the front man for the promotion was a guy by the name of John Collins. And uh, starting the summer of 2001, and the ride went for a little while, and, you know, I started thinking about this when I was doing notes for an episode of Between the Sheets. Uh, the last one we did for 2001 before the show that no, wasn't it when you were doing the exile notes exile notes that's right yeah I was doing wild side exile you're right you're right you're right so I was doing wild side exile notes and I'm just reading this stuff that about Bill Barron's talking about John Collins and all this other stuff and I was thinking man it's been 20 years you know we like to try to do anniversary type stuff on the show it's still 2021 Let's do main event championship wrestling. Little did I know <laughs> that it would become, as of now, a 56-page note show. Yeah. It's insane. And that's, on, that's only part of it. That's the notes. That's not <laughs> stories from you. We have another interview here from NoHolesBarredWrestling.com. The interview John Collins on August the 10th. And Bix, you be uh, Jason. Yes. Joining us at this time is the owner of the newest promotion to hit the scene. He's the owner of MECW, Main Event Championship Wrestling, and he is John Collins, and he joins the No Holds Barred radio show today. John, Jason, and S.A. here. How are you this afternoon? I'm doing real good, my friends. How are you? Thanks for having me on your program. Not a problem. We thank you for your time. I'm tickled to death. Let's get right into the mix of things. The MECW, not to be confused with the SummerSlam, <laughs> has been creating a big buzz recently regarding some of the talents who will be involved with the promotion. What convinced you to launch the promotion and take it to the big stage? Well, I think we got guys like Buff Bagwell, Kurt Henning, Public Enemy, a lot of guys who are going to be at the ECW Arena tomorrow night. They built that building. Yes, when I think of ECW Arena, I think of Buff Bagwell and Kurt Henning. What better place to have our inaugural show? I couldn't agree with you more. It's a great venue to watch a wrestling event. A lot of great names, as you just mentioned, and two other names that are involved with the company are the Sandman and Tracy Smothers. What roles do each of them play in the MECW promotion? Sandman is booking and talent coordinator in the East, and Tracy's going to book us down in Kentucky and Tennessee. If you listen to the internet, though, Tracy Smothers quit yesterday. I was drinking with beer with him down in Nesville, Indiana, the Coliseum, the same night that new stuff was released. So there we go. That new stuff? Uh, Bo? 
Anything on um, this? I don't. I don't remember. Well, obviously he didn't quit because he still he was still with him. So yeah, I'm. I, but he would fly off the handle and cuss people out, and well, he, he might have quit and yeah, and came back. <laughs> that's Tracy. All right, Bix, uh, your essay now too. Yeah. Essay. Speaking of smothers and those rumors, it was noted that he was in and then out of the group. His status is still good, right? It's been good. He never left. What were the chain of events that got this rumor out? I have no idea. I don't read it. People tell me about it occasionally, but you know, unless it's like an ESPN or something like that, I hold no validity to it. I'm the assuming ESPN. there's something missing here from the way they laid out the transcript, but... Yeah, ESPN's going to uh, cover Tracy Smothers leaving me and Rich. It's going to be on the crawl at the bottom screen. Uh, Thank you for the plug, John. We appreciate it. Not sure what the plug was. One obvious issue <laughs> is that in order to make it in you, wrestling... You did this. I, this is the exact transcript from their website. Okay. <laughs> so this is Jason's fault. Um, okay, so yeah, where was I with this? Uh, one obvious issue is that in order to make it in wrestling, it needs to be on a stage where everyone can see it. As far as national TV deal goes, where do you stand with the company at this point? What is the process you will need to go through in order to get MECW onto the big screen? Well, we got three verbal commitments right now from national TV companies. Oh my God. That's why tomorrow's show in Philadelphia is our pilot. There's going to be sent out. And you know, God willing, it's going to be okay, and Vince McMahon's going to have him a little competition here real quick. Sounds just like Herb here, doesn't he? Uh, a lot of ways, yes. Yes. We are the diamonds of professional wrestling, and they are the Sakodiabs! Continue. Now, John, what was the reason you decided to make the show Saturday night at the ECW Arena free for all the fans? The weather. 90 degree temperatures. I didn't want to, honest to God. I've said this from the first time anyone has ever spoken to me. We're going to be a friend-friendly company. The fans are actually doing us a favor by showing up to help us with our pilot. Why not let them in for free? Also, this shows he has no idea what the ECW arena is like, and that trying to pack a full ECW arena in record-high Philly temperatures is in the 2001 version of the building is going to be a fucking mess. <laughs> yeah. It's not like it is now, where it's nice and painted and air conditioners and all that. No. Imagine all those sweaty guys stinking up the building. Good God. Oof. The smell of B.O. Ugh. Well, that's what it said in Ring of Hell. But the smell of the ECW arena in the summer was not pleasant. Ugh. <laughs> it's unfortunate that not everybody does business that way. Because I think oh, God. you're going to have a packed house. You've got a lot of great names on the bill tomorrow night who I'm sure are going to give a great effort. It's a shame that most that more people don't do what the MECW promotion is doing tomorrow night. Oh yeah, lose money. Yeah, there's a shame that more <laughs> yeah. promotions. This is me talking, not John Collins. It's a shame that more of these wrestling promotions aren't just giving their whole show away for free. Yeah. Fuck you, Jason. All well, right, again, be, laundry. But go ahead, John. Let me be. Let me be John Collins. You know, we're fan friendly, and that's really the bottom line. We want the input of everyone, and I'm really looking forward to coming to Philadelphia. That's exciting to me, and the fans up there, I hear the greatest in the world, so we'll find out in 27, 28 hours. We'll find out just how crazy Philadelphia can get. What do you think? I'm sure they will be pretty crazy. I do have to ask you, though, 
how bad is it going to hurt on Sunday when you wake up with a major death in your checkbook? What a great word to use to a checkbook with John Collins. Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. That wasn't my checkbook anyway. Anyway, uh, the way that we see it is we're still going to make money on the merchandising. What we're still fucking gonna... merchandising? <laughs> we're still going to sell advanced tickets for our September 22nd show at the arena. But after tomorrow night, hopefully they'll rename it the MECW <laughs> Arena. Oh, no. Finances, that's just not an issue with us right now. The issue is to produce the best television pilot that we possibly can, get the fans filled up, you up off their feet, and just go crazy. Hey, we're not going to change them for a whole, charge them for a whole seat. We just want that little corner we're going to keep them in from the edge of all night. Oh, jeez. Very good. I thought they already had a pilot. (laughs) Yeah, wait a second. What was the point of this anyway? You're right, Bo. Uh, it's another pilot. Very good, John. When you look at the WWF slash WCW product, what do you think is lacking? What can MECW bring to the wrestling audience? Bottom line is, when you look up tomorrow night, the marquee at Viking Hollis is going to say professional wrestling. It's not going to say, owner, get over yourself. What? John needs to get over himself. No, it, mean, it means owner. Like It's just Vincent, man, get over yourself. You're not this. Even though John Collins is basically someone who needs to get over himself, but continue. That's a great way of putting things. A lot of the complaints with the WWF programming center around the McMahons being too involved and not letting their superstars dictate what goes on. You know what would happen if I got in the ring with Kurt Henning? He'd kick my ass in 30 seconds and be over with. That's just the bottom line. There's no value for me getting in the ring. I don't want to be there. I don't need to be in there. I'm not the guy who brings in the money. The athletes, and that's exactly what they are. The athletes in the back provide all the entertainment for everybody. I don't provide any entertainment unless I'm drunk and staggering and people laugh at me. That's telling. He's been he's providing a lot of entertainment for this show so far. But go ahead. Well, we're glad you have that view on things because it does hurt TV. I think the problem with the World Wrestling Federation program right now is three-minute matches, 15-minute interviews. That's just what I think. If you don't have access to a Titan Tron, you pretty much can't see a lot of the program. I would think, is that right or wrong? We're not about comedy. Tomorrow night, you're going to see exactly what MECW is going to bring to the table. We're going to bring good old-fashioned wrestling. And I guarantee you something right now. With New Jack, Sabu, Sandman, Public Enemy there, I think everybody in Philadelphia knows what's going to happen. Yes, when I when I uh, think of good old-fashioned pro wrestling, I think of New Jack, Sabu, the Sandman, and Public Enemy. <laughs> Those guys are very extreme, and it should be interesting to watch. They're like little kids in a candy store right now coming out of Philadelphia, I promise you that. I've got to tell you, I did speak to Buff Bagwell earlier this week, and he indicated to me that he t- <laughs> that he doesn't have a contract with WCW. What's his status with the company? Do you hope to sign him in the near future? From my understanding, he's still in a contract with the World's Federation until October 14th. <sighs> no, he's not, because he gave up the severance. What? <laughs> he and I will sit down at midnight on October 14th, and as adults, we will sit down with a pen and paper, and we'll go with it from there. Think about Buff Bagwell. He's been in every MECW show. Has missed none. <laughs> oh, and by the way, the problem child label that he's had, I've never seen it. He's been all company. He shakes the hand of every young guy he's met, gives the pointers of what they can do to get better in the ring. He's an all-around talent, just a tremendous asset to our company. I'm glad to hear that, John, because he does have that image of being a problem child. Well, good lord, a broken neck and 15 knee operations. If that'll make you have animosity to somebody, I don't know what the hell would. 
but you just said that he's not. <laughs> he's fucking insane. Keep going. Besides Buff Bagwell coming to the Federation, you've had some other big names. There's also some other big names out there. Who would you most like to have work in MECW that you do not have? And have talks begun with any of the following stars, such as Randy Savage, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, the Chinas, Jeff Jarrett's, those people are still out there, and those are definitely impact players in the in this business? I would absolutely, you know, I've already heard the rumor that I've signed China. In fact, the matter is, I've never even spoken with her. I've spoken with Randy Savage on many an occasion. I've spoken to Terry Taylor on many an occasion. I've not spoken with Jeff Jarrett, but we very much entertain that option. Sting, I wouldn't entertain that option. You know, we're not going to bring in a so-called superstar, and I don't know how to word this without making someone mad because I don't intend to do that. I just think there are many, so many good young, talented professional wrestlers on the independent level right now that have never had the opportunity to showcase what they can do. I'm not going to pass those guys over. You know, if some of these bigger names don't want a chance to come to MECW and be a team player, we don't want them. I'll go get some of the younger guys to showcase what they can do because there's some, new, some of them out there who can flat out go. John, is there going to be a website available anytime soon for fans to keep up with MECW? Two weeks. Yeah, John, I've got, I've got just one last question for you. What will it take to bring this company to the national stage and succeed where others have failed? The fans. We're a we company, not a me company. We can't do anything with 100% loyal support from our fans. They're the ones who, you know, pay the rest of salary. They take care of all the expenses. They make it possible for us to have a quality product. We have to cater them, and I think that we will. Well, I don't think. I know. We realize that, and that exactly is what we're going to do. We're not going to get. We're not going to falter from what we want. We're going to go from A and get to B. We're not going to skip anything over, but everything is based on the fans. Trying to re- figure out if I should read this in the terrible way that he typed it or not. I'll just, ah, screw it. I definitely hope that it works out, and as a fan... Hey, you're going to be there tomorrow night, right? I'll definitely be there with him. I guess he means Jason. Yes. Yeah. I'm going to spend a lot of time myself outside tomorrow. I figured the fans got to stay out in 90 degree weather and wait for the doors open. I should do it as well. I'll tell you what, fans. You've got to love an owner who's willing to hang out there with you and basically go through the sweat you're going through in 98 degree heat tomorrow night. But that's what you're going to get with John Collins and the MECW promotion. John, one last thing before I let you run. I'm going to throw out five names. You give me a quick answer to each person. Oh, boy. The first name is Paul Heyman. Never met him. Vince McMahon. Don't want to meet him. Eric Bischoff. Never met him. Don't want to meet him either. Kurt Hennig. I can't hardly do that in the word, but Kurt Hennig is a tremendous human being, not just a professional wrestler, an asset to society, just for the type of person, the character the young man carries with him. Young man? He's 42. He's 43. You're close. 43, yes. How old is John Collins? Who knows? Bo never met him. He couldn't. He, he, he wouldn't. <laughs> it, said, it said earlier 38. So he called Kurt Henning a young man when he's younger than Kurt. That's amazing. You're right. Was was John Collins afraid of China? <laughs> well, he, claimed to have spoke, he claimed to have spoke to everybody else other than her. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Maybe. Go ahead, Bix. And finally, MECW Main Event Championship Wrestling. Future. We're hoping the promotion does well, and we're going to be there tomorrow night to support it. And we look forward to seeing your wrestlers in action, talking with you tomorrow night at the ECW Arena. 
Every fan of Philadelphia is Viking Hall. Free show, hitting, Bagwell, Sandman, Sabu, and a few surprises. You know we'll be looking for those surprises, John. You know what? No, I'm not going to do it. You should do it, John. Come on, John. In my opinion, one of the figure, one of the figure, the greatest ring announcers to ever ring announce, who would you say? Bobby the Brain Heenan, who I'm saying for some reason, even though you said ring announcer. Oh my God, did someone leave <laughs> that out? Obviously, I inserted that last part. Uh, he's been a guest here on the show before. Is the brain going to be in attendance because we're looking forward to seeing him? Yes, he is. King of the one-liner. I want to let the fans know one other thing. Our t-shirts are two, 20 bucks a piece. Tomorrow night's fan appreciation. 15 bucks across the board. No exceptions. $50 shirts are now $15. $30 shirts are $15. Philadelphia, buy them. Put them on. For the donation, the sale of the shirts is going to the Battered Women and Children's Center and the Betterment of Children Foundation. And it's a good cause to support MECW, and we'll come back. That sounds about as legitimate as the Italian-American Society of Pittsburgh, California. <laughs> <laughs> Never, yeah, exactly. All we'll right. be back on September 22nd, right? Yes, sir. Well, we're looking forward to tomorrow night in MECW's future. Thanks for a few minutes today. Thanks for having me on. Take care, John. Okay, brother. Bye. Brother, brother. Jesus he Christ. Also, he also had a raffle for the human fund. Humans helping humans. <laughs> also, on top of everything else, it's money marks and money marks because think about how expensive it was to have a streaming audio show in 2001. Who are Jason and S.A., Bix? They're just the hosts of No Hard Sparred Radio or whatever it's called. But who the fuck were they? I don't know. Jesus Christ. Uh, I don't remember the show, do you? I do remember it. I, mean, I remember the name vaguely, and that's it. Uh, let's see here. I pulled it up a little. I mean, I pulled it up on Wayback to make sure I had the full transcript, but. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. I see it, but I don't see any like real names or anything. Okay. Well, or was it NHBWrestling.com, I guess, because no holds barred wrestling.com doesn't go, isn't on the way back. But anyway, so Bo, what do you think of this interview? He, he can't stop talking. Nope. And he, he uh, we already have a pilot. Now we're shooting a pilot. Uh, we're going to let everybody in free. I'm going to stand in the heat with you. You know, wouldn't it have been something if he'd got mugged while he was out there? <laughs> they couldn't have stolen that. He, he didn't have any money. They could have sold his checkbook again. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> to hear this entire show, support Between the Sheets on Patreon for just $5 per month. Go to patreon.com slash Between the Sheets.